I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as killer alien babies, anger management issues, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So, did I tell you I changed the name of this episode again? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 82 is now called Hero Horror. Okay. The movies we picked, it's just kind of hard to find a place where they fit. But uh, I guess we're recording this on August 13th, which is not a Friday the 13th. It's just a just a Sunday the 13th yeah, yeah. of 2023 here. And uh, we got some, some interesting picks, something that I've been wanting to cover for a really long time. And we just keep swinging categories back and forth where it could fit in some other films that we thought to do together. And something that we randomly... Picked for Josh by basically throwing darts at a board. Yeah, yeah, but it worked out. (laughs) But before we dive into these fascinating films and and what we mean by hero horror, let's take care of the housekeeping. So current news, it's been a few weeks, so I just went with bigger things that stood out to me recently. Okay. Last Voyage of the Demeter came out this weekend. Saw that shit yesterday. Oh, I was going to try, but I couldn't. How was it? We'll get into it when we get into what we watched. Okay, okay. Don't spoil anything, though. No, I mean, no, I've no. read the, the books. You can only spoil so much, but uh, they've got to be taking liberties and just filling in blanks. It's a very <laughs> short chapter, but it was just neat because it came out, you know, right after we did Andre Overdahl. Speaking of which, he just said in an interview this week that Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Part 2 is still on the books and in development. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that's still in development right now, assuming that the uh, strikes are still going on by the time this is released. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, I didn't forget about it, but I didn't really think about him saying still in development, but there's currently a writer strike. That's just here, though. Maybe he's deploying writers from his homeland. That's what I'm hoping in all seriousness about the the whole writer strike is like, I get that there's some people that are getting fucked right now. And there's some people that fuck you. You're overpaid as it is. Right. There's a little bit of both. I understand that, but usually not the writers or the special effects people, though. <laughs> but there are other, there are outside of, of Hollywood production companies like, uh, whoever the fuck did, uh, Oh my God, what's the child trafficking movie? Uh, the sound of freedom. Okay. Um, and then like you just said, we could still have people working overseas and other production companies to keep churning shit out. Where that gets a little tricky is other people, studios, directors, producers, some of them have clauses in their contracts that they're not allowed to work with ungilded yep. writers, which makes it where you can't even just find a writer that hadn't joined the guild yet. Like that's <laughs> that's how that works. That's how they uh kind of get deadlocked like this. But you know, that memo leaked where one of the studios was like, we'll starve them all out by October. Let's just hold out. Yeah. And then a bunch of rich celebrities started donating like a million dollars here and there into a fund to pay everybody's bills. And it's just like, man, these studios, it's just like all the big companies right now. The CEO doesn't need a new jumbo jet every year, right? Like, Yeah, every other year is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Out of all the hundreds of millions or billions of dollars you're making or whatever, you could take like just the tiniest fraction of a pay cut, 5%. I pay for everybody. Yeah. You know, because they make so much money. It's just the greed. Well, see, and that's and that's my problem with unions is like unions were intended to solve a problem. And now you're just paying union dues to some other asshole who's right. lying in his pockets when the asshole running the show should be able to just offer fucking profit sharing to right, everybody. Right. It's fucked. But anyways, <laughs> who wants to do that and let other people get rich? <laughs> yeah. This, you damn plebs. <laughs> this is not that podcast, though. This is the other one that we 
accidentally break <laughs> off into that we haven't started yet because we're not the time. Um, let's just keep it rolling, though. Fall of the House of Usher is coming out in October this year. Yeah. Have you talked about that on here? Who the, of who's doing it? I it's can't. I can't remember. Flanagan. Oh, yeah, it's the okay, new, you have talked about. It. Okay, it's the okay. new Flanagan show, and it's his last Netflix show. Because remember, he moved to I don't remember oh, where the yeah. fuck else. It's even got Mark Hamill in it, man. Special, special place in my heart. <laughs> Random Dead by Daylight news because I like to do it. Ripley, the Nostromo, and a Xenomorph are all getting added on. It's either August twenty eighth or 29th. Oh so, damn! Just a few days before my birthday, and I'm gonna have to fire up the old Necrium Twitch account and stream drunk and get chased around by assholes while I try to stab them with the Xenomorph. But it's hey. going to be fine. I, I'm have a guilty pleasure of anything that's alien or aliens. Like anytime well, yeah. it has a crossover, I have to try it. So fuck yeah. And I'm sure everybody saw that William Friedkin, the director of the exorcist passed away. Like what a week ago, I think that's fucked up timing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a new exorcist movie coming out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to honestly say I'm not excited based on the trailer. I mean, I haven't seen the trailer, but it's going to barely be out so soon that I'm not excited for it to be at Halloween Horror Nights. And I'm, Especially not excited that we got that for Orlando and Hollywood got Evil Dead Rise, which I was dreaming of the moment I saw the movie. <laughs> well, we have actually talked about we've got part of our Halloween Horror Nights trip. We go to the movie theater now there at City Walk. Okay. So I did last year. I went and saw Halloween Ends. So we're thinking about seeing the new Exorcist before Halloween Horror Nights. Okay. Because it'll be out by then. But I don't know. I was reading I was reading some shit that they've been allowed XYZ in the house. To where it's not spoiler material for the movie. Okay. So we'll just have to see how that shakes out. And I'll probably see it because, I mean, David Gordon Green was making it. And I liked his Halloween movies as much <laughs> as as much stuff that I didn't like. They weren't <laughs> unenjoyable movies to me. So I think there's a little bit of value in, in his vision there. Uh, speaking of visions, this one's kind of interesting to me. So Scream 7 is not going to be made by Radio Silence. Okay. I don't remember why they stepped down, because you'd think they'd want to finish their trilogy. But Christopher Landon's taken over, and if you don't recall his name, uh, it's the guy that did Freaky and Happy Death Day and stuff. Okay, so that's why that guy's name is really familiar. <laughs> but he already does, like, funny horror comedy meta movies, yeah. so he's probably actually the perfect fit for a screen movie. I'm okay with this. Some people are bitching, like, oh, he's going to PG-13 kidify it. No, they're not going to let... I'd say so you can't at this point. Right. They're, they're not going to let somebody do that to the Scream franchise, especially not when it's carrying over from two movies that just came out that were gory as fuck. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And made money. There's a fucking formula. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have, but I figured you probably had something Halloween Horror Nights related. Um, By now, everything's been announced. And if I was good at my fucking job here, I would have something pulled up. As my wife likes to remind me, this is a hobby and not a job. So <laughs> I forgive you. So the phrase see you in the fog gets thrown around from time to time. I even put it in our text thread at one point. But this never go alone thing they've been doing the last couple of years, I hate. Yeah. But I get it. It's like, yeah, tell your friends we need more money. You know, <laughs> I get it. Like, it's smart from a marketing angle, but it just see you in the fog sounds so damn good. So it's really funny because last year was my first year going. And it was a never go alone year. And then when I saw See You in the Fog, I was like, that is so much worse than never go alone. So maybe it's just whichever <laughs> one you heard first kind of thing. Because I like the never go alone. See, I like See You in the Fog. All right. So uh, Chucky Ultimate Kill Count, which I'm actually going to hang on from the Universal uh, podcast. 
Okay, so the story for Chucky's house is, yeah. is that Universal is doing a house based on the TV show. Okay. And then Chucky finds out about it. And Chucky says, I need something gorier than the TV show, you pussies. And it's Chucky killing people trying to make the house about Chucky. Okay. So it's supposed to just be full-on bonkers bloodbath. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah, sounds neat. Now I'll go faster. The Last of Us, Stranger Things, Season 4. The Exorcist Believer, which we were talking about, is going to be one of the weird ones, like when they did uh, Jigsaw before the movie had come out. <laughs> um, Universal Monsters, uh, Dr. Oddfellows, Twisted Origins, Dueling Dragons, which is going to be fucking awesome. Yeti Campground Kills, Sasquatch playing the role of Jason Voorhees. I'm totally fine with this. I can take it. <laughs> the Darkest Deal and Blood Moon Dark Offerings. Scare Zones as well. Go look it up whichever coast you're on. We're fucking going, obviously, and uh, we will report back with our findings. I do have to say I'm excited for food this year for the first time <laughs> ever. Well, last year I was excited and then we had the food and we yeah. talked about it. It was not great. But it was I'm, shit. The drinks were shit. Dude, I'm st- Uber excited. You get, you get, you can get ration cans of tempura fried mushrooms and dude, they're going, That's neat. they're going all out when they showed the taste of terror reveal. And I don't remember your name, dude. And I don't mean this as a slight, but they're talking to the, uh, the, the, Oh, I'm not a kitchen guy. He's not the executive chef, but just under that sous chef. Yes. The executive sous chef is, I believe who they were talking to. And he's a big dude. And I'm like, this makes me happy. Like, don't give me some <laughs> Kate Moss looking blow away person making my food. Give me something that likes to eat in all seriousness. Right. And I'm like, food's going to be good this year. I'm okay with this. <laughs> anyway. Or Gordon Ramsay. I'll take Gordon Ramsay, even though he's not a big guy. Fuck, man. Prices are high enough as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant if I was hanging out with the guy drinking a beer at his house, like I'd you be know okay what? with him cooking. Since you brought him up and we're talking about food, and I was talking to the wife about this recently, any of our listeners, Gordon Ramsay has been repping this uh, this cookware that I can't remember the fucking name of right now. Okay. And uh, if anybody knows if it's actually worth a shit or if he's just selling his name and selling out, um, let me know, because I'm really interested in it, but I'd like someone's real opinion. Because you can't trust Amazon reviews anymore, or fucking TikTokers, or any of this shit. Right. Even podcasters, you can't even fucking trust no, us. Do not trust us. But you can trust the fans of podcasts. <laughs> yes. Somebody fill me the fucking. Um, Unless they anonymously <laughs> post it on Reddit, then it's probably bullshit again. So, uh, as per usual, this is why I don't do the news. Back to you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess the news is done at this point. Uh, closing it out with that fucking banger of a weather report. But. It's, <laughs> If we didn't specifically say it, Josh and I and our wives actually are going together to Halloween Horror Nights this year, not separate weeks. Yes, as a foursome. Don't take that out of context. No, (laughs) still not happening. Um, (laughs) And I haven't decided if I want our Halloween special this year to be Halloween Horror Nights again, because it might just become a repeat thing to do it. But I do have small lav mics, so it might be kind of funny. To wear the mics in the house. Well, see, I was I was watching something today and they were wearing them and it made me think of that. Like, I don't know how much time we would get on them, but do we want to do that? Or were you going to bring the recorder if you'd had any thoughts? I was going to bring all of it. Okay. I can get more time than we're going to be there with the current labs I have. I just think it'd be funny to like put our best like bitch screams, (laughs) right? Like, like when you start hearing, you know. Me crying like a small child. Do you think it's a baby got let loose? And they're like, who brought a baby? <laughs> no, Jesse saw a spider. <laughs> anyway. Jesse, Jesse sees a spider. Josh gets scared by team members. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of part of my announcements, which I was about to dip in. I was going to say this should be out in August, unless I'm really busy at work this week. <laughs> I do work at a school, and school starts this week. But uh, 
It's been killing me getting ready for that. There's going to be a September episode for sure. I would like to have an October episode and a Halloween episode. No. So we'll see. We'll see. And then we'll just kind of take it from there. And and, and my last note on the announcements is, you know, we're going with our wives together. So we don't have to report back after the fact. We can just do it as we go. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, Updates and corrections. None again. Hell yeah. What we watched, I am sure my list is gigantic compared to what I wrote down, but I keep saying I'm going to keep notes week to week. I just don't do it. I saw Insidious the Red Door in theaters. Did you guys see it? I've not seen it. I really liked it. It's up there at the first two with me, but it's because it's their story continued. And this is the first one, first film Patrick Wilson's ever directed. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was doing that. And he does the theme song at the end with the band Ghost. He's the singer and Ghost is playing. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, Mariana Cross and shit. (laughs) Witcher season three, both parts, (laughs) because there was a break in the middle, but I got to see both parts. Uh, It was okay. It's going to suck without Henry Cavill in it because Netflix did a making of season three thing at the end. And every time they interview Henry Cavill and he's talking about like when he wrote the fight scenes with the stunt guy. And all the ideas he had, I'm like, they're not going to have him there to do it anymore. They're going to have little Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, fucking Liam. I just, I don't know. He's a good actor, but I I just think you should have canceled it at this point. If I remember correctly in the books, though, the story's being told to you by an unreliable narrator. Oh, and so we're going to lean on that? Balances perspectives. I don't know if they're smart enough to do that, honestly, <laughs> without Henry Cavill there to hold their hand. But yeah, I'll probably still try it. I watched Stranger Things season four, which I saw each half the night they came out originally. But when we found out we're going to be able to go to Halloween Horror Nights this year, Margie figured she should probably watch season four of Stranger Things because she quit after the first season. Oh, wow. Yeah. She just, she really liked the first season and then the second season, a couple episodes in, it just didn't hold her attention anymore. It's the three episode rule, man. (laughs) So we just skipped straight to, to season four, which is a really great season. But she was hooked and really liked it. And, uh, I think we watched it pretty much two sittings. Like if it wouldn't have been so late and we had work the next day, it would have been one go through. So I'm assuming the house is going to be season four. So she's caught yeah, up yeah, to yeah. that. It's yeah. just season four. And so now is she walking around your house singing, keep running up the hill? No, because I do it constantly every day and get yelled at. So she was already sick of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Black Mirror. It was, it was okay. It had some bangers and some slower ones. I think I said I had started it on the last episode, but I've watched all of it now. Okay. I've watched all of it now too. And it was, eh, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it's been back in, back, back in the long, long ago. I really liked the werewolf one. Yeah. And the like Scotland documentary one. That one was pretty good. Those are my two favorites. And, uh, the first one, uh, oh, uh, the the chick. oh that was really good the, the Netflix meta thing yeah yeah, yeah 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 oh my god what was her name anyways her name is a bad person or whatever the fuck it was. Oh, I can't think of her name either but she's from Shit's Creek but yes yes, yes. Selma Hayek's what made it yes in her show I did like, not sign a fucking piece of paper that said I would take a shit in a church at a wedding <laughs> yes oh my god she was so great like in that role doing that so yeah uh, that was a cool episode too. I am getting caught up on what we do in the shadows. I am like two or three episodes to finish last season because I think the new one just started or is about to. Just started. Okay. We've seen two, two or three episodes, I think. The whole plot of, I can't think of his name right now, but Collins, like the the psychic vampire growing yeah. back up, like it kind of took me out of it because I watched the first two or three in a row uh, when they came out. Yeah. And I just didn't get into it as much, but basically I... 
I started missing hearing Matt Berry make really foul jokes. Because <laughs> that's what I watched that show for. So, you know, I'm back on track now. Just a regular old human bartender, Jackie Daytona. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the a after real party. human bartender. <laughs> <laughs> the after party. Have you seen that? Tell me about it. it uh, that's not ringing any bells. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. It's on Apple TV. And season one came out like two years ago. Season two, a new one comes out every Wednesday. So season two is not finished yet. There's only a couple left, though. Okay. So season one, like you start out at this giant mansion and there's a party going and you see Dave Franco fall and die. And it's a murder. And then it rolls back like three days and you see all these people getting together and the guy gets murdered. Right. Okay. Like you, like you start out with a guy murdered and then the police show up and Tiffany Haddish, which I don't know if you know that is, but she's hilarious. You know her if you saw her. Yeah. She's the cop that shows up and she interviews each member of the party, which most of them are comedians, one at a time. And every episode is a, the same story from their point of view. And it's fucking hilarious until they solve the murder. Okay. I'm going to have to ask the wife if I've seen this because I forget shit or ask her if she's seen it. But the second season, it's two of the people from the first season are at a wedding and somebody gets killed at the first episode. And the cop is now like a famous author from writing a book about the craziest fucking murder she solved. Oh. But one of the main guys who's at this wedding is who actually helped her solve the whole thing. Okay. So he calls her in and they're interviewing everyone. And this season's crazier. And every episode is based off of like a different film style. Like you have a black and white, like pulp noir. Okay. You have one episode that is obviously a Wes Anderson ripoff. Like I had to Google it to make sure the colors <laughs> they use. The absurd plot, the camera, like they pick a style for every episode and go with it. And it's extra funny. And John Cho's on there this season. And he's like their crazy, like yogi uncle. <laughs> and he's like a mystic and shit. And next episode is from his point of view. He's going to be on acid or shrooms the whole time. It's going to be fucking great. Okay. But it's a funny show. It's not horror, but like it's, it's like a murder, true crime kind of thing. That's fucking hilarious. So nice. watch it. I probably lingered on that for too long. Monster Squad Forever. Was a documentary on Monster Squad that I did not see when we covered Monster Squad. I covered, was it Kick Him in the Nards or Wolfman's Got Nards uh, or whatever? You're so cool, Brewster. No, that's Fright Night. Oh, wait. What am I thinking of? Monster Squad. Monster wait, Squad. There was yeah. another Monster Squad documentary? Yeah, there's two of them. So I watched Wolfman's Got Nards or Kick Him in the Nards or whatever. Okay. I didn't know about that one. <laughs> so that's the one I watched, and it's actually made by the guy that the main kid, right? Okay. Like grown up. He made that documentary himself. This one was made by like a studio, and they had more people come in and shit. And it had more stuff in it. It was really good. I recommend watching it. The problem is getting her in the mood to actually sit down and watch a documentary. It's not very long, but <laughs> it was very insightful and it's interesting. Like Fred Decker's on it and stuff and okay. Shane Black and talking about like how they like actually hear them explain how they came up with the movie and pitched it and like what the studio did oh, nice. and, and have to work with kids like for your first fucking movie as a director and shit, you know, and <laughs> I mean, stuff that we covered, but like they go into, this would have been great to watch before. We did that episode because they go in more detail. The blackening. Seen this. Was fucking hilarious. I thought I was not going to get into it. And it ended up being way funnier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, to me, it was scary movie, but good. Right? Wow. Because I don't like the scary movie movies. Wow. Okay. So either there's two blackenings or, uh, so we were, we saw the trailer and we were like, Holy shit, this is going to be the funniest thing since right. Scary Movie. Because Scary Movie 1 and 2, we still love. I like the first two, but I think After the that, other one's kind of like poisoned and jaded. Yeah, they're it, so my bad. Man. We hated the blackening. Like, every funny moment was in the trailer, and 
the rest of it was just, oh, we hated it. <laughs> I never saw a trailer and I went in blind. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Oh, wow. No, did not like it. Like the jokes were really on point. Like They were meta. on the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And making fun of the white people were the, the favorite ones. Those are the best <laughs> ones. And then, uh, of course, when the chick actually takes Adderall. <laughs> and doesn't have ADHD, right? Like, I fucking, that part was like, chef's kiss. Oh, there, I thought it was really funny. There was some funny shit in it. I was really ready for it, and, like, it, it just, it, it wasn't what I expected. I thought it also did a really good job of subverting your expectations on who the killers were, or killer. Because I just knew it was some motherfuckers that it wasn't. They did do the, spoiler alert, they did do the red herring bait and switch thing really well that that was done well because i fell asleep and then when i woke back up <laughs> um i'm being serious i had to wake back up and rewind it and then i had to wake ginger up and rewind it she's like really and i'm like yeah hang on here's here's a here's a part where it all gets explained <laughs> <laughs> it just uh i thought it did a really good job of making the racial jokes from both points of view and then hitting like horror tropes really hard in there while being a straight comedy film. Yeah. Now that part, I love that it didn't play it safe oh, on, no, on it the humor. Not. That is so fucking refreshing this day yeah. and age on both sides. And like just looking at the board game, I'm like, that's racist as fuck. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh my God. It was so good. Um, well, I thought it was good. Josh didn't. So, you know, <laughs> this is one of those that's really split. So you guys let us know what you think. And the last thing I note that I wrote down was Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is kind of relevant to this episode. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. And uh, honestly, it was one of the best fucking Marvel movies made. I, I just tell myself it's not a Marvel movie and that way I can like it. Um, <laughs> I'm a kid. Like, like my son was so enthralled. He like got off of playing his game and came in. He just couldn't stop watching it. Molly, my four-year-old, sat in my lap the whole time because she thinks Rocket's adorable. Oh, right? oh, and this was sad for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the plot, I don't know, the plot was really good. It was way deeper than any other fucking Marvel movie. And I swear James Gunn did that just to give the finger to Disney on the way out the door. It's yeah. like, this is what you had. Well, what? See, this one's on my list too. We watched it like a week ago. Um, well, I'm I'm done. So why don't you start okay. with that one and we'll just go from there. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I really like the depth of the story. Yeah. I like the subplot. I like that how everything intertwined. I think James Gunn might low key be one of my favorite filmmakers. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I've made jokes about him in the past, I still love him. It's sad, but I love the backstory. Floor. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of things where it's like, it's inevitable. You know, what's going to happen, but that, that I, okay. So you've heard me say it before. And this is, this is where the billion dollar bullshit of, of, <laughs> of all of these fucking comic book movies where they're just like, Hey, let's take the same story and just repackage it over and over again. James Gunn and, doesn't do that. Exactly. Right. And so this is, this one was the Guardians of the galaxy series. The only one I give a pass out of all this shit <laughs> over the years. They're really the, like, they're the most entertaining. I they think. are. Yeah, even though they're like not my most favorite characters from the comics, the movies are just fucking great. Well, there's something for everybody and James Gunn and his use of music. There's just no getting around that. Right. So fucking refreshing. The first Disney Marvel F-bomb. <laughs> was that the very first? Yes. <laughs> and I about died laughing. I was like, because I mean, PG-13 movies, you're allowed to do it. I just don't know how he fucking talked Disney into it. Who knows? But I'm glad he did. Well, Deadpool's supposed to still be rated R. So yeah. Maybe that was like the warm up, but the scene was just so fucking good. Yeah. Now I can't vet this, but the wife read that that was fucking ad libbed. Don't know. That makes it even better. Um, <laughs> and they probably want Chris Pratt to come back. So if he ad libbed it, 
Well, what do I do now? You open the fucking door. <laughs> you open the fucking and door. What makes it even better is there's two parts earlier in the movie where you think you're fixing to get an F-bomb and you don't. Right. And then that one just comes out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> he has always teetered on the F-bombs. Have you? I, I cannot believe we're about to stick this on Guardians of the Galaxy. Did you see? You guys don't have Disney Plus, do you? No. So there's a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas movie that came out last Christmas. We saw it. Oh, okay, okay. Where they kidnap <laughs> Kevin Bacon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was some, like, you know F-bombs coming in. They're just so good, but James Gunn, that's why. Yeah. What else did you watch? Sorry. <laughs> I have to, sorry, I have to go over to my list on my phone. We're now on Marvel Comics podcast. I'm putting in my two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, hobby, not a job, and a right-to-work state. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So, um, last voyage of the Demeter. Don't spoil it. I can't. I literally can't say anything about it without somewhat spoiling it. I don't want to do that to you. I don't really care about the audience. I mean, I like y'all and all, but Jesse hasn't seen it. We do have it. a rule about, like, this is open a week. It's been about two days. You can't spoil it anyways. I know, I know right? Yeah. All I'm going to say is you're going to fucking love it. Okay. Do you not like it? There are things I adore about it, and it's... 180 from what I expected and things I don't like about it that are 180 from what I expected. And I can't, okay. I have to, okay. yeah, yeah. I have to be able to expound. Um, so I, we'll wait. <laughs> I think David and I are going to see it next weekend. We just like, we're slammed at work and yeah. ready for the square to start. Did you know, I can't think of his name right now for really bad. So I'll have it in the updates and corrections on the next episode, but the, the tall skinny guy that like can bend all his joints. That's done a buttload of horror movies yeah but not doug jones the other one the other one well, well doug jones isn't like a contortionist but the guy that did like mama and he's the i'll suck your dick for a nickel guy and it, you know what i mean like he's done a bunch I, I, I feel really bad i think he's actually done some guillermo del, i think guillermo del toro is who found him i yeah, think he did I a lot of his i movies. can't think of his name you know what i'm talking about though right yeah, yeah. he's dracula in that movie. yeah, yeah. Okay, the okay wife and i were talking about it because we were like it's it's not doug jones it's the other one <laughs> yeah, doug jones is great but he's not a contortionist he is a little bit. You got to go back to. Uh, he's not Le- double jointed though, like but, everywhere. But go back to Legion. Like I think that's the creepiest he's ever been. Was when he's the ice cream man in Legion. Oh, I forgot he was the ice cream man in Legion. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, speaking of ice cream man, Twisted Metal. Um, have you? I haven't seen any of it yet. <laughs> we just started watching it. I heard um, it's funny. I heard it's actually dude, funny. Have you seen the movie Blood Drive? No. Okay, you, one, you need to see it. I'm okay. Just, no, it's not a movie. It was a limited series that got canceled after the first fucking season. Oh, uh, then I probably don't want to watch it. Oh, uh, it's still worth it. Oh, okay. my God, it was so good. It's like Blood Drive meets The Boys. Okay. Not as much money, not uh, in all seriousness, but it's it's comedy first, fan service, like all the music so far with a couple of, well, with a couple of exceptions, <laughs> and we're only like three or four episodes in is all music from 95. Okay. Cause like the opening scene dudes in, the, in a car and he's, he's like, let's, let's jam on some tunes. They put, puts in a jerky boys. Okay. CD. okay. Um, so they like dated it back to when the games were popular. Oh, dude. Fucking. Okay. So sweet tooth sings the thong song in this shit. Oh my God. That's great. This is the kind of Who's shit. Playing, is it Will Arnett? It's somebody like crazy. He's playing sweet tooth. He, he's the voice of sweet tooth, but he's, his physical appearance is, uh, uh, Oh God. Like Samoa Joe. Uh, it's a wrestler. I was thinking, I'm talking about the voice actor. It will earn it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so you think I'll like it? Yeah. Does it reference any of like the cars and stuff in the games or the, the people or not yet? Well, Other than Sweet Tooth? It's not on. Sweet Tooth is on the nose, but like there's this asshole cop that has uh, to be outlaw. has to be outlawed. That was my favorite um, one. That's not another name. You meet two people who wreck a uh, a purple hearse. Oh, okay. So that's got to be Shadow, Shadow from yeah. Twisted Metal 2. Like it, it, it's not. Like the easy way for them to have done has been like, like Mortal Kombat. Like, right. oh, this is the competition every year. 
it's not like that at all. Okay. This it feels like it's gonna lead up to that. It's like Mad Max kind of is what I got yes. for the vibe. How's Anthony Mackie in it? The main guy. Oh, the main guy? Yeah. He here's what's fucked up. What else? he's been he's like in Marvel. He was the Falcon in the Captain American Avengers movies, and then he took over. So he's new the, he's the new Captain America. So he has the TV show like Falcon and Winter Soldier, where he's becoming the new Captain America that's had one season, and then his new Captain America movies coming out next year, I think. Okay. Where it's his first one as Captain America and Harrison Ford's the bad guy in it. I'm kind of excited. Moving on. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> no, I, it's he's, just, he's, he's fucking great. Gotcha. Um, the Is he funny in it? Yeah. Because he has some funny moments in the Captain America movies, but he's always like a side character, right? Until yeah. now, he's about to be Captain America, right? And then I saw him in the second season of Carbon Fiber, right? So, like, they're completely different. So I was just curious. Like, it looked like he's supposed to be funny in the trailer, and I was just curious if it was actually portrayed that way. Yeah, it, to to give you an idea of, and, and I know we're, we're hanging on this for a while. It's what happens when we don't record for in a few weeks. In the opening fucking scene of the show, he has some shit hits his windshield, uh-huh. and he hits the windshield wipers, and one of the things that hits the windshield is the original PS1 long box. Okay. And like it holds on it and he's like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 It's that. Okay. It's that aware broadcast signal intrusion. Okay. um, Was something the wife wanted to watch back in. I forget what year it was. There was a Chicago public access channel where somebody broke into the broadcast, like wearing a uh, Max Hedrum costume. I remember that. Okay. So it plays on that as that being a, that type of event happening. Uh-huh. But then you find out that it also ties into these disappearance of these women gotcha. and da, 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 I don't want to give too much away. It was pretty okay. I fell asleep a couple of times, but it's pretty okay. <laughs> it's a um, theme with you tonight. Asteroid city. Oh, you watched that? Yeah. Have you seen it yet? I know, but I want to, I don't actually like Wes Anderson movies generally. Like I respect yeah, him either. as a director and a filmmaker. <laughs> Because he is an auteur with like his style and he fucking sticks to it <laughs> and it works. But Asteroid City actually looked really entertaining to me when I saw the trailer. We'll wait to talk about that. Jury duty. One of the best fucking pieces oh, of so television. Glad you've seen ever. it. <laughs> Margie and I watched it in one sitting. If you haven't seen it, there's people at work that are mad at me at the lunch table that sometimes sit with me because they keep hearing me every time there's new people because the teachers keep coming back in. I, I told them to go watch it. But it, it's, I'll let you explain it. It's fucking great. Dude, so when the wife told me, I'm like, what is, she's like, we're watching this. And I'm like, well, tell me what it is. And she's like, oh, well, it's this show about this guy who thinks he's on jury duty and everyone else involved is an actor. And I'm like, so it's like a stupid meta comedy. Ball. And like, she's like, no. But he the thinks guy- he's in a documentary, so that makes it even better, yes. right? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm thinking it's a, just a regular show, oh. and, and he's not an, a regular person. He's just playing the role of a regular right. person. Once I understood that this dude, like Jesse said, he just thinks he's in an unprecedented access documentary about right. the court system and how it works. No, everyone fucking else is an actor. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's oh, in Hollywood and James Marsden got gets called in for jury duty. You know, the Sonic <laughs> movies and he played Cyclops and X-Men. He's been a bunch of shit. Hey, and hey, he's hey, the sex parts. drive motherfucker. Sex, oh, drive. Yeah, sex <laughs> drive. That's a big joke. He's the best part. Cause he's playing like a caricature of himself yes. and he's just such a douche and an ass breaks the guy's heart, but they literally found the most patient human being in the fucking world. Yes. You're going to, you, I don't care. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. Yeah. And then at the very end, which I'm not going to spoil for anybody who hasn't seen it. it the, the very end is just like fucking, Knees to the sky, fucking give it to me. Right. Because um, he's sequestered for three weeks. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming what Josh is alluding to, and, and I'm not going to detail, is he they, he gets to find out at the end. So you get a whole episode of, of him that, realizing yep. what happened. And you get to see extra footage. Because, I mean, the show's 20-minute episodes. They're yeah. fucking hilarious. 
he was in a court trial for eight hours a day for yep. three weeks. You know, uh, the two attorneys were actually attorneys. Yes. Uh, oh, they said that on yep, there, didn't they? Former yeah. attorneys, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really funny. I've been telling everybody to watch that. Yeah, this and next year, look out. This guy's going to be on The Bachelor. There's no way around it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I'm not done. <laughs> We're only three hours in, Josh. Take your time. Sunshine, which is an older space horror. I don't know that one. Uh, it, there's these people in it, and they got to go. <laughs> j- okay, you know how in the core, they drill inside the earth, and they got to restart the core of the earth? Sure, I never watched it. Okay, sure. well, this one, the sun's dying, and they got to go fly nukes into it to uh, keep the sun alive. Um, and there's a previous ship that had went and failed, and they go and try to find it, and it's not as good as uh Wouldn't the nukes just disintegrate from the... Heat. Yeah, that well, no, because they have people walk on the fucking sun shield that's pointed at the damn sun while they're four yeah, miles from okay. it, and they don't burst into flint. Anyways, this science argument just reminded me. I <laughs> talked my wife into watching Barbarian yesterday, and she's like, "Is it a horror movie?" And I'm like, "Not really." Oh, okay. is it supernatural demons? No, no, no. <laughs> she was so mad at me, <laughs> but she couldn't stop watching it. But the best part was at the end. You, you remember the end of that movie, right? I, I remember that I've seen it, but that's it. Justin Long chunks the chick off the water tower because he knows that the inbred mom chick will try yeah, to catch yeah, her. Yeah. And she dives off after, grabs her and rolls and takes the hit for her because it's her baby. Right. Yeah. I was trying to explain how there's no fucking way she could have caught up with her falling. And, and Morty's like, yeah, she's heavier. And she's like at an angle. And I'm like, no, no, no. So I had to keep grabbing different objects in the house and standing on furniture and dropping them. <laughs> Varying weights to show that it always hits the ground at the same time. And then she decided to Google it and concede because she still thought I was doing like some magic trickery. Terminal velocity, guys. Terminal velocity. Um, and I'm not making fun of a wife by any means. It was just, it was a really funny conversation. <laughs> there's a few more on here I have to mention, so I'll go as fast as I can. Um, Scarecrow's 88. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. Um, I could have just told Jeff the name. In Search of Darkness 3. Finally finished it. It oh, was nice. Um, I, I'm about seven hours in, so I think I got, well, like 21 to go. <laughs> something like that. I like them, but they are really long. I have to watch them in pieces. Yeah, and well, and it's starting to get. They're hitting like kind the of, shit yeah, movies, right? Kind of yeah. repetitive and obscure shit. Nefarious. It's the movie about yeah. the dude on death row. I hadn't seen it, but is it good? Yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Black Mirror, we talk about Bo is Afraid. I haven't watched it yet. And I keep, Margie kind of wants to see it, but she doesn't know if she wants to watch a three and a half hour long movie. Um, Here, I'm going to give you my wife's review, uh, mention and review of the movie. <clears throat> Bo is Afraid and Ginger is Confused. My response was the entire fucking audience is confused. <laughs> okay. Um, even after digging way into Ari Aster because of Midsummer, watching this, I don't know what I watched. Okay. I, I got an idea, which I won't go into until you've seen it. But I mean, by the time you get to the 15 foot tall nutsack in the attic, it's pretty weird. I wish you guys could see my face right now. <laughs> uh, I, I was actually curious to see what you were going to say, just because I know... Like that was an episode you were kind of like not happy going into making. And then you end up loving Gary Astor yeah. at the end. And I was just curious. I, I don't want to put any preconceived notions in your mind whatsoever. It, not even my ideas or thoughts. Cause you need to anyways, it's in inter- Oh, you gotta be ready for it though. It is uh, like you said, it's over three hours long and it's a slow fucking burn. Anyways, finally saw the Millers. It was funny as fuck. Where uh, the Millers? Where the Millers, yeah. Oh my God, you hadn't seen that? You had told me like 18 times yeah, yeah. to see it. We finally watched it. It's such a good movie. And that's one of the two things anytime I've random relatives over, like staying for like the weekend or something. And we're, you know, kids go to bed, we're drinking after eating dinner or something. Like, what's something we watch? I'm like, hold on. I always put that or the good boys on. <laughs> so speaking of, so 
Midsummer, and then finally watched We're the Millers. Right. And then right after that, watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Will Poulter? Um, <laughs> yes. Vandersnatch, right? From the uh, Black <laughs> He's actually a fucking phenomenal actor who is very underutilized yes. right now. And I think it's because everybody thinks he's like Michael Sarah or something from, because everybody thinks of yeah. Will the Millers. Oh, he bit my winky. But I mean, he's, that is not like, that is like the, he's hilarious in that movie. But that is so far from his acting and everything else because he's fucking British and like super serious most yeah. of the time. No, it's great. They did, Adam Warlock's a badass in the comic books, like a fucking badass. And the fact that they made him like a dumbass <laughs> would have pissed me off under normal circumstances, but James Gunn knows how to fucking do that shit. But uh, Will Poulter was pretty funny trying to be like this badass superhero that's like a small child and can't get jokes. It was good yeah. stuff. It was like one of the times when you could have got fucked. Yeah, Anyways. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other stuff I watched, we already talked about. And uh, Burt Kreischer, The Machine, if you think it's going to be funny, too fucking bad. It sucked. I could told you that one, too. <laughs> the joke got too long-winded when it first came out. <laughs> and then they made a movie out of it. Somehow. What the fuck? What's, it looks great, though. No. The production. And the idea looks like the, the production, idea looks like it could have been funny. dude. The, the the production value is great. The way it's shot is great. All that. he That motherfucker just don't need to be acting in movies. Right. And it was a joke that went on too fucking long. Watching the trailer, I was like, they got some good actors in here. I bet there's a lot of funny scenes in it. But I have a feeling it should have been the actual comedian telling the story, the joke and story on stage. Then cutting to it as a movie with him doing the narration and have a different actor playing him probably would have made it better. Here here we go. Here we go. Have you have you actually set the, through the whole thing? Or no, just, I haven't watched it at all. No. Okay. Because uh, Mark Hamill didn't even save that movie. And he knows how to save a camp film. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he plays the role he's in great. And the only time I left during that movie was a scene he was in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just no. He just, I, I love the little random projects Mark Hamill will take. Yeah. Right? Like fucking the Chucky Daytona episode, right? Like <laughs> you left a floater in my Airbnb, right? Like just this ancient vampire and a cock knocker, right? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I think George Lucas is going to sue somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back when Kevin Smith still was relevant. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, Kev. Anyways, um, <laughs> that's what I watched. <laughs> we're like an hour in. Ah, we're like 40 minutes. Oh, okay. It'll be much quicker when I edit the bullshit out. I'll try to do a quick little backstory on, on what this episode means to us or why we did it or whatever. It's not super interesting on this one. <laughs> Basically, I've been wanting to cover Brightburn since it came out. And the whole idea was to do dark superhero movies. And yes. every time we paired it with a movie that Josh was really excited to do, we would think of a better category for it, right? <laughs> or something that we think it would pair better with. Yep. And we just kind of hit a point where it's like, this is the fourth year I had it on a list and wanted to do it. Not necessarily this movie, but this this category. Because like The Crow was originally in this yeah. list, right? But I really wanted to do it. And, and we basically threw darts at a board <laughs> for Josh's movie. But I... I felt like, uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm doing Brightburn, which I've been wanting to do forever. <laughs> and Josh is doing Darkman, which honestly is the most Sam Raimi thing Sam Raimi ever <laughs> fucking God made. Right. It's not a great movie, but it's a great movie. Yes. And I really didn't know how. I'm actually, I have no clue what he thinks about it. We haven't talked about it yet. I can't wait till we get there. But I figured like going in just because of Sam Raimi, Josh would have a good time doing it. And I tried to go super deep on Brightburn, but there's not that much data out there about it. Well, and in a bit of serendipity, um, when this started coming together and then we had the power outage here for almost two weeks out of boredom, oh, yeah. 
I finally read my Evil Dead companion book. And I'm ah. like, oh, okay, so this book's going to be like a deep dive into Evil Dead, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's the deep dive into Sam Raimi and then Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and then stuff on Darkman, stuff on The Quick and the Dead. Yeah. Stuff like it goes I love on, Quick and the Dead. I hate Westerns, but I love it, that movie. It is a terribly written book. But but there's great nuggets in there, and I'm like, I just read all this shit about Darkman, and I haven't seen it, so right. this is this is good timing because I'm primed for it, and I'm more thankful. We'll get more into it into my movie, um, of like you said, it's the most Sam Raimi thing Sam Raimi has ever done, especially if you go back, look his interviews and his original shorts. Of crime the, wave and go yeah well this is crime which, wave with money I'm pretty which sure which eventually got us to crime wave but yeah that's where he really came. Anyways, motherfucker, like we we talk about this all the time. He never, ever, ever wanted to do horror. Nobody right. wanted to do horror. That's not what he wanted to do. And it just like, well, we can get this out and you can get a name and then you can go on to do something. I, it's crazy that like the second movie, we haven't even done the first movie, we're, we're, we're kind of harking on a little bit. But these are those statements that have a weird time fitting it in anyway. <laughs> so let's just knock it out there. It really is like he got to make Crime Wave with money. Yeah. And. It, it's so fucking Sam Raimi absurd. And I mean, good actors in it and a big budget and actual like really creative ideas for the plot. And then you get this weird movie, but it really shows like the comedy slapstick shit he really wanted to do. And it, it just goes to show you like his first little inklings into doing a superhero movie. Exactly. Then he did the first blockbuster comic series he brought back with his spider-man yep. movies yeah and then you know he did uh they called him in to do dr strange too yeah a couple of years ago they wanted it to be creepier and like fucking call sam he'll do it well and that was the craziest thing about it was spider-man because it wasn't because he did a super like the slapstick superhero stuff in the movie in dark man was not what got him spider-man right. it was his approach and the cinematography which we're going to go real big in the yeah. dp on that film when we get to it but yes it got him fucking spider-man right. because of how he Shot the movie. Anyways, Brightburn, 2019, directed by James Gunn. Wait, no. <laughs> I'm going to go into this a little bit here in a minute, but it was directed by David Yaroveski, who goes by Yarvo for the most part. He did Night Books, which I watched with my kids on Netflix. That was yeah. like a good kids, like horror bridger there. Guardians of the Galaxy Inferno, which if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's uh, a space music video with David Hasselhoff as an alien called like something Hoff. Like it's a different, it's ridiculous. I think I've seen it's this. It's a space disco. It's fucking crazy. He did the Belco Experiment VR game. Okay. He's the director of that. The Hive, which I haven't seen. Got nothing. I mean, it's a horror movie. He did some music videos like Corn and stuff. Okay. And then some episodes of Team Unicorn skits. Which ah. They're usually pretty fucking funny. I'll wait till you get to the end. I'll, not the end of the movie, but like, let me go through my cast and crew and, and kind of go on what I think was directed by who and what. <laughs> uh, written by Brian Gunn, who wrote Journey to the Center of Earth 2, PG Porn, which was produced by Yarvo. Yep. Bring It On Again, <laughs> Together, which is a like a... I guess early 2000s movie making fun of like NSYNC and, and Backstreet Boys. It was like a oh, man yeah. of women. I never saw it. He's James Gunn's brother. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Gunn was the other writer. All of the same movies I just said, and he's their cousin. Okay. Okay. The movie's produced by James Gunn. Produced. Jesse Ayer quotes. This feels like the Boko experiment. <laughs> a little bit of his stuff because we've covered him a bit. Uh, not as a producer, but, you know, he... All the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Peacemaker shows, Suicide Squad, 
Super was probably his first superhero film. Yeah. Uh, he worked on Sergeant Kabuki Man, though, a little bit. <laughs> uh, PG porn, Slither, Belko, and random trauma positions, right? Yeah. This movie came out, or the trailer started coming out, and it got announced right when he got in that social media shit where Disney temporarily fired him. Yeah. From Guardians of the Galaxy, from like some... I mean, it was like a, it was a raunchy as fuck tweet, but it was like <laughs> over a decade old. Yeah. And he had deleted it a decade ago and he worked for trauma when he made the joke, <laughs> right? Which he stated and he publicly apologized a decade before Me Too was a thing, right? Dude. I, th- and, and somebody brought it up and he got shit canned. Yeah. I mean, me and you even butted heads about it at your birthday party because I was, I, I had gotten pissed about it because I'm like, you know, kids is where I draw the line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like. Like you said, like this is when he was at Troma. Like I didn't, everything had been deleted at that point. So I'm just going by secondhand stuff, right. and I didn't, I didn't even know how how old it was. And this was like the tipping point of right. fucking cancel culture bullshit. And he's like, I worked for Troma. We made all of our <laughs> money off of shock value jokes. I knew it was wrong. A few years later, I deleted it. You yeah. know, and he's like, I don't, you know, condone any of this shit. So his was just a weird thing. Yeah. But this movie got announced and came out. And you saw that it was directed by this guy that I didn't really know and written by people related to James Gunn. And the James Gunn was the producer. And I'm like, so James Gunn made it, right? Because <laughs> they didn't want to put his name on it, yeah, right? exactly. And then I watched the movie to try to get a vibe. And I'm like, so James Gunn made it, right? <laughs> and uh, this is like a poltergeist kind of thing with Toby Hooper and Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. I watched behind the scenes, okay? Okay. I saw Yarvo directing stuff. Okay. I also saw what looked like James Gunn directing stuff, <laughs> but he was producer hands-on on set, advising everyone every fucking day, though. And that's how he was on Boko. So he's basically the director. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I love James Gunn. I feel like he's really good at spinning stories and bullshitting. I think he's <laughs> mastered it. And he started going on this thing about like how he's worked with Yarvo a lot, but in reversed roles. Usually he was directing things that Yarvo produced. Okay. And he thought he just had really great horror timing. And like it was time to make sure he got his break. And then I look and like they worked on like one or two little small, <laughs> tiny, short indie projects together <laughs> where he was the producer and James uh, directed it. But it's because Brian and Mark wrote it. So he was just like helping his brother and cousin get something out. Right. Okay. So I'm like, they didn't really work together. But some of the scenes, um, you know, when Tori's hiding on the counter trying to call 911. And Brandon's like smashing the house. Like I saw David direct that scene and like make her like pick her faces and shit like that. So he definitely did work. I'm not okay. trying to discount the guy, but I feel like James Gunn was a bigger part of the process than what is admitted. I I agree with all of that. I mean, it, this movie feels like <laughs> Slither. It it does. Yeah. It, it feels like not it, just because Banks is in it, but but it helps. Yeah. Um. But anything it, helps her. She's great. But it does. Like you could get you could get to the closing credits of Slither and then like go out to an Indiana Jones map and, yeah. and go to the next town over an X amount of years later and, and drop in and, and you're in the, you're in that same universe. hundred <laughs> percent fucking agree. That's a funny, Oh my God, my ADHD, what we watched, you just kind of fucked me a little bit. The Indiana Jones map for father's day. I like to make my kids watch eighties movies with me. Okay. I got Aiden hooked on Indiana Jones movies. Okay. So we watched all of them except for crystal skull. <laughs> and then the new movie came out. We went and saw it open at night together. I got to go see a new fucking Indiana Jones movie. I think I told you about yeah, this. Yeah, you did. But one episode, it was really good and I liked it, but it was cool getting to take my fucking nine year old son to see a nine 
to see a new Indiana Jones movie. Uh, I thought you were going to say a 90-year-old Harrison Ford. <laughs> Almost. He's 81 right now. Um, and then we watched Crystal Skull the next day, and he actually liked it. And I think maybe it's kind of like the Ewoks being mis- misunderstood. Uh-huh. Return of the Jedi. I think maybe Aiden was the target audience for the monkey jokes and Shia LaBeouf swinging with maybe. Them, you know. Anyway, sorry that was so far out there, but it just kind of like jumped around. Steven Spielberg, like the whole thing, it just kind of came in. But yeah, it, it's really like that. I like even all of the featurette snippets of Brightburn. James Gunn's the one like leading all the conversations. Uh, so Helen. I'm not trying to doubt Yarvo's skill set. And, and like I said, I saw him direct one of my favorite scenes in the movie, like on the featurette. <laughs> I'm sure like I don't think it like, you know, when you watch Poltergeist, like I think Steven Spielberg straight up directed scenes. Oh yeah. I, and Toby I don't know. Hooper straight up directed other right, scenes. Right. They're too obvious. We, we did this before. <laughs> I don't I don't think James Gunn did that. He might have done a scene or two, right? Uh, kind of like James Wan getting called in to do the fucking Annabelle basement elevator scene. Like, they got him to just do one scene. So it'd be fucking dark, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm not saying he didn't do something like that, but I have a feeling he, like, obviously they're friends with Yarva, and they think he's got talent. And he's like, maybe if I help him direct this movie... Uh, but I bet I just I, there's not this is all we're talking podcasters full of shit I'm not gonna say any of this is fact I have a feeling this movie was probably intended to be directed by James and the social shit hit and they're like well Yarva's good I think he could do this and with you helping him James yep and this was like to help him make his big step in uh into directing and I don't remember if night books came out first or that I don't know but I mean if you look he, James trusted him to direct the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, it's a music video, but it was like a short film. Yeah. And the Belko Experiment game, right? So, like, obviously, I think he's got some talent, but I really feel like James is really hands-on. Yeah. that's. I, I think you're where there's smoke, there's fire, sir, and this makes entirely yeah. too much sense. And Because um, we've covered James Gunn, and we fucking love James Gunn. This is a James Gunn movie. God, this is one of the last movies I saw in theaters before COVID. It's, it's fucking great, dude. It's I'm weird, so glad it's weird to, to, to market in that time. I actually didn't get to see it in theaters. Oh, damn. But uh, the cast, I'm not going to cover, I'm not only going to cover the three main characters. Some of the other hey, people. That's what I did. I might, yeah, I've had a feeling you do that. Uh, I, I might throw in some other people as we hit them. I guarantee you one at the end. But <laughs> Elizabeth Banks as Tori Breyer, the mom. Uh, she's been a lot of shit, obviously, <laughs> but most notably, probably to people, Hunger Games. She was in Slither, which. You know, special place in my heart always. The Uninvited. She's hilarious in the Pitch Perfect movies, and she was the executive producer of the new Power Rangers movie and played Rita Repulsa, which I thought was awesome <laughs> that she did that. Not to mention the Judd Apatow movies and yeah, Zack and Mary yeah. make a porno. Like. I was going to list the whole Judd Apatow thing, and I was like, I'm going to do my normal horror, <laughs> horror adjacent kind of thing, you know, except for Pitch Perfect and Power Rangers, but those kind of hit that weird meta thing. But yeah, she did a lot of Judd Apatow movies, and she can play serious. She can play scared. She can play comedy like fucking nobody's business. Well, that's why I wanted to bring all that up, because like my brain immediately goes to 40 year old virgin and just the joke. You know, I I hope you got a big trunk so I can put my bike in it. And she's like, we can do it in the but if you want Um, like that kind of comedic timing is like really good for her. This movie, on the other hand, like let's take this and slither. Uh-huh. she's so much better in this than she is in Slither. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just like, she's, I believe her right. in this movie, especially as a mom. I Yeah, she and, was the and, best choice and, for the mom. And not this. even, like, she embraces the role of a mother as, and it's not her kid. And she's, right. I still believe that she believes that she's the mom. She's so good in this. It, it's so funny. James Gunn said in one of the featurettes that 
this movie means something different to almost everyone involved. And it cuts to different people. And, like, she's like, this is a movie about a mom loving her adopted son no matter what he does. Well, that's what I saw. (laughs) (laughs) So she cares. But, like, the the dad, right? Like, he's got a whole different perspective. I'm going to get into that in a minute, too. And it kind of, like, I'm going to go as much detail as I can. I'm going to warn you guys. This is going to be the most, like, inferred information I have ever done on a film here. (laughs) And I love this movie. I've seen it a lot. I watched everything I could for it. There's not a whole lot out there. And a lot of it is obviously borrowed from like DC comics and stuff. And I'm a fucking nerd. So I'm using all that. I'm going to give you like my opinion on stuff as I go for a a lot of the extra shit I have. That's because there's not a lot. This movie needs to be covered. I know a lot of people that hadn't seen it when I bring it up and then I make them watch it and they text me and like, fucking thank you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's an awesome movie. That's good. The dad, Kyle Breyer, he was played by David Denman and I'm actually surprised he hasn't had more big roles. He's done a lot of random little gun associated projects. So I have a feeling he's a friend of the family. Okay. That needs a breakout role. And I feel like this was probably an attempt, but this movie's timing was kind of horrendous when it came out. <laughs> um, he's done a lot of TV, like a lot of random episodes. Uh, but not just that. He's, he seems to be like a character that'll show up on a TV show for at least a story arc for a few episodes, right? Okay. One of them really jumped out to me. Did you watch Angel, the Buffy spinoff? Yeah. Do you remember the demon Skip with like the metal armor and the blade plates? And he looks kind of like a robot. Vaguely. It's him. Okay. (laughs) He's been in a lot of random Elizabeth Banks movies too. Like any small indie project she did, he's always in it. So I have a feeling he's probably actually friends with Elizabeth Banks in real life. Okay. And she's friends with James Gunn. There you go. So any like the little parts he had in some of the spinoff gun affiliated films is probably because these are all friends. And that's what made Slither so good. Yeah. Slither was a bunch of friends got together, made a movie. Everybody cared. And that's what this movie is because James Gunn fucking made it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back. I'm going back. All right. Last actor. And then I'm going to dive into this film. Jackson A. Dunn plays Brandon Breyer. They interviewed a shit ton of kids. He was like the first day though. And they're like, we want him, but we have to go through this many kids. Like it's like protocol. Yep. And they kept him. And I haven't seen him a whole lot. But he's f- fucking great for this. Like there's a difference between creepy kid and like what he had to pull off, I feel like. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a minute a little more detail. But he was on the TV show <laughs> Shameless for several episodes. He's in the Avengers movies as uh young Ant Man. So he plays Paul Rudd as a kid when you see him. Okay. Which is kind of neat that he gets to play Paul Rudd. Who also does a lot of shit with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. There's like a circle here that's a circle and a circle and some <laughs> random TV. He hasn't been in a whole lot. Good actor, though. Yeah. He plays Mama's Boy Kid and Satan perfectly. Like, let this kid be in a be Damien in an Omen movie. Let's just do it. Um, well, it doesn't matter because I know I'm superior to you. <laughs> like, exactly. oh, yeah, that's the kid. <laughs> I didn't notate any special effects. Uh, I feel bad, you know. Everybody deserves to get mentioned, but it wasn't. This isn't a special effects heavy movie. No. Uh, Very little digital work, which is mostly shoddy. You could tell it it was good. Way better than anything I could even fucking imagine ever doing. (laughs) But you could tell they didn't have a lot of money to make this movie. Yeah. Um, And the makeup works really good and the costumes and shit. Like, it looks good, but this wasn't one of them where, like, this big studio that did these movies did all this shit, right? Yeah. I'm going to just go ahead and say it here. Like I said, most of this is opinion related, but I can back up a good (laughs) bit of it with uh, substantial facts. This is the deconstruction of the Superman story. 
dude, he's supposed to be Superman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was about to blow Josh's mind. We really don't talk about these things before we record. No, um, no. Now, in all seriousness, this is me seeing it in the theater. He's supposed to be fucking Superman. <laughs> gotcha. So this takes place on a farm in Kansas, which yeah. is Superman from Smallville, Kansas, right? Carry on my wayward son. Couple wishing for a child finds a crashed spaceship with a humanoid baby in it and raises it as their own. And he has the same powers. Like, right. He has the laser eyes. He has flight. He's invincible. He has super strength and he has a weakness to something from his home planet. Yep. Okay. Throughout the movie, he wears a lot of red, blue, and yellow. Yep. Which is Superman's colors. And this is another inferred thing, but Lex Luthor's entire plot in the Superman series, he's not really a bad guy. Lex Luthor's a hero in his mind. And I don't mean like in a psychopath way. He's like, <laughs> this dude's an alien from outer space that's fucking invincible and can fuck us up. And we're just giving him unbridled celebrity access to the world. What if he turns on us one day? Yep. And we don't know how to stop him. I got to figure out how to stop him. Right. And that was always Lex Luthor's fear in the comics. And this movie shows you, like, if that would have happened to Clark Kent, right? Yep. Which is really neat. He's got an alliterative of name, Brandon Breyer, like Peter Parker, Bruce Banner. Like, it's really oh. popular in comics. I could have kept that list going a lot longer, I swear. Um, just not always <laughs> a need for it, right? <laughs> this is something that's also opinion-based, but I really feel like this movie follows the pattern and tropes of the parents of the demon child type subgenre. Okay. One parent believes the child wholeheartedly, and the other one basically thinks he's the incarnate of hell and, and responsible for everything, and they can't see eye to eye. You got accidents happening. Yep. With an unclear perpetrator, except for to one of the parents. And <laughs> spoiler alert, the parents don't make it out at the end. Dun, dun, dun. That is every demon adoption movie ever made. Yeah. Probably starting with. The Omen, to be honest, but it even goes outside of demon stuff. You think like uh, Orphan, if I remember correctly, and stuff like that. Like this is that's the oh, yeah. same kind of story, right? Yeah. The oh, he he killed a, a another rabbit, and we found it under the house. Like oh, he's just a kid. I don't right. know. I'm yeah. It's yeah. definitely in that vein. Walsh based is what I put as my outline header here. But during the science class, he's discussing bees and wasp, and he mentions that some wasp trick other hives into raising their children for them until they grow to maturity. And then take them back. And that clearly describes what happens to Brandon. And his fucking mask looks like a beer or a wasp. He's got like the proboscis or whatever and stuff. So I noticed that with the laces on the mask. And that's what it always made me think of. That yeah. was, it was like a wasp or an insect. But I didn't tie that scene in the classroom to the costume. So right. yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and his, his bright burn costume is all black and red for the most part to look dark. But it's... Also a deconstruction of the the Superman story because Superman was wrapped. Clark Kent or Call L, I think is his alien name. I'm not a huge DC Comics fan, but he uh, his spaceship, he was wrapped in a red blanket. Yeah. And that's what they made his cape out of. And it's like invincible or whatever, right? So it's kind of like he had a red cape and a red mask. And in the nightmare scene, Tori picks him up in a red blanket. But I don't remember if he's in a red blanket initially when they find him. Yeah. So... I kind of mudded that up a little bit in my head because of the way they shot it. But either way, he's wasp based. The school used for the film is Hawkins Middle and Hawkins High from Stranger Things. Oh, nice. So it's kind of neat. I said they knew they wanted Jackson as soon as they saw him, but they had to interview more. I already, already hit that one. Everyone sees the film as something different. I don't remember the specifics other than Elizabeth Banks talking about the mom and, and son story. Somebody like 
broke out like the evil, you know, superhero thing, like, like different people, depending on who they played and, and what mindset they got in there, like got extra or different values out of the film. It's kind of neat because it does hit a lot of things like the it's a superhero movie. It's a slasher movie. It's a demon adoption movie. It's a it is a movie about a family and parenting and adoption. Yep. Like, like it, it really does hit a lot of that. And taglines. Um, I think I was erroneously saying log lines a lot and we did this but really we cover the taglines for the film true that are used for the the marketing purposes and i want to start clarifying that <laughs> so this film actually had three taglines imagine what he could become he's not here to save the world evil has found its superhero i mean i really don't like any of them. i get them I, I like the second two i'm not a huge fan of the first one the poster artwork with the tags kind of helps <laughs> shape the whole picture but uh, unless you have anything interesting you know about this film um, to add before I dive in. No, going into it, I knew nothing about it except for that it was supposed to be a a new take on the Superman right. origin story and gun. And that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> I wanted to see it from the trailers, and I definitely got the, the Superman comparisons from the trailer watching it. Yeah. I didn't realize how on the nose it was going to be. Right? <laughs> Earlier, <laughs> no, right? I didn't expect how on the nose it was going to be. And it, it was not done in a cheesy or shoddy way. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's twist it. It was like, what if? I think it's it's that James Gunn, I don't give a fuck attitude is why. Yeah. Literally just 100% stole things straight from Superman. Yeah. Didn't try to modify it. Exactly. Didn't try to like sugarcoat it. He's just like, I'm telling a different story that's very similar. And all of the back information is exactly the same, and I just stole it. Well, it's like if you went to, because uh, you got this whole, at least in the movies, you've got this jump of, you know, what was it like? And I mean, there was Smallville and stuff like that, but like, yeah. but like, what was it like? It's like the joke Kevin Smith makes about the missing years of Jesus's life. Right. Like, like what really happened in there? And it feels like that, like. Well, what if this is what was happening there? What, <laughs> what if this was really was a period before he became a hero? What if this leads up yeah. to some terrible fucking nearly earth ending thing? And he's like, I'm going to save. I was sent here to destroy these people and now I'm going to save them. You right. know, like who knows now the comics may go into that. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I actually have a, a little bit of notes. I remember correctly in here that references some stuff that Brandon has happened to him. That young Clark Kent has had happen in every version of his origin story at okay. some point. All right, we open with a shot of the Briars family farm and we get a tour through the house, which is filled with how to get pregnant books and fertility books and adoption books everywhere to kind of set the tone here. Plant the seed. Yeah. yeah. And then we <laughs> speaking of which we can hear Kyle trying to sexy time plant the seed and to Tori as they're talking and uh, the camera kind of goes to them and we can see they're fooling around in, in the bed a bit. And Tori's like, wait a minute. Did you hear that? And she gets off Kyle and out of the bed and walks to the doorway, which is kind of unique. I'm going to come back to that later. There's a couple times in the movie where she hears or feels something that nobody else does. Yeah. But that's one of them because you didn't, there was no light flicker. There was no bang. Right. And she says it and he's like, no, I didn't hear anything. And she's like, I guess you're right. And then jump scare. Right. Cause it is so <laughs> fucking loud. If you have your surround sound cranked and the power goes out and it looks like the house got hit by like a fucking meteor. Cause it kind of did. Right. It's like critters. <laughs> it is way bigger though. <laughs> they look out the window and they see something glowing red off in the woods in the distance. Right. And then we cut through a series of home videos of baby Brandon growing up, which I a hundred percent feel like is actual home video footage of the actor. Okay. There's no way it's not the same baby. 
Yeah, he has a unique bone structure. Yeah, and eyes and everything. It's the same kid. It, it 100% is. They had to have taken actual, like, luckily this kid had a lot of birthday video footage on VHS. <laughs> and they just have, you know, the, the actors, like, uh, narrating over it. Like, doing the voiceover yeah. work. Like, oh, look at him crawl. But there's no way it's not the fucking kid. Once again, this is me. Having an opinion on <laughs> no facts to back this up, but look at the fucking kid, okay? <laughs> we get a look at the average day for the Briars family on the farm. We can see that Tori and Brandon regularly play hide and seek, and they have this like unique whistle they'll do during the game. They do the whistle to each other, kind of like saying Marco Polo. Yeah. And it's very Hunger Games whistle oriented which is kind of funny because she's from hunger games and uh oh yeah he better not be in the porn that yeah. gets said a few times here right yeah, that's where daddy keeps his porn collection yeah <laughs> so tori finds him in the barn right <laughs> but she's not angry with him she starts to start, like the claw like tickle wrestle and play and he's laughing you can tell he's a mama's boy and very close to his mom and his mom very much loves him right like right out the gate here kyle the dad sees them in the field coming out of the barn and he immediately asks tori was he in the barn and uh he likes to remind brandon to stay away from the barn because there's a lot of sharp rusted tools in there that he could get hurt on you know obvious reasons come on all those boards and nails and shit don't want you breaking your neck And then we cut immediately to Brandon at school in science class. And the science teacher is James Gunn's wife. (laughs) Who's unlike, it was his girlfriend forever. I think they very recently got married, like a few months ago. Okay. What's her name? Jennifer Holland, I think. And she's like the the main chick in the Peacemaker show and stuff like that, right? I was wondering why she, we we just watched this again last night for the podcast. And I'm like, why does she look so fucking familiar? She's been in almost every James Gunn movie semi-recently, right? Like, she's in, like, Guardians of the Galaxy movies with random people and shit. So. Okay. Jennifer Holland. It's in my notes right there. Okay. <laughs> there we go. My memory my memory still stands. It's so funny. But she's in a lot of his work. But anyways, this is a scene I was talking about earlier where Brandon starts to reference how wasp work and the hive thing and stuff like that. And what you really get from this scene is that Brandon is really, really fucking smart and all the other kids in school pick on him regularly. Yup. And then we see the girl, Caitlin, that sets, I don't remember, in front of him or behind him? In front of him. Yeah, yeah. She turns back and looks at him and she seems really nice and sweet to him. Honestly, she really does. And she lets him know that don't worry, when you get older, the girls always go for the smart kids. She implies that, but she says it's the smart guys that own the world. (laughs) (laughs) I have never caught that. Because I had to stop and I asked the wife, I was like, did she just use this exact verbiage? I'm like, because that's deeper than that is run funny. the world, it's own the world. That is funny. I've never called that because this is one of my, I just, I need to put a movie on and I like rewatching it kind of things. I watch it all the time. I've never caught that. It's awesome though. But we cut back to the Briar's house that night and Tori's checking on Brandon to make sure he is asleep. And then she hits up her art studio where she likes to paint and shit, which that kind of comes up a little bit in the plot later. And we can see the barn and we start to hear this weird growling, mumbling voice, almost like the sounds from the 90s when you'd watch the news with Satanic Panic where they'd play records (laughs) backwards. And they would try to convince you on the news. You remember that shit in your kids? Yes. Like, they obviously said, kill your mother and worship Satan. And it's like, I just heard. Well, and then we went and and like you could do audio clips uh, for like five seconds yeah. on a Windows machine at that time. And I remember taking bushes 
uh, glycerine because it was supposed yeah. to say my hero is Satan when you played it backwards. Yeah, yeah. Like even in our time. <laughs> well, what we did actually, I think we took the CD or the tape. It might even been a cassette tape. It may to have your been. dad's studio. I think we dumped it to reel to reel and played the reel to reel backwards. That makes a lot but more sense. But even then, that was after the earlier Satanic Panic oh, yeah. days where it was on like Dateline and shit. Now, but really, it, it's un, unlegible. Like you can't understand what the fuck it's saying just like back then. In all seriousness, in this part of the movie, I was joking with the wife and going, it's <clears throat> cold. Chicago. <laughs> what? <laughs> it sounded like it's saying cold Chicago. Okay, okay. I'll have to like rewatch the scene and, and keep that in mind. I was a little high. Ah, okay. I mean, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> well, the vice is always better from somebody that used to do drugs. Because that means you actually know what the fuck you're talking about, right? But <laughs> he's blunt, but he's got a point. Jesus. Uh, the blunt is the point in this, <laughs> this particular conversation. Either way, the sounds of satanic panic. I have killed Josh in the background. I'm just going to let him keep rolling laughing back there. Start to affect Brandon in his sleep. And he starts to convulse in his bed. And we see him get up walking like in a sleepwalking state straight the fuck out the second story window and like suicide drop down to the bottom. And we hear him smack like a sack of potatoes, just like his mom did in the art studio or she sensed it. Yes. She knows some shit happened. Motherfucker said the blunt is the point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where it came from. Okay. I'm just rolling here. No, what's funny is it took me like 10 seconds to realize, oh, blunt. (laughs) That's why I started cracking up. I'm sorry. And I was never even really a pothead. I just fucking made that joke up out of nowhere. Anyways. um, Yeah. I don't think Tori actually heard anything, right? Like, I feel like she sensed it kind of like when the ship came. I really do. Probably. Because we heard a sack of potatoes, like, smack, but there's no way she heard that in her art studio with the fucking music playing. Anyway, she looks at the bar and out the window. Shit looks wonky, and she heads outside. She hears something whoosh behind her, and I think we might even get a little blur, right? Because that starts to happen about here of a silhouette, like, whoosh right by. And then she starts to call for Brandon, and she just starts running fucking full speed towards the barn. She yeah. knows something's up. She finds Brandon in the barn on his knees, grabbing the basement barn shutter doors, which are chained shut, yanking the fuck out of them like a maniac and saying weird shit in a weird language that sounds like what we heard coming from the ship earlier. And uh, Tori grabs him to snap him out of it, and he seems actually scared, and he says he thinks he heard voices in his sleep, right? He doesn't know (laughs) what the fuck's going on at this point. And his mom just thinks he was sleepwalking. So we see her tuck him into bed. She sings him a song, which helps put him to sleep. And you're still getting that vibe how much mom and son care for each other, right? Absolutely. Tori then heads to the bedroom, and Kyle wants to know what the fuck was going on. And she tells him that Brandon was sleepwalking, but all she says is she found him downstairs in the kitchen and changes the subject to let's go to bed. Uh Uh-huh. Not mention the barn, because the nails and shit. (laughs) Yeah, that. The next morning, we see Kyle and Brandon working on house chores together and bonding together because we got to get the the dad-son relationship at this point. And Brandon helps Kyle work on various things and put it together. And Kyle gives Brandon a piece of candy, and he tells him a story about the first time mom left Brandon home alone with him and how he was scared and didn't know how to be a fucking dad. And Brandon just started crying as soon as his mom left. And he would not stop crying. And he pulled out one of these pieces of candy <laughs> and fed it to him. And he stopped crying. And he's like, so you just bribed me with candy. And he's like, well, yeah, basically. Right? <laughs> um, I think there's a deeper point to that conversation there, though, than showing the dad being scared in the bonding. I think that was important. But I think we were supposed to really see the attachment to the mom who had left. Yeah. Because that just keeps coming back in here. 
He's definitely a mama's boy, though. <laughs> yes, through and through. But somewhere near Kyle says he has to run into town, and he asks Brandon if he could start on cutting the yard. And for some bullshit reason, they have a push mower and not like a tractor or a John Deere. Okay, the wife brought up the same point. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what she says. She's like, why, why don't they have a fucking tractor? If you'll notice, when he's trying to crank the lawnmower, you can see the top of a picket fence. Okay. So I'm betting he was just supposed to cut, like, the front yard, and uh, everything else does get cut with a tractor. Probably. That's real fucking funny that y'all both said that shit, though. <laughs> it's actually, like, I'm way less cynical to things than you and Ginger. <laughs> but it is funny, the random ones that bother me. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love it when we have huge breaks in between these episodes. <laughs> it's so good uh, for us. I don't know about the listeners. <laughs> but anyways, big ass farm, push mower, suspend belief. Josh might have just validated it, though. So <laughs> Brandon, he might not be human, but he has the same human problems we have trying to crank those fucking things, right? Yes. He's just yanking and yanking. He can't get the goddamn thing to crank. And then... All of a sudden, he yanks that son bitch way too hard and slings it like 100 yards behind him, okay? Yeah, next county and shit. And it like hits the grass. There's a dust cloud. That's some of that CGI that's like, yeah, it looks like me and Josh tried to figure out a composite. I'm still okay with it. It would have looked way worse if we did it. I'm just saying, <laughs> but like, I get that vibe when I say it. It would have been cut out in a perfect fucking rectangle. <laughs> yeah. the Different color background and shit. Yes. It's like, why is the push is blue? Fuck it. Um I'll fix it in post. This is post, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Brandon approaches the lawnmower and it's laying upside down. The blades are spinning, right? I was going to say, it's fucking running, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got it cranked. That's Sometimes you got to yank that motherfucker so hard the string breaks. So that's how you did it. But here's the blades whirling and it starts to sound like the Twisted Sister album played backwards that we heard earlier. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And he starts to hear the weird sounds and he sticks his hands into the moving blades, which hit his hand and the blades break and he doesn't have a mark on them. I believe most versions of the Superman origin story that I have seen or read has something happened to him on the family farm to be his first showcase of powers to himself. Uh, one of the things I know a baseball gets thrown by his dad and it rolls behind something. He can see it through the wall. Yeah. Right. Uh, there was moving something like it, they, they they regularly do it. But usually when they redo the origin story, they try to not reinvent the wheel, but not reuse the same thing. And this was a really good job, I think, of doing that. Well, and the wife and I talked about this as well, because maybe in the cynic that I am, that his powers didn't exist yet until no. he could hear the sound because that ship kicking in is what made it do yes. it. It has something to do with his 12th birthday. Cause yes. that, we're about to go into that. Exactly. So anybody that's like, I was jokingly saying like, okay, well what about when he went to get his first 8 million vaccines? Like we're going to cover that. Actually his powers did kick in, but not fully. Uh, but the dad I'm, mentions it. So he, he might not be vaccinated. But the dad says not a cut, not a bruise. Da, da, not da, a scratch. Da. He said he doesn't bleed no matter whatever happened. Yeah. He doesn't bleed. So he was already invincible. But I do want to say that for anybody that's a Josh, that's like, well, what about when he first went to a doctor's or da, 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 they found his ass in a fucking spaceship. When they lied. How, and so they adopted him. Exactly. He might have never seen a fucking pediatrician. And that's the other out for that. So you've, you've got one out of the full, full powers didn't kick in until X, but he right. is in school. Schools would require vaccination records. I'm Maybe not, not a farm town. We're going to suspend belief. True. But I'm just saying you can take either path. Yeah. Either they didn't fully kick in until now, or like you said, he's fucking adopted in the middle of nowhere. They could have hid this shit. But they should just say they don't have all the papers. because They could have just said we're all sorts of stuff. We're devout grass worshipers and you're not allowed to <laughs> impede on our fucking religion. Anyways. <laughs> 
and somewhere in there, Tori, I think it's when she confesses everything to Brandon. It's not my nose, but she says like how he was very sick when they found him. Yeah. And she had to like nurse him to nurse health. him to health and stuff. So I mean, maybe not a whole lot of doctor stuff. <laughs> but we do he know he never got sick again. But we do know the story, or at least Kevin Smith, that his powers are enhanced by Earth's yellow sun, like you <laughs> brought up earlier. <laughs> that was off air. We were talking about some other random shit, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know about his powers being the sun, but Superman's are. Oh, yeah. He kicked that fucking womb. No, back to rats right there. I think it's mall rats, right? Yes, that's okay. mall rats. The only way he could bang her is with a kryptonite condom, which would kill him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. We're going to cut to the small town diner that was obviously a Den- Denver's that they boarded up. If you just look at the shape and shit. It's Brandon's Denver's? birthday. Danvers, yes. Okay. <laughs> We've been hammering beers, so uh, this is what happens when we record live. This one's actually face-to-face, by the way. If I didn't say that earlier, <laughs> that's why we're dragging on longer, more bullshit stories, and drunker. Like, yeah. this is how it happens. Yeah, sorry. We're just hanging out and recording a yeah, podcast yeah. while we're hanging out, guys. That's how the podcast started. You you guys actually got better episodes because of COVID when we had to start doing it remote. <laughs> uh, anyways, um... God bless. We're we're at Brandon's 12th birthday party at a shitty Danvers farm version of Chuck E. Cheese's, and they're playing arcade games. Mom, mom and Brandon are, and they're bonding, and they're, like, doing the claw game, and, like, mom can actually get the animal for Brandon that he couldn't get, this and that, doing all this kid shit, having fun, okay? We also get to meet his aunt and uncle, and his aunt works at the school. She's the head guidance counselor, but she's basically saying how much of a genius he is. Like he's in the top 1% of the top 1%, yada, yada, yada. And his uncle is played by the guy that played Badger on Breaking Bad, who I think's name was Brandon Breyer on Breaking Bad. I have to double check. Wow. It was at least Brandon. See, now I haven't watched Breaking Bad, but he's so fucking familiar to me in this movie. I don't know what I know him from, and I didn't look him up. I will look it up for you later. Maybe I'll add it into the notes. It's not really relevant to the episode, but he has probably had small parts and things that you've seen because I've okay. seen him in other shit. First thing I saw him in was Breaking Bad, and then I would see him have small roles, smaller than this. Screen time's small in this movie, but he has an important role in this film. Yeah. But like smaller than this, I would start seeing him in things after the fact. And okay. I always recognize him because he's got a very unique voice. Yeah. And, and appearance and stuff. But his name was, a, he went by Badger. His name was at least Brandon, but I feel like it was like, Brandon Breyer, Brandon Bryant, something really close. I'll look that up, too. That's crazy. Anyways, aunt, school guidance counselor, uncle happens to also be dad's best friend. Uncle got Brandon a hunting rifle for his birthday, and Tori seems really okay with it because it's her sister, right? And Kyle gets a little pissed. He's like, I said no guns yet. He's too young for him. And then Brandon starts to get hissy about not getting his gun has a hissy fit and he slams his fist down on the table which makes all the lights flicker and all the arcade games and shit shut off right because yep. that super strength's coming in and he just fucking he shook the phase on the fucking transformer or something when he did it <laughs> and um everyone in the restaurant heard the loud bang including the waitress who's gonna pop up later and they all are like staring at the family right and his dad's like, it's time to go home. And he starts to refuse. And his dad grabs his arm. He starts yanking like a motherfucker. And Brandon's not moving at all. And he starts being a little shit to his dad. And he looks pissed like he's about to do something about it. His mom's like, you need to be nice to your dad and get the fuck up. We're going home. He does it because mama said it. Right. Yep. Dad was about to die right there. Mama just saved his life. Everyone's life for now. This lends credence to that whole small town thing. Like, hey, you're 12. Let's give you a shotgun in, in a fucking restaurant or rifle in a restaurant like that. That We live in a pretty big city where well, all of my 
side of the family would have done that. It's not that uncommon, but I don't think I'd do it in a restaurant. That's the only part yeah, that's weird. Yeah, you're right. But knowing the context of the movie, dad's more like, you're not giving this fucking alien a gun. Right. <laughs> the dad's like, Luther in this fucking movie. Yes. God, the dad is like so convincing on a certain scene towards the end of the movie. Like that we'll get to. He's just so good in this. Anyways, we were talking about actors earlier that need to get more roles, right? Like we, we said, Will Poulter, I think on air, yeah. I was talking about Patrick Wilson off air. And th- this guy is on that list though. Oh, he's great. Anyways, we cut back to the, the Briar's house and Brandon's put in bed and Kyle says he doesn't know what they're going to do with that kid sometimes. And Tori reminds him that they were way worse when they were kids and that their parents didn't give a shit about what they did or pay attention. And, uh, they need to be better parents than that to Brandon. Remember when we were 12 and fooling around in the basement? Right, right. <laughs> Kyle then suggests that maybe they should go on a family camping trip for the weekend. Cause it's been a while since they've done that. And he suggests that they do something else that they haven't done in a while. I know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Gone to church. We have not gone to church in a while. Right, yeah. But yeah, I don't think going to church is what uh, Kyle had in mind when he said it. No. Or cleaning out the closet. Sometimes we call it cleaning out the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we cut to the weekend as mom and pop are loading the car for the family camping trip while the little shit hangs out in the kitchen table, not helping. Sorry if I'm reflecting a little bit. (laughs) I was going to say, this is a predetermined fucking outcome. But I go out of town a lot and my kids will just sit in the house fucking playing on their iPads (laughs) while I'm rolling their suitcases out. Obviously, they can't put them in the cargo carrier on top of my fucking Subaru. But they can roll their suitcase to me. (laughs) Anyways, a little bit of self-reflection. Tori asks Brandon to help and then he zones out and she goes outside because she's always fucking oblivious to shit he's doing that's negative. And then Kyle's like, dude, go help your mom. And then realizes that he's chewing on a fork because he was eating like pancakes or something, right? Eggs. Eggs. There we go. His dad's like snapping like his fingers. high watching yeah. this. <laughs> he literally snaps out of it when the dad grabs him and he pulls a mangled fork out of his mouth. Like that would have chipped human teeth. Generally. Yes, Absolutely. We see Kyle run up to Tori to tell her what happened in Brandon's room, but she is distracted by some pages she sees hanging out from under his mattress, right? And she pulls it out, and they're laughing, like, oh, I knew this day would come. And you got a lot of, like, Victoria's Secret spreads, right? Like, there's underwear models. They're flipping through. Josh has his flashback to uh, the Sears catalog days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The underwear section and the Christmas wish list section. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the best two parts. The only two parts. Yes. Anyways, Tori's slipping through and they think it's funny. They're making jokes. And then they start to hit some weird anatomy photos. They get weirder into surgery photos. And Tori wants to know if it's a guy thing. And Kyle's <laughs> like, it's not any guy thing I know of. And uh, they decide they need to have the talk with him, which I'm still dreading that day. Son, it's okay to see inside a woman, just not like this. <laughs> My notes, they literally say right here, I'm not sure if they mean the sex talk or the don't disembowel people talk. <laughs> Right? I'm not sure where they were going. We then got to Tori setting up the campsite and see that Kyle and Brandon are out hunting. Kyle has a gun. Brandon doesn't. Dad's just helping, right? I feel like there's probably a deleted scene. I bet Brandon's usually the trekker because that comes into place later. Oh, yeah. Because he's really good at trekking the deer treks. But while they're sitting there waiting on a deer to come by, Kyle starts talking about how it's okay to check out girls at his age. And it's okay to touch his penis. And it's very awkward, mostly due to him saying 
it's okay to think about girls' organs or it's not just about organs because <laughs> you don't know where he's going with that. Kyle tells Brandon that it's more about love and that it's okay to give into that urge if he needs to and to play with himself. And Brandon's very nonchalant, just blindly staring at his dad, the whole thing, and then just randomly says, like, right now? <laughs> and he's like, no, not right now. Good talk. But we cut to that night, and we can see Tori randomly waking up in the tent. Once again, like, she has a sixth sense about things, and uh, Kyle's passed out snoring, but Brandon's nowhere to be found. She assumes he's sleepwalking again and randomly lost out in the woods, so she panics and goes to look for him. However, we cut to Caitlin's house, the girl that was nice to him earlier, and she's awoken by an Elvis love song playing on her laptop, which she gets up, stops the song, and closes her laptop. She walks back to her bed, and we can kind of see the curtains blowing in the wind or moving in some capacity. And before she can lay down and pull the blankets up, the music's playing again, and she looks over, and the laptop's open. Must be a vampire. The amount of times in my notes I'm going to use the words later where he vamps somewhere (laughs) is going to make that a fucking gold comment right right. there. But she rushes back to the laptop, shuts it, and then stacks a bunch of random shit on it, right? So that it won't open again or whatever the fuck. She tried to rationalize this ass in her head. Good logic. And uh, she turns around and she sees the silhouette of a person in the curtains. And the wind blows and it blows all the way and she can see Brandon. She then screams and calls for her mom who burst into the room and was the waitress at the birthday party at the diner. Yup. She just thinks her daughter was dreaming, but she looks a little startled when she says, Brandon Breyer was in my window. <laughs> Feels very specific, right? Yeah, not just some dude, something. No, like this specific kid. Right. <laughs> but then we got back to the campsite, and we can still see Tori yelling for Brandon in the woods and freaking out, and then he just pops up from behind a tree and says, What, Mom? Sorry, I just needed to pee. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was touching his penis in some girl's bedroom. Ooh, I didn't think about that. Dad said it was okay. Oh, my God, you're right. Like, right now? <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. He was going to, uh, yep. I was wondering why the curtain shot across the room and stuck to the other wall. <laughs> hmm. Anyways. <laughs> and we're back. But we got to school the next day, and we can see that Brandon is drawing what we know as to be the like movie poster and trailer version of his costume in all black and red, with the creepy uh, wall mask, cape and all, and he comes up with this logo, which is the logo on the posters. It looks pretty fucking cool, but you know, like like it was cool in the 90s to do the sharp-edged S thing with yes. the lines? I don't even know what the fuck it meant, but everybody drew it. It's a B in that very sharp-edged style with a line. On the back brace with a reverse B with a sharp edge style. Yes. So it's BB, but if you don't know his name and you just saw the poster, it just looks like a cool symbol. Yeah, it's it's like the Dead Kennedys logo and the Blair Witch stick pattern had a baby. <laughs> and I don't know if I would have figured it out if it wasn't for the sheriff the first time I saw the film. But <laughs> that's why he's there. But when we see him draw and we see his mom walking out of the building talking to, I think it's her sister, but it's definitely the aunt. And... um Asking if she should be worried about his weird jerk-off material. <laughs> and she's like, don't worry about that shit. It's okay. And then she walks over to Brandon, spots what he's drawing, which she closes very quickly. And he's like, what? And she's like, I was just looking at it. It had really good shading. Like she's <laughs> proud of him because she's an artist, right? And she's thinking she's seeing that that art style in him. She wanted to refine it. Uh, okay, I was going to not make this joke, but her paintings suck. I don't even remember what her paintings look like. So oh, there we go. Was, maybe it was supposed to be abstract, but... 
I don't know. James, if you or your wife painted these and you put them in the movie, we apologize. Well, that's what I was going to say. Some asshole is going to be like, you do know that there was a Make-A-Wish kid that painted these and he got them in the movie. That happened to us one time, didn't it? (laughs) Probably. I think it was a Rob Zombie movie and it was a -A Make-A-Wish kid. This sounds familiar. (laughs) Oh, my God. Who else but us? (laughs) Never be mean at a side character. Could be a -A Make-A-Wish kid. It was Rob Zombie's Halloween. I don't think we made fun of the guy. I just think I said no, that he's no, made we, a wish. We, we knew, or you knew. I knew, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just weird because he obviously is like an adult, and you're trying to figure out how to make a wish. Anyways, anyways, that's not weird to discuss. This isn't like donating money to the Children's Hospital at the Spirit of Halloween stores for the season. <laughs> we just keep tiptoeing into that top 100 podcast ranking. Um, <laughs> yeah, just barely skirting around it. <laughs> Sponsors, though, just coming in. Uh <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. We got to go back to remote recording. (laughs) (laughs) That night we see Kyle storing Brandon's hunting rifle in like a shed or something where he has his other guns. And then he hears what he thinks is a wolf or a fox or something, the chicken coop. So he grabs Brandon's gun, cocks it, cuts the corner with a drawn, and he finds Brandon staring blankly into space at the chicken coop while the chickens are going apeshit. He asks Brandon what the fuck he's doing and Brandon snaps out of it and just says, nothing, right? (laughs) So he's sleepwalking probably is what dad's thinking. Because what mom told him. We cut to later that night. Kyle's asleep in bed next to Tori. And he starts hearing the chickens in the coop going ape shit again. And it wakes him up. And uh, he runs out there and he finds the door ripped off the hinges. And the lock's broken on the ground and all that. And the chickens are fucking massacred. They just ripped apart. He goes and gets Tori, shows it to her, and he says he thinks Brandon did it. And she, of course, defends Brandon. And then they argue over... A wolf breaking the lock off and ripping the door <laughs> off the hinges versus Brandon doing it was more logical or not. Exactly. And dad's fucking right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this is a uh, parents adopted a demon child trope. Yeah. We, yeah, keep, yeah. we keep forgetting about that part, mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cut to the next day again. There's a lot of back and forth, like, for the story building this film. But Brandon's a PE class, and they're doing, like, the trust exercise. We never did this in school because of insurance reasons. And it's, it's made <laughs> up. But anyways... The kid's closing his eyes in the middle in a circle of kids, and they just take turns pushing him, and he's trusting the other kids to grab and push him around, right? And he's actually smiling and seems to be having a little bit of a good time, right? Because he's kind of a social outcast, and he's getting to participate with the kids. And then you can see Caitlin's uneasy about the whole thing, and she's kind of like flinching every time he goes by her. And then he finally goes by her, and she yells, Ew, and steps to the side, and he falls. And he, if he was a normal kid, he would have died. Like you hear that fucking skull crack on the sidewalk, but it was actually the concrete cracking. And the teacher's like, "Oh fuck!" Right? Because he thinks the kid just died again in his PE class. Yeah. And like, what do they demote you to lower than PE teacher? <laughs> Damn. Anyways, Brandon, where, where was I? Brandon cracked the sidewalk. Ew. The teacher thinks that Brandon cracked the skull. He's moving and seems conscious. He doesn't have the I'm Batman, I want a Snickers bar eyes yet, right? <laughs> so, so Coach thinks it's okay. He tells Caitlin to help him up. She won't do it. He yells like, at her. Fuck no. She puts her hand down. Brandon stares at her like, are you crazy? And he grabs her hand and he fucking squeezes and he mangles that bitch, snapping every fucking bone in it, right? Yep. 
We then obviously cut to the principal's office <laughs> where all parents involved and the sheriff are there for the discussion about Brandon's suspension and his mandatory counseling. Caitlin's mom, I think her name's Erica, is yes. pissed because she wants him in handcuffs and she says that this is bullshit because the counselor's his fucking aunt. <laughs> Small town. Nepotism. <laughs> She also says that Brandon was in her daughter's room the night before, which that's like, that's fucking impossible. We were, it's like 20 miles. I don't remember how many he says, but it's impossible for a kid to travel that and back, right? Uh, camping. So he thinks it's bullshit. Exactly. Sounds like bullshit at this point. This would be the unexplainable accidents that usually occurs in the adopted demon child trope. Yes. But during all this, Tori is staring out of the window in the principal's office into the hallway where Brandon is sitting and he's just kind of staring at space and she feels really sad for him, right? She snapped out of it by Caitlin's mom, Erica, saying, you don't even know who his real mother is. I'm his real mother. After Tori responds with this, Erica says that she meant the inbred psycho that actually birthed him. And Tori's like, uh, I know what you meant. And if trash talking a 12 year old child makes you sleep better at night, then I think you're the one that needs fucking counseling. Mama got claws. Checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I think right after she says this, they she grabs her family and she's like, we're going. And Caitlin's mom, Erica, tries to give Brandon the stink eye, but his is scarier looking right yeah. back at her. Yeah, yeah. Back at the house, Tori lets Kyle know that she actually found Brandon sleepwalking in the barn because they're kind of arguing a bit when it cuts to him because Brandon's in bed again. The shit's going down, right? And uh, she says he was yanking on the door as to where the thing was. And Kyle wants to know... How the hell he fucking knew it was down there. And uh, then he starts to mention, we were talking about this earlier, that Brandon has never broken a bone, cut himself, or bled in any capacity as long as they've had him, right? There we go. During all of this, we can see Brandon sleeping in his room as it cuts back and forth, and he starts to hear the voices coming from the barn. Then he starts to recite what the voices in the barn are saying with it in that same weird language, and then he walks to the barn, rips the chains off the lock like it's fucking nothing, Pulls it up and finds the ship. It starts to glow red and he begins to like cease reciting the odd language over and over again and starts to say words that we get take and world. It's going to get expanded on here in a little bit. Yup. Tori's in her room reflecting on the argument she just had with her husband and Googling this celestial event that happened the night they found Brandon, right? <laughs> and uh, she notices the red glow coming from the barn, just like she saw through the window in the woods, and hauls ass straight to the barn. When she comes in, Brandon's like creepily floating in the air. Yeah. Like he's fly. I mean, he's not flying, but he's like floating several feet in the air over the open basement doorway, reciting some crazy shit, and she witnesses him fall into the pit where the ship is. His hand hits the side of the ship where it broke, where it crashed, cuts his hand open. He starts to bleed. Holy shit. We've now seen him bleed. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Brandon's actually really fucking shocked that he bled. And he asks where he is, like, what's going on? He's like confused, right? Like, so he's still in kind of a trance. And I believe that. I don't think it's bullshit. I don't think he knows what's happening when the ship summons him. Totally. He wants to know who is he? What is he and where did he come from? Because he knows some shit's up now. And she explains that she's his mother and that they tried to have a baby for a while and they could not. And they prayed and prayed for a miracle. And then he arrived as a miracle. And she says they took him in as a gift given to him by God. And he was just her baby boy to her. And he was, this is where she's like, you know, you were so sick and I had to nurse you to health and blah, blah, blah. And you were sent to us for a reason and that you're somebody special. 
And then he gets really pissed because his parents lied to him, and he runs into the house smashing shit everywhere. Yup. He runs to his room, and Kyle wants to know what's up, and Tori, in tears, just says he found it. Right? And the dad's like, oh, fuck face. Yo. Like, says it all. It's perfect. Brandon randomly, I said he went to his room, but I guess he actually ran outside. He goes out the back door, right? And he's conscious now. He's not, like, in a trance, and he just starts saying, take the world. Take the world. So he figured out what it was saying to him. And then his eyes glow fucking crazy, creepy red. I like, I mean, there's so many ways to do this effect, but this movie, they picked the right one for what they needed. Yeah. And he shoots lasers out of his eyes and he does one of his fucking great blood curdling screams that he does throughout this movie. Homelander's backstory. (laughs) So Homelander's obviously like based off of Superman too, but we cut from this dramatic scene to Caitlin's room as her laptop shorts out and she closes the lid and finds Brandon standing in her room. He says that he's very special and that she sees him as special and she's the only one that knows this and that they're going to be together. Okay. And he brought a flower with him, which he throws at her as she like kind of falls on the bed, like into her lap. And she tells him that her mom said that she could never talk to him again. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. And then he's gone in a flash. I had to say it. <laughs> and we all know, bye, mom. <laughs> yeah. We cut to the diner <laughs> as Erica's shutting it down, and she sees that all of the windows are randomly fogged up. I believe this is probably like a, we never see him do Superman's cold breath, but I think that's how the fog happens, right? There you go. And uh, we see the symbol, which we, if you've seen the movie, you know is the Brandon Breyer symbol. It's a BB, but the town is Brightburn. So yeah. it's, it's a bit of call me, but a bit of call B. But it's written on the... Um, I wrote fog, but whatever you call it when somebody breathes on a window and you write shit, right? Yeah. It doesn't wash off. The ghost stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she starts to look up at the fluorescent light over as it starts to flicker, and then oh. it explodes, and shards of glass cut her face, and one giant shard impels her in the eyeball. And they do a really close-up zoomed-in shot, and it's gnarly as hell. And Josh is about to puke because he does not like eyeball stuff. And this one fucked with me a good bit also. But uh, she's tougher than me because she grabs that shard of glass, and she pulls that some bitch right out of her eye. Dude, okay, so my biggest hang-up is wrist stuff and needles. Well, eyes I've gotten over, Ginger's real bad about eyes. You were not over eyes a second ago. No. Well, it's because <laughs> they, okay, two things. One, in the theater seeing this movie the first time, I'm like, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. And it gets to the scene, and I'm like, I'm in. I'm so fucking in. And then watching it again last night, it goes on for so fucking long right. of her like, I'm going to do this. No, I'm not. Yeah, I can do this. Fuck it. I got to play through the pain. And it's just, she just keeps grabbing it to pull it. That's the part that fucks with me. And then there's the squirt of blood on oh, yeah. the floor when it finally comes out. And it, it's very much a James Gunn thing, I feel like, because yes. Slither, Slither's obviously a body horror film. Right? Oh, yeah. And he shows the body horror in that film sparingly for the most part. Yeah. But when you see it, you fucking see it. He knocks a home run out. And that's kind of like this, right? Like, like his gore scenes. He even does it in like a peacemaker and shit. It's like when I put one in, it's going to be fucking bad. Right. And I kind of feel like that's how he does shit. Even like his dirty jokes. Like I'll put normal comic humor. And then when I put a bad one in, you're going to fucking know it. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a cool shot. Like Josh said, like when she yanks out, there's blood and shit that squirts out. But what's really cool is you get a lot of shots from her POV from this point. Yes. I almost said point of view (laughs) from this point on. 
And I'm sure they did that trick where you take like the old piece of glass and you cover half the camera lens. That's what it looks like. Yeah. And they just run blood down it. But it's like you have like a, a side that's trying to focus and a side that's blurry as fuck with red all over it running constantly. Yeah. Really cool looking shot. Really adds to the scene. But she's looking around the room and she thinks she sees a silhouette of a person and we can see it pretty good sometimes. But it's always a split second before she like blinks or something. Yeah. And it, it's Brandon and his fucking bright burn mask and cape right but every time she like blinks or closes her eyes or turns her head he's in a different spot of the room so he's like zooming around the room super fast and she freaks fuck out runs into the freezer that for some reason locks on the inside yeah i'm not giving that a pass yeah no anyways she's hiding in the the fucking freezer and she's trying to fix her eye and blink it out you ain't blinking that shit out baby (laughs) but Laser beams shoot through the fucking uh, freezer door. It gets ripped in half, and we see him like blur dash on top of her, and it's a cutaway, right? Yep. But he's fast as fuck. The next morning, we see the Briar's mom and dad making breakfast for Brandon and asking what to do when he comes down. And then he comes down already dressed for school and says that he did some deep thinking over the night, and uh, everything's cool, right? <laughs> And Kyle tells him to sit down and have some breakfast, even if he's going to be late for school because scrambled eggs never killed anyone. And then you hear a camera go as we cut to the uh, forensics team taking a picture at the diner. James Gunn is fuck. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Awesomely done. Anyways, the uh, police are taking photos all over the diner crime scene, and we find out that Erica is missing. We know she's dead, but they don't know shit. They just know she's not there. Exactly. The sheriff, I don't remember how he ends up fogging up the window, but he sees the symbol on the glass and takes a picture. Smart guy. We then cut to Brandon talking to the counselor, his aunt at school, and she says that she had heard from his mom that he's having a tough time thinking about being adopted. And he says, not really. I just recently realized that I'm something greater than this and that my real parents aren't from a stupid fucking place like this. (laughs) And... uh, I'm meant for bigger things. And she's like, do you feel any remorse for hurting Caitlin? And um, he's like, you know, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Yeah. And he delivers the shit so dry, so cold, like dry in a good way. Yeah. Like a psychopath. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's creepy. She lets him know that she has to make a report to the sheriff tomorrow to reflect on how he feels about the event. And right now she has to say that he's showing no remorse. We cut to Kyle and Brandon's uncle. Uh, I think I notated his name somewhere in here, but we're just going to call him Badger okay. uh, at the bar. And they're shooting pool and knocking back a few. And the uncle says that his cop buddy says that the diner was trashed and Eric was missing. And I think one of the guys even says, did your boy do it, Kyle? <laughs> right? Is, is, is that a thing that happens? I don't remember. It's not my notes, but I feel like that happens. He's like, come the fuck on, guys. And uh, at some point, you know, Badger says that he's got to go or his wife's going to kill him. And Kyle offers to, to give him a ride home in case he had a few too many. He's like, no, I'm good, Mom. Thanks. And you can tell he's not actually drunk, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is going to be apparent in a little bit. Yeah, there's also going to be some problems with some cinematography here in a minute. So. Okay. Point it out when we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm forewarning you. Okay. okay. We then cut to Brandon's aunt's house, and she's, like, getting ready for bed, I think, or trying to watch TV. I don't remember. But we get some POV stalking slasher shots from outside of the house. But while this is going on, she keeps getting motion alert at <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Motion <laughs> alert at blah, blah, blah. Like something's moving by really fast. Of course, we know it's Brandon. He's gone to Platt at this point. <laughs> 
She then gets a knock at the door, which she's spooked by all the motion sensors while seeing nothing outside and answers it. And it's Brandon. And he tells her he just really want to talk to her and he needed to see her. And she's like, okay, what's up? And uh, he basically, like the gist of it in the end, he says that it'd be really good for her and her husband and his parents if she did not report anything to the sheriff. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And she basically tells him to fuck off. And it's really inappropriate that he just showed up at her house saying this shit in the middle of the night and to walk the fuck home. And he appears to leave. She then starts to get crazy motion alerts all over her property again and goes out to investigate, leaving the door open to her house. The wife pointed out this is a family trait that her and her sister both share. What? Throughout the movie, if you pay attention, her and the mom both, whenever they walk outside, they're like, just, oh, let's just leave the fucking door open. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> I only caught it here. But uh, she's trying to investigate, and we could hear Brandon vamping around. And I don't remember if we see a blur or not, but you at least hear the whooshes. Oh, we do. Yeah. And, and you know the door is open, so, you know, you could fill in the blanks here. She goes inside, locks the door, texts her husband, says that she's going to bed, and she's going to turn off the ringer so she can get to sleep, and she loves him. As she goes to bed, we can see Brandon walk into her room from the dark, hiding in, I think it was in the bathroom or the closet or something. He has the mask and cape on, and he's slowly stalking up to her until he hears the uncle come in the front door, and he decides to hide in the bathroom. Love how the scene was done. It's very comedic in a very dark situation. Yeah. Very James Gunn. <laughs> yes. The uncle comes in, takes piss, goes to brush his teeth for bed, and we get a glimpse in the background that Brandon's up in the ceiling in the corner, like holding on to the walls, right? Like up in the air. <laughs> uncle doesn't see him. And then the uncle leans over to spit, and we see Brandon like vamp into the closet in the bathroom, like super fast. There's a blur, and the uncle's like, oh, shit. Like, like he <laughs> saw something he didn't believe, right? And he goes in there, turns the light on, braver than me. And he sees Brandon standing there in the mask, and he freaks out. He yanks the fucking mask off of him. He's like, what the fuck are you doing in my house with a creepy mask on? And uh, he's like, I just came to see, you know, my aunt to help in the homework. He's like, bullshit, I'm taking you home. And he drags him outside, and they're going to get in the car. He's like, don't tell my mom and dad. And he goes, you're lucky if that's all I do to you, you little shit. Brandon tells him he needs to keep his fucking mouth shut, picks him up and chunks his ass across the driveway through the garage door. Yup. And he's gone. Badger's like, what the fuck was that? Looks around, does not try to save his wife, dives in the truck you. and <laughs> takes off. And he's driving like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And then... You see, like, some two tiny red glowing things off in the distance. And this, I like how they did this shot. Like, you have to pay attention. He obviously gets hit from the side. His car gets slammed and breaks yeah. it. But if you pay attention, there's two little red dots in the distance. And they just come in super fucking fast right before the car gets hit. I thought that was Mothman. Do I? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> now, I do want to bring up, and I need to go back and rewatch it because I didn't rewind it last night. But I swear there's one shot of him driving before the slam where... It's a reverse shot, and he's driving on the wrong side of the vehicle. Okay. And then we're going to come up to when the vehicle's falling. There's another shot where it looks like they reversed it, and he's the driver's side is on the wrong side of the vehicle. I, I got to go back and okay. see. <laughs> I feel pretty confident when it gets dropped, he's on the proper side. But I couldn't tell you for the other one if they had to do a reverse shot for something. Yeah. It, it does do an odd zoom in when his mouth breaks, and there's some shoddy CGI. Yeah. So maybe it makes it look like he's sitting closer or something. I don't oh, no, know. No, this is before all that. Oh, it's really weird. We're like, they're showing him driving and it's from the driver's side looking at the right hand side and he's over on the right hand side driving. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't, like, I don't recall what, catching what the fuck? that. Anyways, sorry. That was the only <laughs> thing I was going to bitch about because I ain't going to fuck up the scene. Mothman. I think you did. Lost. <laughs> Mothman is not in this film. 
Anyways, fucking glowing red eyes, Satan slammed the truck and broke it, right? Yeah. Is that where we're at, roughly? Yes. He's like, oh, shit, I'll fuck, trying to crank the truck, and it's not cranking. But the lights keep flickering on and off as he tries to crank it. So very well done shot. Yes. And as it flickers, you can see Brandon in the distance in his costume, but he's closer every time the lights come on, which is kind of like an old trope. But when you do it right, you do it right. And this is one of those times. And uh, Brandon appears right up on the car, and then he's behind the truck. Grabs it by the bumper and he starts to pick it up and, and the uncle's like, oh fuck, oh fuck. Because he doesn't, he's like so confused, right? Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. And uh, Brandon flies up a few feet in the air, holding on the truck like it's nothing and drops it face first or bumper, front bumper first. Yup. And uncle wasn't wearing a seatbelt, right? We're just going to say the the rush, but just remember kids, always wear your seatbelt, right? Yeah, yeah. Show him this. But he screams, <laughs> oh fuck, right as the front bumper hits the street, which makes his open mouth slam into the steering wheel and rip the bottom half of his jaw off of his body. Okay. Just like Army of Darkness. Way more graphic. <laughs> way, way more graphic. It is, man. It's um, oh, mirrors. Mirrors? Yeah. What? You never seen the, the horror flick mirrors? Oh, I thought you were like, oh, and the mirrors in the truck did this. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought you were about to fuck with me. No, the jaw ripping off scene of mirrors. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But no, this scene's really fucked up. Like, the uncle's, like, choking to death on his own blood, and he keeps trying to grab where his jaw is. The CGI's kind of shit here, because it was really... I feel like they should have done this part more practical. I, yes and no, but it's still... It, it's stomach churning, so I'm still Oh, okay no, no, it's it. 100% stomach churning. <laughs> I just feel like they could have, like, green screened the bottom half of his mouth just out and had a fake jaw. And then just had like blood, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's something weird about it to me. It's something's off. And I bet like somebody broke it down on something like they did this. And I'm like, ah, that's what it is. But something's off. Yeah. His fucking jaw. No, <laughs> shit, you're right. That's what it is. Anyways, he's choking death on his own blood, realizes his jaw's missing and he just basically dies. But before he dies, he gets to watch his nephew reach in the car with his index finger out. And he like kind of focuses on it. It's the last thing he sees before he dies. And he grabs some blood. Out of the upper half of his jaw, <laughs> and he draws a symbol on the street in his blood, right? Yep. <sighs> we cut back to the Briar's house, and his parents are freaking the fuck out because they don't know where he's at. Mom's calling her sister, saying, like, I haven't seen him. What happened after school, right? She doesn't know he went over there. And he walks in the house with his shirt off, and he's holding his shirt balled up in his hands. And he's like, just you know, clenching it tight to his chest. And uh, he gets some bullshit story about how he was playing soccer all night after school. But all the kids kept bullying him and picking on him and pushed him over and ripped his shirt. My poor kid. And uh, he just wants to keep the shirt to remember it. He's going to go take a shower and go to bed. He goes, they're like, okay, son. Sure. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And he goes upstairs and they're like, what the fuck? He's totally lying to us. Like, they're like both in agreement here. They, yes. they know right now he's full of shit. And then there's no way anybody picked on his ass at school today. Tori's like, we should call somebody. And Kyle's like, who the fuck do we call? What do we say? We don't know what to do about our son. We found him in a fucking spaceship in the woods. He's an alien. It's like, it's so, honestly, no, this God. is how that conversation would go down. That fight, that argument between the married couple. I guarantee you. Yes. Like one of them's going to say, let's call for help. And I was like, what the fuck can we tell him? He's an alien. You know, like it would a hundred percent go down that way. So much fucking perspective. It's great. <laughs> and uh, we cut to Kyle. It's like, this is actually a really abrupt cut. Like, it's the only one of the movie. We cut to Kyle sleeping in bed, waking up. It's like a nightmare. 
He's having a dream about the night they found Brandon, which we can tell is different from the actual events we saw at the beginning. Yes. Because everything's a little extra fucked up. Like, it's darker. The angles are different. There's um, trees growing into the side of the fucking bedroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm totally <laughs> in the woods. Yeah, but you're oh, definitely right okay, there. Okay. But Tori looks at him, and she's holding him weird, and blood starts to pour out from under the baby blanket, and then blood starts to pour out of everywhere on Tori and then the baby it's fucked up yeah and then the baby's eyes glow red and it looks like a laser is about to shoot out and the baby jumps in his face right like like it's from his POV like it jumps at him yeah and it's, it's got, terrifying it's got like little little uh little demon teeth I thought it had like shit. thing teeth okay yeah. okay it's creepy it's like that shot in uh Constantine when you yeah when you have the thing jump at the camera and shit like like this is unsettling <laughs> And it's, um, you can tell they didn't have a lot of money on the CGI budget, like I said, but in this particular shot, it was done creepy as fuck. Oh, yeah. Like, because he's, um, doesn't look like a real baby enough that it, like, gets rid of all uncanny valley and just makes it creepy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's done just briefly enough that you don't realize what you've seen until the cut's already happened. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you don't have a lot of money for over. CGI or for any visual effects, you just try to make it a couple frames, call yep. it a day. Yeah. They did it great. We're going to get used to that as we start to make shorts. Yeah. Um, Because there's going to be no money. So it's worse than a little bit of money. <laughs> anyway, it's like this, this fucking startling nightmare going on. And the demon baby, as we just talked about, jumped out of. And then the phone rings and wakes him up, right? And that's the aunt telling him to come to the hospital because something tragic happened. They show up and she's crying and freaking out and says they won't let me see his body because his face is mangled or something. They think he hit a deer and had a wreck, right? She's like, but they're doing a toxicology report to see if he was drinking. He wasn't drinking, Kyle, was he? Was he drinking? And uh, you feel really bad for her. Like, she's really upset. Well, she's already fucking blame shifting because she's like, you didn't let him drink, did you, Kyle? Does she say it by then? Yeah. Okay, okay. Kyle just basically says, not really. He had a couple of beers, right? (laughs) And uh, What am I, his mom? And then the aunt interrupts to say, but did Brandon get home safe? Right? So... Just goes to show you how this family really did care about the kids. Like, they, her husband's dead. But did my nephew get home safe after I yelled at him tonight? Right? Yeah, you know, the crazy one that we think is going to become a serial killer? Is he okay? She <laughs> didn't know all that yet. Actually, she's a guy that tells her. <laughs> she, she, she needs to fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> but she's obviously worried about him. And then they realize that he was at her house earlier that night when he was playing soccer. <laughs> which they already knew was bullshit. They should know where he was at. The next morning, we cut to Brandon eating cereal when his parents come in, and they decide to tell him that something bad happened last night. His uncle Noah died. I knew I had his fucking name in here somewhere besides Badger. So his name was Noah. There you go. His mom keeps repeating it over and over again, and then he says, I just feel like you guys expect me to cry or something. (laughs) (laughs) He just keeps eating after that, and they're like, so were you there? And he ignores them for a bit. And then he's like, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I would never hurt my Uncle Noah. I love my Uncle Noah. And uh, he tries to go upstairs, and his dad stops him, yelling at him. And uh, he's like, he's my fucking friend, and you were there. And uh, Brandon warns his ass to let go of him. He He doesn't let go of him. Brandon, one hand, shoves his ass through the fucking kitchen air into the hutch and breaks a bunch of shit. The look on the dad's face and the way the stuff, like, barely broke and fell on him, I don't know if that's how they intended for it to go. Uh-huh. And that was a happy accident because it's usually a bit grander in a film, right? Like it would have blown the fuck out. I feel like the set didn't break properly and fell on him and he just steps off like, what the fuck? Like he just kept acting. Yeah. And like, we got to keep that shot. Yeah. And I feel like it made it look more real. It did. Like it was like Brandon didn't want to do it. Right. He just wanted the moment over and trying to control the rage. So yeah. he didn't go full ham 
and, you know, burn his face out through the back and of it, his head. But we'll yeah, get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> but it, it definitely looks more realistic at, like, half breaking and getting stuck on him and him dragging it as he walks off the wall other than just pulling out the whole fucking wall. Yeah. Like, I really appreciated that they went with subtlety on that effect. Totally. Even if it was an accident. I don't yeah. know if it was. Right, either way. But basically, mom saves dad again, just like the birthday party. And she's like, <laughs> you take your ass upstairs and take a shower. And he goes. He does what mom says. And dad's just like, what the fuck? And uh, they panic a bit. And Kyle's like, fuck this. I want to see the shirt. And he goes up in his room and he starts digging everywhere. And then he finds the shirt balled up in between the wall and like behind the dresser. Yep. And it's got blood stains on it. So I guess he wanted to keep a trophy, like a serial killer. Is what I I guess he was wanting to do. Yeah, maybe. And um, Kyle knows something's up. And he stashes the shirt really quick behind his back as Brandon comes out of the shower. And he lets Brandon know that he came up there just because he wanted to apologize to him. And let him know that he's sorry, and he's his father, and he loves him, and that he overreacted because he's very upset that his friend just died. And Brandon's like, okay. Yeah, he totally believes him. He might. Actually, I think he did believe him. I just think he has no fucking soul or, you know what I mean? Like, no emotions, (laughs) no emotions at this point, right? Like, you said, like, a sociopath. He's like, oh, okay. Like, it makes This rationally makes sense to me that you were upset that your friend died and you yelled at me. If we go sociopath, yeah. I'm not going to apologize for chunking you through the hutch, but <laughs> somewhere near Kyle takes Tori into the bedroom and shows her the shirt. And she says that there's no way Brandon could have done this. And Kyle says, look how strong he is. What else do you think you can do? And uh, she says he's just upset. See, this is where I thought you might have mixed it up a little bit. She gets mad at him. She's like, you're just upset that you let your friend drive home and you're blaming our son. Nah. Right? So I didn't know if that's what you meant when you were talking about the aunt earlier. Uh, one of them fucking says, did you let him drink? Gotcha. I don't fucking remember. Uh, She's blonde. Mom's, they're both blonde. Mom's <laughs> definitely blaming him right now and saying he's reflecting because it's that whole one parent's got to protect the kid while the other one knows it's a serial killer, right? Yeah. But. When she says that, like blaming our son, he responds by saying he's not our son. He's something that we found in the woods, and we need to do something about it before more people get hurt. She gets really pissed and leaves, and uh, as she runs off, he gets upset and says, but he's killing us. (laughs) That's not foreshadowing. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) It's foreshadowing, 100%. (laughs) We cut between the sheriff the dad and the mom right here as they're all kind of doing something at the same time. The sheriff's going through evidence from the crime scenes. He notices that both the Erica incident at the diner and the Noah car accident had the same symbol drawn on the ground. And the dad's going through family photos and Father's Day cards, looking at pictures of him and Noah, and he's crying, and you can tell he's, like, emotionally torn about something, right? Like, what do I do? And the mom's laying in bed, sad, thinking, until Kyle comes in, gives her a kiss, and says that he wants to make up with Brandon. How about I take him on a father-son hunting trip tomorrow? It'll clear our heads. And you may have alluded to this when he's going through, like, the Father's Day cards and stuff like that. Like, that's the moment that Kyle is, he's decided what he's fixing to do. He he knew, when we see him, he already knew what he was going to do. Yep. Which I'm about to get to. But... He's looking at the pictures and he said it, it's just going to show you. It's like, like he is the smart character in the film and he knows what has to be done. Yep. But he also knows he's raised this fucking kid for 12 years. And it's his son. Yeah. And, right? it's, and it's not just mom that's had the connection. Yeah. Dad has the connection too. like, he may seem emotionless and he's 
the logical one. He really one. doesn't. I mean, he makes me think of my dad and how I sometimes am with my kids. Like, oh, he's no, just no, kind no. of straight to the point, right? I'm talking about like kind of like the the duality of mom and dad in this, where she's forgive, forgive, forgive. Yeah. He's our son, and he's like logic, logic, logic. Right. You but must we're only care. seeing that in extremes, right? Like exactly. the extreme circumstances. But normal everyday, you fed them candy. They built the barn together, and it's almost like that gets overshadowed right. by these heightened incidents, which is right. Which is like I'm glad you saw it that way because that's. I think that's the deeper spot in this that people right. don't maybe notice that it's, that's, oh, dad's logical and then goes to do this. Right. Like, no, dad's fucking heartbroken, too. It, it's 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 very much a movie that you have to read into it some. Like, oh, yeah. Family camping trips were the norm until recent. Right. Brandon obviously knows how to go hunting with that. Yeah. Like, that happens all the time. That's their thing. Yeah, right? enough that his uncle got him a fucking gun for his 12th birthday. Like, this is not odd. Enough about the crazy thing that's about to happen in the beginning of the third act, which is normal to Brandon, who's already on to everything. Yeah. And, like I just said, third act, guys. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to rush through this part, honestly. And I feel like I'm guilty of doing that a lot. But I feel like the hybrid movies that I like to do, the third acts, are very visual. And very fast, generally. Yeah. Okay. And, and traditionally, when you write a screenplay, the third act is the shortest part, yep. paper count wise. But this is a very visual third act. Uh, I'm going to describe it the best I can, but I'm about to like, you know, I just did the movie for this long and three months later, we're done kind of thing. I have going to have the exact same problem in my movie. <laughs> <laughs> it really does seem like a lot of writers have a problem ending. Stephen King, case in point. Yeah! Checkmate, motherfucker. Like, that's undebatable. <laughs> but anyways. We see Kyle and Brandon loading the car to go away for the weekend, and Tori's hugging them, kissing them both, wishing them both farewell. Everything seems normal until we see the car trip where the radio is playing, and Brandon and Kyle do not look at each other a single time or say anything, right? It's because Dad and old Yeller know exactly what's going on. <laughs> we cut to them walking through the woods, and there's some very ominous music playing in the background. It's not a song like you would normally see in a James Gunn film. It's it's a score, but it's like, you know, shit's going down <laughs> and they walk through the woods and we cut to the mom as the sheriff shows up at the house when she's trying to paint and he's got photos of the symbol on the ground. And he says, this looks a lot like a BB, right? Just like Brandon Breyer. Can I come in the house? And she's basically like, fuck off. Come back a little warrant. And then she runs upstairs, digs through Brandon's shit until she can find the notebook he was drawing in that day. Because she knows she has seen the symbol before. And she oh. finds entire pages that's just the symbol drawn like, you know, tens of times on the piece of paper. Yep. The costume, dismembered bodies, dismembered chickens, um, the mom in the diner with the, the glass. And all, like everything that happened, I think either the wrecked truck or Noah with the jaw missing. Like it's all drawn. Yeah, the, the truck's drawn. And then I think it's even him blowing up the world. Is drawn. There, that's the final page she turns to is the earth broken in half with him flying in the air with laser beams coming out and it says, take the world. So that's the last page she goes to and she's like, oh, fuck. Right? She gets it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the mom always gets it too late in these movies. <laughs> we come back to the woods and see Brandon find some deer tracks for his dad and he thinks he knows how fresh they are and where they went. And that's what I was saying earlier. I feel like this was their normal, since yeah. we saw them hunting together, this was probably their normal practice since Brandon wasn't allowed to have a gun. Totally. But we didn't get to see that part earlier. But he bends down to investigate the deer tracks and the dad very sadly stares at the back of his son's head, pulls the gun up. Oh my God, this is like a heart-wrenching scene. The dad's face. Oh, totally. I call, I, or I believe it 100%. But he takes aim and he shoots his son in the back of the head with the hunting rifle, 
but the fucking bullet bricks off of Brandon's skull, and he turns around like, what the fuck did you just do, bitch? <laughs> and um, he's pissed, and Kyle's shocked, and I don't, I don't know, I'm, you're more of a gun guy than me, and I, is that a single shot gun, or do you just put one bullet in, because he's just, I'm murdering my kid, I only need one bullet. No, uh, it's, it's a bolt action, and I th- really think that he thought it was only going to take one shot. He could have more bullets, though, right? He, he could, but I think he really only had one loaded, and that's uh-huh. why he's got to go back for his pocket. But usually on a bolt-action gun, it's got an internal magazine. That's what I thought. Okay. It'll hold like five five to ten rounds. Um, As somebody who likes to, to shoot guns and whatnot, uh, how like accurate – because he does not take his eyes off of Brandon. And he's fishing that bullet out, and he's fucking loading it, and he's getting in there. He's trying to crank that bullet back. Like, how – do they do a pretty good – like, oh, he, did he do it? Like, every, is that accurate? Every bit of this and the right amount of shaking that he has going on, I buy every frame of this scene I, th- I think he's a great actor emotionally i don't know how hard it is because i've barely shot guns in my life but he sh- he fucking loads that round without looking he does fumble yeah. realistically so i feel like they had to practice that over and over again. like it seems like it'd be hard to do that if you're if you're a regular hunter or an enthusiast or a rigorous trainer uh-huh. that's part of the whole thing is oh, under- to grab it and shove it without taking her eye off the target exactly because okay. what happens in a high stress situation is you do not have time to think it needs to be muscle memory okay and that's what i'm saying they played that out great because it's not just a high so i do house sweeping drills if the alarm goes off i need to be ready to go ahead and do that and the couple of times that it's happened that's what i've done and i've ran the same pattern which made me excited the first time that the alarm went off in the middle of the night. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't have to think. I just, I got up, I grabbed the pistol and I did it. As you guys um, probably remember the story where I made him watch The Strangers and then <laughs> he thought they were being fucking invaded by the z- z- Germans the next day. Exactly. Um, what's so crazy about this is, so it's three things. It's logical guy needs to kill alien. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. Father has to murder son, adopted mm-hmm. or not. It doesn't matter. There's still the family still dynamic. Son. Yeah. And then the third part being more to your point of your question of like, is this overacted, underacted? Is this overdramatic? You know, how would this this be with him reloading right. the gun? An avid hunter not taking his eyes off of the target or the threat. It's perfect. Okay. It is, it is fucking perfect. And I buy, like you said, the look on his face, every ounce of I have to kill it before it kills me. And oh, my God, right. I have to kill my son. All at the same yeah, time. Yeah. I was just curious if it would be that difficult. And I'm sorry, like I know it's a tradition of this podcast to hit the third act, say it's gonna be quick, and they go on a 30 minute tangent, yeah. and we just fucking did it. But uh, I was just curious because I, I don't know. I buy him as the dad in this kind of movie way more than most of the dads. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And and one other thing to hang on on this: the actual shot of the shot when it glances off the back of his head. Oh, it breaks. It does not glance. Well, well but I mean, like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there was no. And, and that's the thing. There's not a stutter, a stagger, a fall, nothing. It's just. And if you think about he, it physics he, wise. Yeah. Right. Like that's probably how it would go down. Because people always bitch about Superman physics. Yeah. Like in real life. Like uh, he's standing on the ground and a fucking train's falling. He grabs it and he lifts it because he's super strong. His feet should rip through the fucking earth down yeah. to the core at that point. Right. Well, that's what makes this shot so creepy because you see, you see a little bit of blood oh, yeah. and a poof of hair go up. And there's no blood. But it's red. I promise. I promise. But he doesn't believe. I promise. But he he doesn't. But it's just enough. But it's like it's like if I if I scraped your head with a rock. Like, you know what I mean? You know, like uh, my, my father-in-law likes to do this. Like when you're out in the woods or anywhere, he knows I don't like spiders. And he'll like thump the back of my hair. Yeah. 
That's how Brandon rubs it. Like somebody just t- like somebody that, touched my hair. But that's what I'm getting at. His his body back to the energy thing. You don't see him absorb the energy. His head doesn't yeah, doesn't twitch. Yeah. Nothing, and he just goes straight to the. I'm sorry. What? Bitch, please. So, I think it's how my notes had it. It's so fucking creepy. But yes, I buy, I buy the parents in every yeah. frame of this fucking film. And, and I, I, I do regret that I said quick third act and, and lingered here. <laughs> but I think the parents are what sell this. Fu- the parents and the kid are what sell this fucking movie. Yeah. Which is why I only named the three of them as the cast. And uh, James saying that you ask the three of them and you're going to get a different version of what the movie's about. Yep. They they each uh, had their own interpretation and they played it out to a T that helped carry this movie that probably was still seldom saw. Well, I mean... And this is this, one of those classics that I wish more people saw. Yes, and this is one of those times that usually we save this for the end, but I'm sorry. If you take the actual script in the story, it's alien kid kills two people, parents, credits. There's not like this A yeah. to B to C to D... It's the fucking family dynamic, like right. you just said, that has to carry a very and the Superman sp- deconstruction, like thrown yes. in. Yeah. But it's a very sparse story. And what do I always say to you in person and on this fucking podcast? I am driven very much by character yeah. development. And this just goes to show why very sparse elements, great movie because of the characters. Exactly. Yarva, I love you, man. Uh, I hate to go back to gun like over and over again, but like Slither. I mean, the asshole mayor wanting his fucking Mr. Pibb in the car and he talked to the fucking secretary specifically. Yeah. But like, it's just like, I don't know. Like he, he gives you enough information on a character to completely get their vibe in the smallest, tiniest, not important scenes. Yes. And then on this movie, it, it got to elaborate the whole time. This really does sound like an end of the film discussion, by the it way. It does, and this fucking happens. I'm sorry. Um, you guys, if you're, if you're 82 episodes in right now, you know, <laughs> shit goes down. But the, the other, and I think I've really only realized this during the podcast, is there are times I could give a shit about character development depending on the context of the film. Like, is it uh-huh. a fun ride? Da, 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 da. Because I know in our, I mean, we've known each other since we're fucking born, basically. And there, there's, as we got older to movies, there is movies that I have completely defended based off of character personality oh, yeah. way, way before we even thought about having a podcast. You know what I mean? But it's like you, you like to go on the facts of the film sometimes, yeah. right? Well, and, and this film is a great example of the character development being world building. Right. And like your example with Slither, even the smallest thing about a character totally ties into the world building of like yeah dear cheer you know yeah. it's it's and it's a this film is a very very good example of this of that is the story that is the world but it not being a oh this has yeah. to be a tug at your heart like uh, those type of movies i feel like we get a bit of it more because we live in the south because you know where james gunn's from right it, he has to be from the south of the midwest st louis missouri there we go actually i think he <laughs> lives in like the country outside of St. Louis, okay. Missouri, but at, at the, at the, I mean, St. Louis is a big city, but that's, that's very much the South. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so he gets that whole tick joke, deer yeah. hunting, <laughs> you know, family farm vibe. Like he knows it. It shows up a lot in this movie. That's one of those things that like James had more to do with this movie than, than mentioned. Like the, the characters, the backstory. I don't even know where we're at. 
but like we just alluded to, he shot the fucking bullet and failed. Brandon's gone. Like, like but Kyle, like, I mean, he really does have a, like, 20-second drawn out trying to get that bullet reloaded. Yes. And at the very end, he has to look down to make sure he has it in the right door. I don't know what he's looking at, but he looks at the last second to quick slam the bolt and looks up and his son's gone, right? Yep. And it, that kind of reminds me, like, when you're playing guitar and you hit a hard part and you're like, I don't need to look at the neck. Actually, while I'm singing, I need to just glance really quick, right? Like, it's kind of that thing. <laughs> it is the quick head check, right? So yep. I, I, I feel like he did that, but his son's gone. The best part of this, the most realistic part, is he literally just looks up and goes, oh, fuck, and he takes <laughs> off running. Because <laughs> he's like, he knows he's done fucked up. Yes. And um, this scene's great. He's running through the woods full speed with the gun, knowing he's fucked up. And Brandon is literally vamping in and out different distances at different angles in the costume over and over again. And the dad's just like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Cause he knows he's fucking dead at this point. And, uh, at some point he does the quick dash tackle his dad thing and grabs his dad by the shirt. Right. And pulls him up in front of his face. He's like, don't do this son. I'm your father. And Brandon looks hurt when he says that yeah. the kid, the kid can do the same thing. The mom and the dad can do. He looks hurt. Does that fucking blood curdling scream that he does so well as his eyes glow red and he shoots lasers into his dad's face and we get to watch his dad. I, I like how they did this. Like a laser technically should just went through clean. Yeah. But it has to burn through slowly while the dad screams. And I feel like maybe that was supposed to show the emotion a bit. Like maybe he's holding off on the laser eyes. Maybe. And or, or maybe he's holding off because he wanted, he wanted to, to prolong it. Yeah. yeah. And then the back of his dad's head blows out as the laser comes through, right? Yeah, and that's when his hand finally hits the ground and like, oh shit. Like, just in case you were wondering, yeah, he felt all of okay. that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we come back to Tori at this point, and she's freaking the fuck out because of the notebook that we talked about seven hours ago, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> she grabs her phone. We see her scroll to Kyle and hit call. And we hear the click of an answer. And she just spills the whole fucking beans on the phone conversation without a hello which is why you don't do that. Exactly. And uh, she thinks it's Kyle until Brandon says, dad's dead. I'm home. Like, I don't remember exactly <laughs> what he says, but it's like, she realizes it's Brandon. She asks, where's your dad? He says, he's dead. Where you at? I'm home. And I love the shot. It was a great shot. They cut to yes. Brandon, like off on a hill, looking at the family home and he's got the phone in his hand and you see him like pulling it away from his ear, talking to his mom and he just crushes it in the dust basically. Right. And uh, he knows what he has to do at this point. Well, I don't think he's off on a hill. I think he's just floating in the air. He could be in the, the elevation wasn't yeah. even because it's, it's a tight shot. Cause it's a tight shot. He's on the not hand of the right phone. at the house. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Critters. <laughs> Basically, at this point, fuck the critters. He'd fuck them up. He starts flying into the house from different angles fast as fuck, just punching in and out, both like, you know, in one side, out the other, right? He's smashing everything. You can see him like zooming and dashing back and forth as his mom's running through the house, panicking and hides under like the kitchen island, basically. Yeah. And calls 911 for help. I don't know. She didn't specify, which I'm glad because they probably wouldn't have came. <laughs> he zooms by. One last time through the house really fast, and he starts to float outside really far away, but he's staring at his mom through the window, and she's staring back at him, and we can see that he's in his full costume, right? She decides she wants to try to make a run for it out the door while he's floating in the air. She knows she's fucked, though, because he can fly. Like, yeah. she's like, no. Earlier, she's like, oh, maybe it was a mosquito, but then she sees him, <laughs> right? But as she runs out the front door, the sheriff and the deputy arrive. She starts trying to yell, like, what's happening, but you quickly hear, like, a whoosh, 
right as the sheriff is just yanked from a blur, and then you just see blood and meatloaf fly everywhere, and he's fucking gone. He's fucking liquefied, man. It's so We don't good. know what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brandon smashed the shit out of the sheriff. The deputy tells Tori to go inside. She runs in kind of like cock strong with her. She cocks a shotgun. She thinks it's going to help the meatloaf <laughs> process here. And uh, she starts to call for backup. Tori hides, I think. I didn't really notate this very well, but the deputy's checking the house. And she's, like, clearing room to room. And then you see something red light up glowing behind her off in the distance. I love the use of his eyes when he's pissed off. He zooms at her. And then we get this awesome shot where you cut back to Tori. And it's honestly one of my favorite shots. And she's hiding. And you can hear the deputy get smashed, grabbed, and scream. And in the background, you can see, like, like the, the back quarter right side of the screen is a doorway into another room. And you just see a blur of Brandon and the deputy as she hits floor, down to the next floor, back up into the attic, and back down over and over again. Just getting smashed like a Looney Tunes character because he's a fucking kid, right? (laughs) I think it's because he's an alien. (laughs) (laughs) I just meant like it's like this is what they would have done in Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's over the top, but the way they shot it, it still feels... Scary instead of goofy. Oh, because it's done scary. Fuck, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, Brandon ping pongs are up and down in between the floors, and then he chunks her bloody mangled corpse on the floor into the bedroom where Tori's hiding under the bed right in front of her, right? She then hears Brandon do the hide and seek whistle sound from earlier, and we can see his like boots as he's floating through the house, and she like extra freaks out when she sees like the toes dragging as he's floating. Yeah. But like she saw him flying earlier, but like him just floating to the house is even more fucked up to her apparently totally he leaves the room and then he vamps in really quick with the glowing red eyes under the bed to grab his mom but she's gone and we can see that she's hanging out the window and she let goes and drops and i don't know what she catches her hand or arm on but she catches it on something like the bottom window sill or something right something and it cuts her and she's bleeding and she's like oh my fucking god the shit made him bleed right <laughs> And she makes I got a, a goddamn idea. She's <laughs> got a goddamn plan. That's she makes it. a run for it straight to the barn, right? And it's re- it's another great. I hate to say it. This third act, the shots are all great. Oh, She's running full wonderful. speed out of the house towards the barn, towards the camera. And we see Brandon pop out at like 300 miles an hour off the roof of the house. Like, where the <laughs> fuck did you go, mom? And she makes it to the barn and she's trying to get down to the basement. But Brandon's basically doing like strafing runs in the barn with laser eyes. Yep. Like, maybe I hit your mom. Maybe I don't. Right. Like, like he hasn't fully committed to killing his mom yet. Right. But if an accident happens, it was an accident. Yeah. That's the way I took it. Right. And uh, he's laser beaming it. And she finally gets down to the basement and she touches the ship. And when she does, it lights up red, starts making the sounds. But the red light shows her the back wall where Erica's hanging completely disemboweled with her stomach skin stretched open and pinned like the medical shot we saw in the porn book. Yep. And the BB all over the wall in her own blood. Right. And she freaks the fuck out. Like, she's, if she had any hesitation, Motherfucker's got to die now, right? (laughs) She grabs the ship where the front end was cracked a bit from slamming into the earth and breaks a shard off. She starts to go through the barn calling for Brandon as she tucks it into her, like the back of her waistband, right? And she starts to do the whistle. And he eventually whistles back to her and she turns and she can see him standing there in his costume looking at her but his eyes aren't glowing anymore and that's been the cue that he's pissed yeah right so like she's kind of safe for now 
Honestly, he looks just as torn as she does and his dad did earlier at this point. But Tori starts to plead with her son, and she says that she's always loved him and that he was always her special angel that was delivered to her. And she knew when she found him that she had to keep him safe and that she knows that there's good inside of him. And she knows that the good can do better. And he says that he wants to be good just for her, and they hug. I've seen people debate this on the internet. Brandon meant it right there. He wanted to be good for his mom. Yes, I agree. He this is the part where he could have turned into Superman. Okay. Yeah. He did fuck up. You'd have to gloss over some shit, get PR to take care of it. Right. <laughs> but like, I, I believe that he wanted to be good for his mom right now. And like, he was like, had like puberty kind of shit going on and he did really fucked up shit that you cannot condone, but like he's alien. Right. And like, dang it, I'll, I'll do good for you, mom. He believes it. And I also don't think mom did the wrong move here either. No, no, <laughs> I'm not blaming no. anybody because she says that you're always going to be my baby boy to me. And she raises her arm up behind him with the shard of the ship to stab him in the back. And she goes to swing it down and he grabs her arm and he looks at her dead in the face. And this kid, man, he looks so <laughs> mad and upset at <laughs> the yeah. same time, right? Like he gives her the look like I'm angry and I'm disappointed at you, right? <laughs> And honestly, this was the best way for her to go down, like the way they did this. He does the blood-curdling scream, grabs his mom in a bear hug, takes off flying, knocks out the roof of the barn, goes up, up, up into the clouds and in the upper atmosphere. What I really like about the scene, you remember the Superman movies from like the late 90s when we were kids? Yeah. He does something similar when he takes Lois for a, a love flight. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they tried to like harness the feeling of that. He takes his mom up. He's looking her in the eyes, like, very deeply and, like, passionately while also being deadpan. Like, I don't know. It's really weird. It's just, like, the eyes versus the face, right? You can tell Tori's, like, getting cold, running out of oxygen, things like that. And he gets to a certain point, and he floats for a second, and he looks at her, and he just fucking lets go, and we watch her fall down in slow-mo. Just like Warlock. Way more dramatic, though. True. <laughs> right as this happens, we can see a passenger plane flying towards Brandon and he stares it down for a second. We then cut to the next morning and the Briar's residence is smashed and there's a crashed plane, Donnie Darko style <laughs> on their fucking house. Genius. And there's news everywhere, like newscasters. And they're talking about how the Briar farm got hit by a random plane crashing. And this X number of people died. It was a pretty decent sized number. And the only survivor was the 12 year old son, Brandon. We cut to him sitting on the back bumper of an ambulance with the little fucking emergency blanket around him, eating his cookie like nothing happened. <laughs> then we get a title card that says Brightburn as we hear Billie Eilish say, I'm the bad guy. As we said earlier, James Gunn, music cues. This is the perfect song for this movie. Duh. Credits. <laughs> but wait, there's more. The credits start to get intercut with news clips of buildings being destroyed all over Brightburn City downtown. The giant building that you see get collapsed was actually a building that they found out was getting demoed with dynamite. Oh, okay. And they asked permission to go film it. Nice. So that's the actual building getting demoed. But what you find out is that Brandon's basically been destroying all the skyscrapers and big buildings in the city surrounding area and leaving like the BB. Yeah. He burns it with laser eyes in the ground. He started a wildfire. Like he's fucking the whole area up. And they're referring to him as Brightburn on the news, right? The best part though is we're blessed with a Michael Rooker cameo right here, right? Uh, as he's this crazy YouTuber doing conspiracy theories on his channel, and he's talking about super-powered beings 
taking over the earth and that Brightburn is only one of them. And he says it must be something like that. Which woman? And pictures start to pop up. And he's like, who strangles men with her ropes? Wonder Woman uses the lasso of truth, yep. right? And that fish man that can swim and breathe underwater. And it shows a clip of him. Aquaman. Yep. And then more pictures show up on his like background on his YouTube channel behind him. One of them is a guy in a red and yellow suit with a lightning bolt like symbol. And there's an alien that looks like a gray, which I'm assuming is supposed to be Martian Manhunter. Not as well known. As I say, I'm not people who don't read him regularly, right? Like, like he's not one of the famous ones, but he, he was important in the story. Either way, it's obviously like Justice League shit getting thrown in there. Yeah, and he's obviously supposed to be Alex Jones because they even do the yeah his show I, I, is I, I Truth kinda, Bomb, yeah, and yeah. they use the same font as Infowars and shit. But it's hilarious because it's oh, Rooker. Yeah. Then Rooker like freaks out and randomly yells, "They're all gonna eat us for fucking breakfast!" in a way that only he can say. And uh, they need to get the, the shit together. Right. <laughs> Holy fuck! And then we get the actual final credits with bad guy playing in its entirety. Great use of the song, like every James Gunn movie when he takes a hit song. But you know, if the music cue didn't give it away. The use of Elizabeth Banks and Rooker <laughs> and the character development. Uh, James Gunn was super involved in this film. Yeah, it's a fucking James Gunn film. I think it was unique enough while still being a deconstruction of one of the most famous intellectual properties of all time to be its own thing. And uh, the characters really drive you. The the violence and gore is up to a good point to match that. Yeah. I like superhero stuff, so it hits that niche. I love slashers, and I've He's a slasher. Brightburn's a slasher, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a great fucking movie, and I've been trying to cover it for years, <laughs> and we've we finally fit it in. But uh, how do you feel about it, my man? So what's interesting, and of course, we covered a lot of this throughout it, going to see it in theaters, like I said, we get to the diner scene, and first I'm like, that light's only eight feet up. There's not going to be enough. That glass isn't going to reach terminal velocity and stick it to your eye. Like, I'm bitching about it as it's happening. And then the scene happens, and I'm like, all right, I'm along for the ride now. We also don't know what power he used to make it shatter. Nah. But I hadn't watched it again since then. Oh, okay. And we, of course, bought it when it came out, and I watched it last night. And uh, so last night was more of a, I already know what's going to happen. Let's pay attention to the characters. Let's pay attention to okay. the cues, da 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 Oh, so you only watched it one time for the podcast. Yeah. Like you saw it in theaters in the last, okay. Yes, that's that's it. Just two times total. And Slacker. It's more like what I was saying earlier, where there's a very, very loose story background things that happen as far as the vehicle to carry the story, I guess is the better way to put it. And how much is the dynamic through adopted mom and dad and the kid. Um, There's only two other kills in the fucking film, which is way more interesting. What about the chicken, Josh? Uh, Chickens aren't people. Uh, (laughs) It's very creepy and it's creepy in a, Oh my God. It's not the, Oh my God, you fucking see that type thing. It's creepy in that. Like, I feel bad for mom. I feel bad for dad. I feel bad for the adopted alien kid. I feel bad for the girl that got her fucking arm mangled at school, which she was madly in love with, which just makes it creepier. Yeah. Her mom stalker territory. Not so much. We didn't get to learn much about her. So I don't really like her. So I don't really care, but it's, (laughs) she's still a person, Joshua. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. But it's uh, that tied in with like, what is painfully obvious is how gun this fucking movie is and even the violence is not gorehound violence it's like on the level it needs to be with the emotional emotional and logical balancing of the film so yes i like it it's not one of those that's like a spectacle or a ride for me to be able to watch it regularly Uh and enjoy it because it's there's too it it's got too much depth that like once you understand it it's you know what i mean kind of one of those well i think it's because the depth's what drives you into liking the film and i like the depth the comic book and slasher tie-ins so I feel like I get a little bit 
more out of the film. Does that make sense? True, because yeah. I'm not the comic guy. Definitely not between the <laughs> two of us. But I like it. Um, it it's fun. I love seeing the known Superman idea yeah. turned on its head. Because they really didn't change anything. They just did it, but from a different point of view. Yeah. And you know me, I love sad or bleak endings. Yeah. And that's what happens, man. It's like, you're fucking warned. You didn't pay attention. And then there's the sprinkling of the the known conspiracy theorists yeah. being like, I've been right all along, you dumbasses. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most believable scenes to me in the film, like kind of touched on what you just said, is... When he comes home and says he's playing soccer and got picked on, and like, we're so sorry, honey. And he goes upstairs and they both look at each other and go, He's fucking lying to us. What do we do? Like, yeah. that would be me and my wife, right? If my son yes. came home doing the same shit, right? Like, I just, I don't know. It's honestly one of the most believable married couples or parents yes. I've ever seen in this kind of film. Well, it humanizes the fuck out of them because it's just the same as the kid coming home smelling like liquor. Right. And, and go into bed like, oh, we were just over at Tommy's and they smell the booze on him. They're like, he's fucking lying to us. What are we going to fucking do? And it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if this is intended, but if you think about it on a deeper level, like mom, who's been defending him blindly, lied to his face, smiling right then because she didn't want her fucking head ripped off. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. Like how dangerous is he? Right. Like that she acted that way. Like she's starting to realize it. So, yeah, it's pretty good because some of the the parents adopt a demon baby type films. They really make you hate one of the parents yeah whichever parent is protecting the kid is a f fucking moron yeah you want to push him out in traffic right right like I, you deserve to die right yeah. like tori she walked the line where it was believable and then crossed the line where you should know better yeah she had like an she actual knew. fucking arc an arc yeah yeah <laughs> right. i mean even at the end she's like you're just my baby boy you know, blah, 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 but I got to fucking stab you with the shard off the ship. You came from you fucking alien bastard. Yeah. That's even me on first watch of the movie. I didn't pay attention to the shard. Oh. So on first watch of the movie, when she's sitting there holding him and everything, and it doesn't do the one shot of her mm -hmm. holding it yet. I'm like, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. And then I see it and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And then of course he stops her. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, y'all seeing this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back on the Yarvo versus Gunn thing, Gunn, in a couple of interviews I saw, like he really complimented Yarvo on his ability to come up with scary scenes and like time it and the tension. And he, he's like, that's one of the hardest things for a horror director to do when he's got it. And I see him directing the scene with her hiding under the island, trying to call 911 while he's like fucking tearing to the house back and forth. Yeah. I really feel like he he probably helped Yarva, like pointed him in a path and, and knew his strengths. He's like, he probably did most of the creepy scenes like that, honestly, right? I just feel like maybe Gunn probably put the whole thing together. And that fucking ending flying mom up and dropper was, I was, I don't care what anybody tells me, James Gunn wrote that fucking yeah. ending or directed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was just, I don't know. Like, I said low key earlier and, and, and I probably, you know, most people probably think I, I used that term wrong when I said I think he's low key one of my favorite directors, but. I feel like it's because his work is so extremely varied and then he hasn't done a shit ton of stuff. Yeah. I don't say it, but then when I go back and I talk about all the movies he made, <laughs> like some of them, I started this podcast over. Yeah. Right? Like Slither and stuff. That was like one of the first movies I fucking told you that I want to cover, you know? And it's just like I, low key. Like I don't think about it as much because he's a Marvel guy. Or he's only done like yeah. 10 movies or, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, I fucking really like him. You know, it's like Flanagan's always making horror, right? Juan's always making, well, he did a Fast and the Furious movie and <laughs> Aquaman and Aquaman one and two. But, you know, for the most part, like it just like they stick it out more. But like, 
I don't know. I, I fucking get down with these characters. I don't even like DC fucking comics, and I watch all the DC shit he made. And now that he's in charge of the entire DC cinematic universe, I bet your fucking ass I'm going to go see at least the first three to five films in theater open a weekend, <laughs> right? Because he can toss some shit together. He might make me like shit that I didn't like. But regardless if he was just the producer, I mean, the producer can be hands-on. That is part of being a producer. Yes. A lot of times it just means... Money, gratuitous title and money, <laughs> yeah. but a producer can be hands on. And Yarvo might have directed ninety percent of the movie with tips from Gunn. Yeah, and I'm not trying to insult him. This isn't so much the Spielberg versus Hooper. Either way, they made a great fucking movie. And if this was all Yarvo, I need some more Gun cousin brothers to write some shit and let Yarvo fucking direct it for me because this movie's a fun fucking ride and I love it. Totally. And people that have missed out on it need to see it and need to understand that it scratches the itches that we've talked about yeah. being a horror podcast. And, and like, if you've seen Super, you know that a James Gunn made movie can hit dark superhero territory and just think that this takes it to fuck 11 and go straight to 13. Yep. Yeah. But that's not the only movie we're here to cover. Like I said earlier, we threw darts at a board <laughs> and the list that we laid it on for Josh was really fun to comb through. <laughs> There were some great movies in that list <laughs> that we, we set aside for other episodes. Yes. But I think this is going to be kind of a little fun tie-in to do like the uh, horror hero. Dive into Sam Raimi, who kind of got us started in horror with his 1990 film, Dark Man. So firstly, it's going to go without saying that I've never seen this movie until <laughs> yeah. the fucking podcast. I felt so bad when this got assigned to you. But I do have to say, before we even go into this, had I seen this closer to its release date, mm -hmm. this fucking film would have a spot in my heart. Yeah. Um, we'll get into this as we go, but it, it just everybody keep this in mind. It, it's funny that you say that. I mix this up with Swamp Thing. And this movie called FX that came out in the 90s. I don't know if you ever fucking saw. I know of it, but I don't think I've ever seen and it. And as you hit scenes, I can tell you why. But I'm pretty sure the bald guy, Polly or whatever, is yeah. the bald guy in Swamp Thing that gets turned into the mutant. I think Maybe. you're right, because yeah. there's somebody in this that was in Swamp Thing, but I didn't get digging. And there's so many scenes in FX where the guy has to kill the bad guys using his special effects skills that he learned in Hollywood that I always thought the the egg timer chicken was from FX. Okay. The drinking bird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. there's, there's, like, a lot of crossover where I watched these movies when I was younger, and then when I got older, I would think of the scenes and start to remember scenes from the wrong movie associated with them uh. because there was the tie-in three ways, and I didn't know who Sam Raimi was yet. This is, like, pre-Army uh, of Darkness and Evil Dead for me. Okay. So it, it's it's really funny. And then going back, like, I saw this after I read one of the books or one of the books that he did, like, a forward on or something, you know. Okay. And I had seen Crime Wave before I saw this. So I like, still haven't seen Crime Wave. Uh, that one I saw early on uh, my, my mid to late teens. I worked at the movie theater. I was okay. the band with the older guys, right? Like, they made me watch a bunch of old movies, and Crime Wave was one of them on VHS. Okay. So it's bad. <laughs> Anyways. Well, it's partially responsible for this flick. hundred percent. So we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, so this was, of course, directed by Sam Raimi. It was written by Sam and his brother, Ivan. Who I think did most of the Evil Dead shit with him, right? Yep. Okay. Um, there were a couple other writers on this. Uh, Chuck Farrer. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce fair? his last name. Maybe yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, let's see. What's something else he wrote? Navy Seals. Um, <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, some other stuff, but that that's the one of note. Daniel and Joshua Golden, who didn't do much, but they also wrote on this. Now, into the cast, which this movie has like 54 people in it, and I'm only going to stick on three. Makes um, sense. Liam Neeson as Peyton <laughs> Westlake, 
dark man. He, of course, has been in a fuckload of stuff, but this movie is really important. This was his first full-blown leading man role in oh, a real movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're jumping off point for him and not really a lot of, I don't want to say horror because this is really horror adjacent. It's yeah. more about its love. The It's more about Sam's love of old school universal that ties into this movie yeah. um, to bring it into horror. And it is horrific, especially when you understand the dynamic of it. I was wondering how they got fucking Liam Neeson. Like, I just assumed he was always like a famous, like, you know, <laughs> English actor or European actor, you know, and because uh, he had so many big roles. And I'm not yeah. sure about like, yeah, of course, I love him as Qui-Gon Jinn, the punk rock Jedi master, right? <laughs> and the prequels, but I mean, in Taken and stuff, but he's done so many. Yeah. Like other big roles, like you he's, know, he's, I a, think, he's a very established actor. Yeah, I think currently he's got like 148 credits to his name. When I watched this the second time for the podcast, which I'm going to admit was at two times speed on the dashboard of my car while driving to Josh's house. That's safe. I, I was listening more than <laughs> oh, watching. Okay, okay. I started thinking, I'm like, this, this was a role that's designed for Bruce Campbell. Oh, like, we're going to get into that. Oh, okay, okay. I'm we're so going to get so I, I, into that. And, and I'm like, this had to have been written for Bruce Campbell, and either A, Sam Raimi wanted to step out a bit or have an actor with more chops, or B, the studio's like, he can't use Bruce Campbell again. <laughs> right? And I'll let Josh get there, because like I said, we don't talk about this shit before we cover it, but, but you know, I used to watch this when I, was, when I was a lot younger, and I watched it twice recently, and I'm like, this is would have been one of Bruce Campbell's most like fucking remembered roles Yep, had he done it. Could have, would have, should have, but... We'll get there. Lead us there, Sticks. Um, we've also got uh, Francis McDormand as oh Julie, God. who, of course, was in Crime Wave. I think of Fargo all the time. She was in Crime Wave? Yes. I mean, she's a very, very famous, like, high-tier actress. I would have never thought. Well, would have been an old Sam Raimi short film. She's also married to Joel Cohen. I always forget about that. So, Crime Wave, yeah. her, the Cohen brothers, yeah. that's where they all live together. Yeah. That's I how, knew that. That's where it all birthed from. I, I knew about the Raimi Cohen brothers uh, tie ins, but she's like such a famous, established actress that I forget that she's married to a fucking Cohen brother. Yep. And does random crazy Cohen brothers shit. Yep. Um, the only other person I'm going to mention, there's other people I will bring up, but in this beginning here is Larry Drake yep. as Robert G. Durant, <laughs> fucking Dr. Giggles. Yep. Most people know him from LA law these days does a shit ton of voiceover oh, really? work. Yeah. Like for what? It was a bunch of shit. Too much to note. Like cartoons and stuff yeah, or yeah, games yeah. or what? Games, both? Cartoons, okay. Yes. I'll look it up later. Cause I always, he has a very, uh, memorable face and this movie is as little of the plot as I remembered when I got older from watching it when I was younger, has some of the most memorable scenes in film history to me, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, there's so many things. Like, I like I can't see a cigar cutter in a film and not think of and this not movie. not think of him, yeah. I can't think of the little tilting bird drinking thing, bird. the drinking bird. I think of this film, right? Like, and, and there's, like, some other things. Like, in that actor that plays, uh, like, Larry Drake, right? Like, when I see him. I think of this film, and I'm like, this was such an unmemorable movie to me as a as a kid. Yeah. But, like, these scenes didn't leave my memory. He's got a fucking presence, and that's why he ended up in the film. For special effects, there's really a fuck ton of optical work in this. And I bet. Not- it's really early. There's a lot of compositing and yes. shit for how early or how old this movie was. So a lot of optical, a lot of mechanical, not a lot of makeup work, because most of the time you got Darkman in bandages. 
When you see his fucking mummified zombie face, though, that shit oh, was legit as at, fuck. At the end, it's great. But I, I just scanned the names. I didn't I didn't go to all of them and yeah. see what studio they work for. But fucking Doug Beswick worked okay. on this movie, who we've talked about before because of fucking Star Wars, Evil Dead 2, Beetlejuice, whole bunch of shit. It is a lot of miniature work, if I remember right. Miniature and stop motion. Yeah. yeah. I guess probably that goes into a lot of the compositing shots. Because think about how good it looks when Liam uh, Neeson was propelled from the fire. And to the yeah, bay yeah. or whatever, and that was probably a miniature, honestly. <laughs> oh, there was there was a lot of miniature work in this. Um, music by Danny Elfman. Oh, you fucking kidding me? In 1990, Danny Elfman did this, and you gotta remember, this is the year. This is the year after Tim Burton's Batman, and the same year as Dick Tracy. I gotta yeah. keep that in mind when we're looking at this film. Um, we usually don't go here, but the director of photography I'm going to bring up because uh, the Shout Factory Special Edition Blu-ray that I got for commentary. The commentary was done by the director of photography, Bill Pope. Ah, okay. <laughs> who you may know from Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. Fire in the Sky, Matrix 1, 2, and 3, Spider-Man 2 and 3, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. <laughs> yeah. he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he got Scott Pilgrim because of Sam Raimi, but we'll get there. That's why I want to bring huh. this up, because this is very fucking interesting. I now want to see Sam Raimi's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a few more nuggets before we get into this film like we always do. Oh. Fuck. Taglines. It's <laughs> <laughs> a newer segment. We forget about it a um, lot. <laughs> okay, this one's terrible. In the darkest hour, there is a light that shines on every human being but one. Yeah, it's terrible. That um, was actually pretty good. It's very de- uh, definitive, at least. Yeah, yeah. But if you think that's on the nose, check this out. They destroyed everything he had, everything he was. Now, crime has a new enemy and justice has a new face. That's pretty good, too, though. <laughs> I think we have different views on fucking... Taglines are supposed to be the most fucking camp you've heard. <laughs> so if you think about it from that perspective, those are winners. <laughs> oh, maybe. But uh, speaking of winners, so when this was originally going to be written, it was going to be an adaptation of The Shadow. Ah, this movie, when I saw The Shadow, it always makes me think of this movie, which is funny because Billy Zane plays The Shadow, and he plays Darkman in Darkman 3. <laughs> Die, dark man, die. Because I've watched all three of these motherfuckers. I saw all three of them on USA. I don't remember <laughs> if it was during the day or up all night with Rhonda Shear and, uh, oh my, Gilbert Godfrey, Gilbert Godfrey. Right, all right? But I watched all three of these on USA, like over the years. <laughs> I still have not watched two and three, but I'm going to have to now. Oh, yeah, you got um, to. <laughs> so, of course, couldn't obtain the rights to the shadow, so we go with Dark Man. Sam Raimi described this as old school universal meets Beauty and the Beast. Okay. On the fucking nose there. Um, Are we at, talking about like Frankenstein's monster kind of universal? Because well, you said that earlier and I wasn't sure. Man, where the we've got elements universal. of Phantom, Hunchback. There's elements oh, of you're all right. of I, it I, I forget here. about those sometimes. I always think like Dracula, Wolfman, Invisible Man, and Dr. Jekyll. Yeah, yeah I got you. Yep. All the ones Disney could use. Um, <laughs> is what you're, what you're leaving out. Like I mentioned that Sam was living with Francis and the Coen brothers at the time. Originally written for Bruce Campbell. Like you, you talked about. It, oh, really? It, it was written for Bruce Campbell. Now, while this is going on, this is Dino De Laurentiis money helping make things happen while they're working to get ready to do Army of Darkness. 
was about to say, I, I've had a lot of beer, so where are we at in the Army of Darkness franchise, or the Evil Dead franchise? Exactly. Okay. So Army of Darkness is going to be next. So it's don't shit the bed with Universal on this picture, or things are going to fall apart for Army of Darkness. So with Bruce out of the running, because Universal wasn't going to let it happen. So that's what happened. Universal's like, you can't use Bruce. Oh exactly. my God, he would have been perfect. Especially when you see his face in the movie of this cameo. Like, he had that. Like, this, oh, yeah. was, this was handsome Bruce time. Totally. He's still handsome, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So Gary Oldman stepped in and uh, what that? Oh, I'm not fucking around. But that didn't happen either. What's even better was they couldn't get Gary Oldman. So they settled on Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton was fucking jazzed to be in the flick. Uh-huh. Didn't work out. Ends up going to Liam Neeson. Bill Paxton didn't speak to Liam Neeson for fucking years because Ooh. of it. Like he actually really fought to be in the movie and didn't make the cut for whatever reason. Weird sidebar question here. But do you feel like that Bill Paxton could have played almost any role in any major film and it would have worked? In a certain set of lanes, yes. Because I, I feel like he can run the gamut and always be entertaining. Yes. I mean, when you think of like weird science and then you go to Twister and then you go to Near Dark and then you go to like Apollo 13, like it's not the same guy. Yeah. Uh, well, I could not put him rom-com. Okay. And I we could- don't cover rom-coms or ever mention them. So that exactly. might be well left my, and, my train of thought there. And I couldn't put him in like a kindergarten cop like around a bunch of children type role I, and I don't mean that in a creepy way if I'm he's supposed like, to be super profane around the children in an inappropriate way maybe, he's maybe, got it maybe or if it. like they're all turned into mutants with rotten chicken nuggets but because I do feel we're like on this cover podcast, that movie eventually yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do feel like occasionally on this podcast we're like and Bill Paxton almost paid, played the person right like I feel Is like that, that right? comes up more often but I'm like he really could like he's not an actor that I tie to a certain personality or subgenre no and I, I can't tell you a bad Film I've seen him even when it's a small role. True Lies, yeah. When he's pissing his pants, <laughs> right? Like he's got a small role. Then he was already famous, right? Like yeah. it was just like, let's get this motherfucker in here. He's fucking totally. hilarious. We lost that actor way too soon. We did. That blows. Anyway, sorry. Um, so with Neeson locked in, um, he was fucking balls deep, ready to go. Loved it so much that he actually kept the hat and the shirt from the oh. from the shoot to this day. Whatever, whatever year the interview was that I was watching. Does he still have like the, the metal funnel where he's the tin man and he's a no. fucking clown doing a dance? No, no. We're gonna, that shit's ridiculous. We're going to talk about that dance too. It's a very un-Liam Neeson role to me. Very much so. And I like Liam Neeson. Like I said, Star Wars, he's one of my favorite fucking Star Wars <laughs> characters. I always mix him up, but uh, uh, the house on Haunted Hill or is it Haunting uh, Hill House? Uh, I always mix the names up. The Haunting. The Haunted. See, yep. there's, there are two fucking clones. Like, he's yep, good yep. in that, you know. But he's done a lot of big movies. And Taken, like, he was the first, like, this is an old guy that doesn't do action movies that did a badass action movie. Like, yes. he started that. Yes, totally. He's a good actor and uh, got a sad story there with his wife. No. But uh, he's kind of always been in the news there. But I, he's the last person I would ever thought was in, like, a fucking random Sam Raimi dark superhero know, movie. Right? <laughs> to put a little bit of perspective on this film and inside Sam's brain in making this, so so he said, old school Universal meets Beauty and the Beast, but there's also a heavy fucking sprinkling of Looney Tunes. Like all Sam Raimi products. Exactly. A really interesting quote from an interview with Larry was, mm-hmm. after Darkman 2, Sam, they're, they're at a screening, and they finish the screening for Darkman 2, and he pulls Larry aside, and he's like, I'm going to do a third one. I need you in it. Like, Durant has to be in the third one. And he's like, Sam, you blew me up twice. And Sam replied with, it's a cartoon. Right. <laughs> like, that's Sam's brain. So you just blew my mind. So Sam Raimi made all three of them. 
This was at the time. Oh. Yeah. The, he was a producer on the second one. Okay. And then at the time was going to be a producer on the third. But the, by the time they got to the third, if I remember correctly, Sam ended up having nothing to do with it. But okay. he was a producer on the second one. Because Sam Raimi always has like some of the most punk rock director stories in the history of film. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, Evil Dead, I think we said it when we covered it. Like, that was punk rock DIY. Totally. The best you could do. And like, you know, Sony giving them countless numbers of dollars to a Spider-Man trilogy. And all he likes is the original Sinister Six villains. And he thinks Venom's stupid. (laughs) And they're like, you have to put Venom in your movie or we'll fire you. Okay, I'll put Venom in my movie, but you're not going to like it. That's exactly what he said to him. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, yeah, Jazz Fingers and the guy from that 70s show is playing Eddie fucking Brock, the most jacked dude you ever saw. That's a big fuck you to the uh, film industry. And I feel yeah. like he always had that attitude even before like he had hit that stature. He did. But he could pull it off. Yep. So he's the punk rock Steven Spielberg is what I'm trying to say. Totally. <laughs> Another word on going back to Bill Pope. Um, mm. So this was his first quote unquote real movie. With, oh, was it? Okay. Yes, with Hollywood money. He cut his teeth on Corman films. Yeah. So Like most people we cover from back in the day, right? Exactly. And like I said, he went on to do Army of Darkness, Spider-Man 2, da-da-da-da-da, uh, one of the Men in Blacks. I mean, arguably, Sam Raimi wasn't Hollywood famous at this point either. No. Like to no. Evil Dead fans, yeah, but. Exactly. Yeah. And what's interesting is, so Sam Raimi is known for, hey, I'm shooting this, come visit me on the set. Like yeah. I'm just inviting people in. I'm still waiting on my invite, Sam. <laughs> So one of these sets, and Bill Pope says he thinks he remembers it being Spider-Man 2, he had invited Edgar Wright on set. And Bill Pope had actually already seen Shaun of the Dead, even though it hadn't made it to the States yet. And he's like, hey, man, I saw Shaun of the Dead. I thought it was great, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, how did you see that? It's not out here yet. And he's like, oh, no, but I heard about it and I've seen it. You know, I thought it was hilarious, da, da, da. And he's like, oh, well, call me sometime. We'll work together. And it was one of those stories. And that's yeah. what led to him fucking shooting Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which fucking love that movie. Yeah. So this movie would obviously go on to be cited as quote unquote Spider-Man training. And it really was. And not so much because of the context of mm-hmm. it's, it's straight up a comic book feel movie. Oh yeah. But, uh, not a, it's a comic book movie. It's well, got the origin story and everything, man. Exactly. Oh, we're going to get there. Bill Pope even said that they ended up reusing shots from dark man in Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And what was happening is we all know. Oh, not the actual filmed shot, but like they redid the style of the style. Exactly. Okay, okay. So what would happen is we all know Sam Raimi. Like, okay, well, on this, we're going to Dutch angle and zoom in this way, and we're going to go shaky cam. On this, we're going to go this way and vaso cam it. Like all yeah, this yeah. stuff that he had come up with. Bill got so sick of Sam describing the setups that he said, Sam, I need you to actually just, could you alphabetize them and just say, hey, I need an A into a Q or something like that. And he was fucking with him. Sam comes back the next day with all of his shots with letters for them. I guarantee you Sam knew he was fucking with them and he brought it anyways just to fucking prove a point. Yes. So from (laughs) then on working together, Sam would, on Sam's stick figure storyboards, it would say, we go from a B to a Q. Okay. Okay. And that's what they did in Spider-Man where he's like, hey, what do we need here? We need a K. Like, all right, we're going to shoot a K. (laughs) And that's how they talk to each other, which is, I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Sam being a fucking genius. Agreed. To keep Universal off of his back, he had to submit his dailies to them. And what he would do is sit down and go over the dailies each day and 
and basically quote unquote edit the dailies and okay. pull out what was the keepers and only send those to Universal. <laughs> and Universal's like, these dailies are great. Keep going. <laughs> And they're getting the cream of the crop from the director himself, right? Exactly. And these were in the days before digital editing on set where you could have a fucking scene cut every week to watch type yeah. shit that we've got now. Now, the movie wasn't huge. I did not write down numbers. It was big enough to get an NES game and a Game Boy game. And the NES game was bad enough to be covered by the Angry Video Game Nerd. I have not played either one, and I do not have either in my collection. That may change. I have played the Nintendo game, and I do not remember a fucking thing about it. So there you go. All right. <laughs> I remember renting it from Blockbuster, though. <laughs> so into the film. We open with this badass dude, Eddie Black. And he's in this warehouse, and it's obvious he's some kind of, like, drug lord or gun oh, runner yeah. or something with all of his henchmen and fucking cargo and shit around him. And he's on the phone. And uh, <laughs> the dialogue's so on the nose in this film. It is fucking amazing. And because uh, he's telling somebody, he's like, yeah, and him, yo, tell him this. Because he's an asshole. Tell him no. Tell him no, too. Him, tell fuck you. In this conversation, we hear that there's some other asshole that's about to be there on site, and he's trying to push him around, and uh, he's going to set his ass straight. Yeah. So, who we learn is Durant shows up with his boys, including Ted Ramey. The scariest mobster you ever saw. Durant, not Ted. Um, <laughs> I was talking about Ted, but I was being completely fucking facetious. <laughs> Poor Rick. And uh, there's they all get searched before they can come in, because Eddie Black's a smart motherfucker. And they're throwing guns, nightsticks, brass, knuckles, everything on the ground. For All motherfuckers. of it. And uh, once they come in, they're completely surrounded. And Eddie points out that one of the dudes on Durant's crew has a gimpy leg. Yeah. And because uh, he's like, you know, what's what's up with your walk? And he's like, I got a fake leg. And he's like, it's wooden. And he's, he's like, yeah. I used to date a girl that had a wooden yeah. leg. Oh, what happened? Had to break it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, Sam Raimi fucking wrote that oh, line. Yeah. <laughs> So Eddie basically tells Durant to fuck right off. Like, yeah. I don't care what you're here trying to tell me. I don't want you in here at all. He makes three points <laughs> <laughs> and he leads up to the third point being that if he doesn't, he's going to cut all their balls off. So right after he makes his three points, a dude, which I think is smiley because we're going to cover that later, grabs Gimpy dude's leg and it's a fucking machine gun. Right. Smart guys. Chaos ensues and all. All of this and a lot of shit in this movie harkens back to, like you said, crime wave. Yeah. And even earlier shorts from Sam and the kind of shit he wanted to do. He wanted to do slapstick cop drama yeah. action thriller type. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got guns blazing, cars crashing, all kinds of craziness going on. But if you watch Durant, he just calmly pulls out a revolver and he waits. Headshot. Looks around a little bit more and waits. Headshot. Like, doesn't give a Never fuck. Never noticed that, but that makes a scene later in the movie. He's like, that was really good, Polly. Just the way I like it. Just a clean headshot through and through. He <laughs> says that later in the movie. So he's obviously a badass. And uh, Durant's team wins out. And then Durant confronts Eddie. What he ends up doing is cutting his fucking fingers off yeah. with this uh, cigar cutter. <laughs> the fucking cigar cutter. And it's great because he grabs his hand and he's like, point one. And he says whatever and cuts it off. And he gets to point three and he goes, point three, I have seven more points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Larry Drake refused to do the scene. Oh, so they use Liam Neeson with a latex printed mask from a 3D hologram computer and he pulled it on? And they only had 99 minutes to shoot it. Okay, okay. 
But, 99 uh, problems, <laughs> but a Duran ain't one. You know what I'm saying? So fucking when when he told Sam, Sam's like, what do you mean you can't do this? He's like, what if what if some kid sees me doing this and goes around and cuts people's fingers off with a cigar cutter? Okay, fair. And Sam's like, it's a fucking cigar cutter. <laughs> what do you really think this is going to happen? So uh, begrudgingly, he went ahead and did it. And uh, so seven more points title card and it's like there's this red lightning and oh, all yeah. this smoke and everything it's so fucking comic booky it's great even the old school black and white universal with the biplane yes going into the lightning renaissance picture like it, it's all yep. old school as fuck yep because it was the 75th uh anniversary year of universal and they did the throwback to the plane before yeah. they did the new logo that we all know now from jurassic park onwards what's really interesting to me is like Larry Drake is the most unassuming guy and plays a great scary bad guy at the same time. Yeah. Like he looks like your accountant's brother. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like he's not even the accountant, but he can also be creepy as fuck. And that's the thing. Like during his audition, when uh, Sam had never seen LA Law, he had just seen headshots. And he's like, I want this guy. Like he's got a presence. He's big. He's foreboding and everything. He's like, you know, I play a mentally challenged character on L.A. Law, and that's okay. what everyone knows me as. And Sam's like, all I know is I see you in pictures, and you look like you could walk into a room and be the big badass in the room. That's all I care about. At this point, I want to bring up how much Universal neutered this fucking movie. I can see that. <laughs> because Sam wanted full-blown comic book hyper-violence that would make Batman look like a petting zoo. Because it's after Tim Burton's Batman, yes, right? Yes, okay. year after. And he also wanted to dive deep into Peyton's psyche his torment, his nightmares, and create an actual arc for okay. Darkman. The stuff that he wanted to dive into with the violence and Peyton, Universal cut 90% of it. Ooh. And we'll get into a couple of scenes that kind of explain where we might have went. So on to Dr. Peyton and uh, his kick-ass chick modeling weird science computer to make some body parts. Oh, yeah. Because it looks just like the rendering bigger boobs from fucking yeah. weird science, man. Is it concerning to you how much of the tech shown in this scene is so close to reality right now? I know, right? Like the 3D printing. Yep. The scanning the photos from the different angles. Yep. That's how we do de-aging yep. now in film, right? Like in making a latex 3D resin print, whatever the fuck, right? It's really scary, but the funny thing is all these movies, for some reason, didn't understand how light worked, and holograms are always absurd. Yes. <laughs> yes, and we're... <laughs> <laughs> the sound will probably give it away if you know the movie well, but Josh got me. Um, so, to make these body parts, we'll start with a nose. Hmm. And uh, they render the nose, and they're like, here it is, but after 99 minutes, it fucking melts. And Peyton and his assistant vow to push on. Yep. And... We then meet his girlfriend, Julie, and that night they're like going through uh, slides of home pictures of the pictures of her as a kid. Yeah. Those are like you talked about in Brightburn. Those 100 percent are yeah, her. I could tell. And I'm pretty sure the Liam Neeson with the hippie hair and stuff in college was him. Probably because probably, it looks like him. But in an interview, she, she did flat out say she was asked to bring those in. If you'll pay attention. And I didn't realize this till my third watch. Peyton's lab is in his apartment. It's all the same fucking open floor plan. Because when we get to the memo being found, I'm like, wait a second. Why does he have the memo? I'm like, oh, it's all the same fucking room. <laughs> that I got. <laughs> the fact that they knew to go to his house to find the memo and not her house, because in a minute he's going to ask her to marry him. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. I got to think about it. Like, I love you, but like, I just got my own play. Like, yep. you know what I mean? Like, like, why did they randomly go to the skin pressing 
science lab to find the lawyer's legal documents and not her house. Because fucking Durant gets shit done. <laughs> Plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> but we meet Julie. They're sitting there on the couch. They have uh, some tasteful, sexy time. Mm. And at this point, we should understand that Peyton is just a passionate, lovable dude who wants mm -hmm. to help people. That, yeah. that, that's all he is. There's no ulterior motives here. The next morning through conversation, Julie reveals to Peyton that she's found this memo that points towards payouts and kickbacks on a real estate deal. And Peyton then accidentally sets his coffee down on said memo, yep. leaving a coffee ring. Oh, oh this is my turn? <clears throat> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Oh, and as Julie heads off to confront the memo fucker, the fucker, what? the fucker, the fucker in the memo, Lewis Strack, Peyton proposes, but she needs time to think it over. And he's like, just standing on the side of the road, like, come on. As she gets in a taxi and he's like, all right, well, back to work. It's, um, like it's the same thing we do right now, except for when my grandmother calls. You don't have to act like it's the wrong number. She thinks yes. she's senile now. That's such a Sam Raimi <laughs> joke, too. I love that line. <laughs> so Julie goes on to face Streck, who basically says it's for the greater good. Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, I did it. It's, it's, we call it a kickback. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he also warns her that she's playing with fire and she yeah. doesn't want to be on Durant's radar. And that's what he says is that he's the good guy trying to do a good real estate deal, but there's a bad guy also <laughs> trying to counter his real estate deal and stay off of his radar. Yeah. Which is actually bullshit once we get later into the film. Right, but we'll right. get there. Because we know who's who's boss at that point. So where are we? It's textbook. <clears throat> Lovable good guy? Check. Foreboding baddie? Check. Soon to be damsel in distress? Check. Mm. And real estate shenanigans. We've got a comic book film. Yep. <laughs> All we're missing is Looney Tunes level violence. But I hear it might be coming. Thanks, Universal. Um, <laughs> so we go back to the lab in another experiment. And this time, while they're reviewing, the fucking power goes out. Mm. And the synthetic skin survives past 99 yeah. minutes. It's the light. More importantly, hey, our likable good guy has found a breakthrough. Yep. It doesn't fix it yet, but at least he knows what to look at. Thank God Durant and his crew aren't busting in right, right. now looking for the memo. Because he's like, yeah, guys, I know you're excited. But we haven't solved it yet, but what we got now is a puzzle, a puzzle we can solve together. <laughs> and then he turns around. And there's Durant. Yep. No foolish heroics, if you please. We've come only for documents. Peyton acts clueless because he is clueless. We don't know how much he was listening to Julie on the phone while she was talking about the memo and shit that morning. And uh, he just knows he fucked up a piece of paper with a cup of coffee and she got <laughs> mad at him. He didn't get a BJ that morning. That's all he knows. <laughs> so they bag Peyton's assistant by putting a bag over his oh, head yeah. and Peyton begs them to let him breathe. So mm. Ted playing the character of Rick pokes a hole in the bag with a bullet. Yeah. That yeah. continues on through the dude's fucking skull. And uh, <laughs> then one of the baddies spots the memo. And with no use left for Peyton, they throw him in a vat that melts half of his face off, shocking him to the point of burning his hands nearly off along the way. Mm -hmm. While all this is going on with the henchman, Durant releases some gas and sets up the fucking drinking bird mm. detonator, which is awesome. Anybody that doesn't know what a drinking bird is, it's a fucking bird on a stick with a little bulb that sits there and pecks. And what it is, is I forget what liquid's in there, but the boiling point is so low that it'll actually gas to the top. Con it'll condense. Gotcha. Okay. Get heavy and then pour back down, making the bird peck. I remember them existing when we were kids, but I didn't realize it was a bowling point thing. I thought it was just like a 
liquid and as the weight went back and forth of the liquid like switching no, back man, and forth changing states it would yeah okay okay and and he's got it pecking where where he's got his fucking lighter sitting so once it pecks big bada boom so the baddies bounce and big bada boom yeah Meanwhile, Julie is arriving and she's saying it out loud. Like, I'm going to be oh, yeah, I'm gonna marry Mrs. this Peyton, guy. Like, and everything fucking explodes. And we see Cafe Java. Boom. Well, it's, it's got the exactly. worst Exactly. Yeah. It does. And Julie goes straight from potential wife to a widow. And it's a great optical. I mean, it, it's rough. It doesn't hold up well. But you got her standing there, like, going directly from disbelief, seeing the explosion, to full-on mourning because the optical dissolves right. into her at the funeral. And she's standing in the exact same spot so that it dissolves in. But when I see this scene, I think of Drag Me to Hell every time. Is there a scene in Drag Me to Hell that does that? Hang on, because I got to, like, actually play the movie through It's one of your mind. favorite movies, so it's kind of open. I you can age this for me. Because it's the closest we ever got to Evil Dead 4. Every time I see this, I'm like, that's from fucking, like, they, they he redid that <laughs> and, uh, in Drag Me to Hell. I feel like there's a funeral scene where it cuts when the gypsy lady does, but maybe I'm just, like, mixing shit in my head. I don't, I don't know. know. Now I've got a reason to go back and watch Drag Me to Hell again. Fucking I'm sorry I did that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we cut away from the funeral to Peyton. Alive. Oh, yeah. In a regeneration tank. And we quickly learned that the explosion had blown him into the river. And the doctors think he's just a bum. He's now the latest test subject for Jenny Ugater from American Werewolf in London. The fucking nurse lady, the main nurse Is lady. Is it the nurse lady from that? Who goes on to explain to the other doctors, including John Landis and Ivan Ramey, that... What? Yes. That Peyton can no longer feel pain, just rage. Rage he must keep in check. Right, right, because they cut like a nerve that's pain, but... She fucking pokes em- him with a needle! Emotion <laughs> redirects. Watch this when I stab him with a needle. Yeah. yeah. So fucking John Landis and Ivan Ramey's in the room? Yes! <laughs> Holy fuck. They're the other two doctors, so the bearded doctor and the glasses... That's John Landis. I'm going to check it when I get home tonight. And fucking okay. Ivan Ramey's standing next to him, too. You can like, count on my steel. <laughs> <laughs> that was Ivan, right? In Army of Darkness? I think that may actually have been Ted, because Ted played like 11 people in that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like the Hercules and Xena shows. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, sorry I butchered What's-Her-Face's name, but whatever. So we see Peyton come to, and he's fucking fully mummified, by the way. We just see his eyeballs. Yeah. He comes to, and we get this in-the-mind-of-a-madman sequence. <laughs> and Sam Raimi is fuck. Yes, and this is what Sam Raimi wanted to revisit constantly throughout the movie of every time there was a struggle within Peyton before becoming Darkman. And that's what they dumped. But anyways, Deadpool breaks free. He escapes under the cover of night. He Brandon leaves himself some clothes out of the uh, dumpster in the alley. And uh, too soon, <laughs> always <laughs> until Skarsgård does it. <laughs> and then he makes his way to fucking Julie's walking down the street. Oh yeah, awesome! I'm gonna go say hi. She of course gasps at the sight of Ghost Rider and runs <laughs> away. And Peyton collapses in shame. What's well, because all I can say is <laughs> monster, monster. So there you yep. go. I got Deadpool, fucking the Crow, and Ghost Rider all in one fucking paragraph. It's awesome because it's fucking raining and shit and Peyton collapses and the there's water twirling down a drain and we're looking at his eyes. He's laying there and then we get a composited shot of the two of them and we're going down the drain yeah. into his eye. There was supposed to be more of that and that's a representation of this is the official downward spiral okay. of Peyton because he's not Deadpool. <laughs> he's Deadpool. He's not Darkman yet. Yeah. 
Peyton then returns to what's left of his lab, and uh, it looks and feels so much like old school Universal when he walks in. Looks like uh, Frankenstein yes. or Jekyll or yes. this old man's lab. Yeah, God yeah. damn, yes. And uh, <laughs> he then starts cutting some of the bandages off of his face just to see how bad yeah. the damage really is. Because he hasn't seen himself yet, right? Yeah, and he's like, fuck, I am ugly. So he starts grabbing some of his gear, and uh, he gets the monitor because, you know, that's the most important part of any computer. I hate how they did that in the 90s. Um, anyways, he grabs some gear and he sets up shop in an abandoned warehouse. Cat included, because this warehouse comes with a cat. Oh, is that not the uh, blown up derelict lab we worked at before? No, no, no. Oh, okay. It just looks worse than the blown up derelict lab he worked in before. <laughs> I just assumed he went back to the same lab. No, no. Now he's at the warehouse with the sign outside that says danger cyanide or some shit like that. I'm not even I kidding. I thought it said like danger, like, I don't like it, like it was from an explosion. I just always <laughs> assumed it was the same fucking place. No, no, no. He went from East LA to downtown LA. Mm. So, uh, what's a guy with no hope, no life, and no face left to do? Use the internet for porn. <laughs> Okay, so we'll cover Dark Man 4 with <laughs> <laughs> a <The> beating <laughs> eventually. With a beating. Oh, my God. You took my joke to 11 there. <laughs> so um, Peyton's going to get to fucking work, and he scans a picture of himself, but it's missing one side of the face because the picture mm. was torn. And the system's like, I can't fucking use this. And Peyton laments, what the fuck am I going to do? Then he finally realizes... He can mirror the damn image, but it's going to take 24 fucking yeah. days to render. <laughs> He's got a goddamn plan. Oh, 24 days, 24 days to mirror a hologram. Anyways, so he spins. Why don't you use like a fucking mirror and reflect it back? Uh, fucking holograms, man. Fucking. The holograms bother me. This very bad I because don't... it's like, who thought that light could do that ever? Because <laughs> we have holograms now. But, but they can't they do still that. Can't they do can't that. replace monitors, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. We'll get there eventually. No. Because um, life doesn't work that way. No, no, no. What we have to do is if you take an ion field, then you still have to stop the light. You're right. Because that's the problem. The light's just yeah. going to fly on. But if you can do it with a properly charged ion field, it can be done. I'm talking about when Project Bluebeam goes live and like me and you will see God or Jesus and like other people will see like Buddha and Krishna. Is that and the, the team that's working with the same company on Project Blue Ball or? <laughs> <laughs> Two different government departments, but they are, they're on the same wing. Um <laughs> Anyway, the blue ball guys are fucking communists from what I heard that <laughs> um, mirroring 24 hours. OK, 24 days to render Jesus. So Peyton then spends these 24 days trying to get the synthetic skin to actually work. I feel this pain sometimes, though, because I try to test a special effect at home and I'm like, hey, this is only a six second clip. Let's click render. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I got to go to work the next day and wait for it to finish. Exactly. So like, uh, that's kind of accurate, too. I do want to point out that instead of going back to work on getting the skin to last more than 99 minutes, he could just go out at night. You know, dark man. Yeah, yeah. We never go with that. It's the name of the goddamn movie and we never go with it. They go with it a little bit when he goes to meet the guy in Chinatown. He's past 99 minutes and he's sweating it. And it's because they're standing in that yeah. dark warehouse. Yeah, yeah. And he's when like, and you don't want to walk in front of the window and shit, right? Yes. Yeah, so when it goes wrong, yes. But still, I'm just saying, pisses me off. But, anyways, meanwhile, at the Strack Industries City of the Future ball, Strack asks Julie about the memo and uh, she says the papers were destroyed in the fire. 
And then he tries to hit on her. He's like, well, let's dance. And uh, all this is going down while Peyton's spying through a fucking vent. Mm -hmm. He sees Durant and the boys show up. Are they like Dirty Mike and the boys? Or Yes, okay. exactly. Soup uh, kitchen. <laughs> then Peyton spots Rick. And the rage kicks mm. in because Rick put a fucking bullet through his assistant's fucking face. I thought it was just because Ted Raimi had a very punchable face. In those glasses? Yes. <laughs> Is it the glasses or the hair? It's Ted Raimi. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I love Ted Raimi, but he has a punchable face. So uh, Peyton <laughs> follows Rick when he leaves the party uh, to extract some info. <laughs> I know, Rick. I know you did. But let's pretend you didn't. I fucking love that. And Peyton pokes Rick's head yep. up through a manhole into the street, and cars go swerving until he gets his head fucking popped by a semi truck. So the night that we decided this is the film you were going to cover, and I had to export all the files from the Andre Overdahl episode, mm -hmm. I decided to put Dark Man on whilst doing it. Okay. Because I hadn't seen it in so long, right? And I'm like, what did I just do to Josh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm watching it, and I'm like, this movie's fucking weirder than I remember it being. <laughs> and then I hit this scene, and I'm like, this is a Sam fucking Raimi movie. <laughs> through like, and fucking through. As soon as he says the, let's pretend you're dead, and then he fucking <laughs> sticks his head out, and the fucking trucks are coming. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I signed on for right here, right now. And this is the part where I believe Peyton is now Dark Man because he's fucking given yeah. in. He could have let dude survive or given him a more peaceful send off. So now Dark Man starts tailing the boys. By the boys, I mean the. Soup kitchen. Um, is that where he has the breakdown, though, later, where he's like, what have I done? What kind of man am I? We're going to get to that, but that's going to be after. They took my hands. <laughs> that does happen, but I think he actually gets upset after killing Ted Raimi. No, no, he's fucking full-blown rage Immediately still. after, no, but I feel like he has a panic attack later. Uh, uh, maybe when he gets back to the warehouse, I'm not sure. <laughs> One thing Sam didn't think of is it would be a bigger lab where there were different departments working on different uh, ways to fix physical ailments. Okay. And one of the labs would have been working on voice recognition for voice boxes. Ah. Because that shit's going to bother me in a minute. Yeah. 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 So uh, as Darkman tells the boys trying to work his way to Durant, he sees Polly making a pickup of cash and he gets to work on his first synthetic disguise. He then meets up with Polly, chloroforms his ass, and he stages yeah. evidence of a getaway for Polly and Rick and heads to the next pickup Polly was meant to go to, but he's now wearing the Polly mask right. and the Polly hands. Because he took a lot of photos when he was spying on him, so he had the uh, face yep. even from the other angle because he did not want to wait 24 fucking days. <laughs> exactly. So we can do a life-size 3D render from a 2D fucking picture at God knows what f-stop and length, but we can't fucking mirror that image. Got it. So we jump cut to Durant and the boys waking up the real Polly and confronting him about the money that's yeah. gone missing because he didn't fucking know he was chloroformed. I slept to the drop, I promise. Yes, and that's when Durant spots the fucking airline tickets the dark man had planted. And Durant, oh, yeah. Durant, Rio, first class. Yep. And Durant shoves the tickets in Polly's pocket and he tells him to have a nice flight. 
And of course, we cut to Polly flying out the window and crashing to a car below. The DP talked about the scene, and it was it was almost a terrifyingly bad accident. Oh. So they're getting ready to do the shot. They got the stuntman on the radio, and they're waiting for the call from the stuntman, like, all right, I'm set up. That That's your last chance. Roll cameras. Because they had six cameras. I, I'm pulling a number out of my ass, but they're only going to get to do this shot once. Mm-hmm. So the DP is on the radio, and he's asking the stuntman, like, all right, don't forget to give us the cue. Are you getting ready? Can you hear anything? And the mic was cued, and he could actually hear the stuntman breathing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I started hearing him, like, oh, shit, he's getting amped up. And he's like, everybody roll, everybody roll, everybody roll. And as soon as he got all the cameras rolling, fucker flew out the window. Didn't, Holy shit. Didn't tell a goddamn person. <laughs> but they got the shot. As long as you get the fucking shot. So we see that dark man in the poly suit is sitting on this bench right by where real poly crashes into this car. And there's this gypsy lady in between the bench and the car. And she's like, looking back and forth. Like, is she a gypsy lady? Or are you just going back to fucking drag me to hell like me? No, no, no. She is straight up in a, a gypsy garb in my okay. opinion. Um, and she might be somebody or she's reminding me of somebody else. But anyway, she's looking back and forth and she loses her fucking shit. And uh, <laughs> right around then. Oh, yeah. We're out of time. Peyton's got a bolt. This is the scene you're talking about. So that night, Peyton reflects and he's like, what have I become? Okay. And uh, he tries again to keep the skin from melting at 99 minutes, but no luck. And he kind of has a mini breakdown and he puts an, <laughs> a funnel on his head. Because the cat was talking shit, clearly. Yes. Yeah, it's like, you're not even you aren't my friend. And he fucking puts the oil funnel on his head yeah. and he starts doing a fucking army of darkness. Bruce dance. Fee, five, four, five. Is anybody <laughs> fucking clown to you? A clown to the dance. And it's exactly. like, this is Liam Neeson doing this. This is crazy. And he's, he fucking goes full fucking boy, oh, yeah. though. It's great. Yeah. But you could so tell that could have been Bruce. That is actually the moment where I was like, why didn't Bruce do this fucking movie? Studio wouldn't let it. Yep. So uh, he goes from his dance to a, a fucking full-blown breakdown, starts smashing his lab, and eventually he sees his own reflection in some water. And he's like, fuck. <laughs> like, I look this bad. Do I have to act this bad, too? Yeah. And he calms down, and then he hears the computer in the background. Rendering complete. 24 days later. <laughs> I did not realize it was 24 days. Jesus Christ. It's 578 hours or whatever. I did the math on it. It's, it's just ah, shy okay, of 24 okay. days. So rendering's complete. And we fade to a soft focus 70s porn looking shot of Julie. Mm. And I'm like, this is about to get hot. Wait, she's at Peyton's grave. And um, Peyton all of a sudden approaches Surprise, her. motherfucker. Yeah, not from out of the grave. Like, just walks yeah, up. Yeah. And a full fucking face. Yeah. And uh, it must- in the sun. That's why he's so concerned. <laughs> You're like, dark man, dark man. He wants to get laid in the sunlight. That's all he cares about. I saw him fucking the dark at the beginning of the movie. Mm. <laughs> but anyways, obviously this is a dream because it's porn focus and everything. But fuck, it's not. Nope. Like, And he explains it all the way. He's been in the hospital. Amnesia. I've been in a coma and shit. And his doctor told him to limit his time with Julie as part of his PTSD recovery. Right. And uh, he also asked Julie, because it cuts from the cemetery to them like sitting, like having lunch or something. He's like... Hey, Julie, so uh, what if I was horribly scarred or yeah, disfigured? Oh yeah. <laughs> Would you still be into me? <laughs> what the fuck are you asking me that? <laughs> exactly. So while all the audience is going, did he really just ask that? We're going to go to hung fat. Mm. Yeah, I like being hung fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I laugh every time he says his name. <laughs> And then I remember Chow Yun Fat as a famous person. <laughs> but before we get, this is just the setup for Hung Fat, though. I got ahead of myself. We come back to Durant 
And he's on the phone with somebody, and we see that he's got a finger collection. So it's not just oh, yeah. that he likes chopping off fingers. He fucking mummifies them and keeps them in this nice wooden box. He has fucking Liam Neeson's finger, too, doesn't he? Because he's like, get me that finger right before they blow the place up. Yeah, but he had already he had already burned off the... They'd already burn off his hands in the electrocution um, or burn off it. You know what I mean? Uh, Which I never really got. I don't know what the fuck that vat was. Well, that's not in the vat. Like, I don't get the electrocuting his hands so that he can't feel anything because the surgery he gets later makes it where he can't feel anything, not the electrocution. So what the fuck was the point in that scene? Yeah. Well, and then we even have it revisited when the bandage catches on fire while he's doing a fucking I'm going to perfect the skin montage and he, he pulls the bandage off. I can't off feel it. my hands. I took my hands from me. And it's like, yeah. well, you wouldn't be able to grab anything if you couldn't feel. Exactly. So you can feel you just can't feel pain. So <laughs> they did not take your hands from you. So Dark Man is actually the worst fucking superhero ever because he wouldn't be <laughs> hang on I could pick up this ball and throw it at you I promise right. hang on I can pick up this ball and throw it at you I promise <laughs> like eventually the they act like that but he can feel he just can't feel pain because they disabled the nerves that go to the pain receptors but if you actually research how those nerves work the same nerves that give you the sensation we're of, talking about comic book it's logic the same fucking nerves that give you the not in the, comic the, books yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the human fucking nervous system it's it the same goddamn comic nerves. books <laughs> How much ink do I need for nerve? <laughs> Let me take a spider and dose it in radioactive toxic waste and put it on you. Let's see how it turns out. Oh, that's totally normal. That that would work. Now, the spider would not be blue and red. That was the only problem I had with that. <laughs> in the Sam Raimi movie. But I just mean in general with the origin story, you would probably just get Dead. radiation poisoning and die. <laughs> yeah, you die a long, slow death while half your body rots away. So uh, Durant and his <laughs> finger collection... <laughs> He's on the phone explaining to another baddie that uh, with the the Polly incident, he's a little low on funds, and right. they, they need to make a visit to Hung Fat to collect what debt he owes Durant. And then we see that Dark Man is outside of Durant's mansion, and he's eavesdropping, and he starts mimicking Durant's voice. Oh yeah! Another important thing right there is uh, Durant's not planning on collecting the total balance; just enough to tide him over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very level-headed guy. <laughs> <laughs> so with the Durant mask ready, duh, Dark Man knocks over a fucking convenience store. Oh, yeah. This is so same, Raimi. <laughs> and uh, the, the cashier's like, is that going to be it, buddy? He's like, my name's not Buddy. My name's Durant. And then he looks right at the camera. He's like, Robert G. Durant. <laughs> the only thing that would have made it more Sam Raimi is if he would have been, I have a micro penis, like right afterwards, and it would have fucking completely fulfilled it. <laughs> oh, so this, of course, leads to Durant's arrest and Operation <laughs> Hung Fat is a go. So Darkman as Durant heads to Chinatown, where Hung tries to stiff him. He's not having any of it. Peyton Smart, and he sits down in Hung Fat's chair and he tells him, you're going to pay by the time I finish the cigar. And then he clips it down to a fucking nub <laughs> and he lights it. Yeah. He starts smoking it and then starts burning the hand yeah. with the fucking match. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Seems like something Durant would actually right. fucking do. And uh Hung But he's asking for all the money and not yes. just the little partial all payment. So funds. like his guys are like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, they're just I'm just gonna stand over here, boss. Yep. <laughs> and Hung Fat's like, fuck it, this dude just sat down and lit his hand on fire. I don't want whatever he's gonna give me. Meanwhile, the real Durant has been released from jail and he's hauling balls to the meeting. And once he gets there, Durant hit the so the meeting's inside a restaurant because you know it's Chinatown. It's an Asian guy. Like this is this is the trope, and uh, there's a revolving door into the restaurant. Yeah, 
Real Durant goes in the revolving door as Darkman Durant is yeah. coming out through the revolving and door. And they do the Spider-Man meme point thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the full-blown Looney Tunes and now, to use the parlance of our time, the you're a fed, you're a fed, you're a fed. That's the one I'm used to because of the forums I travel on. But I know the Spider-Man meme. So Sam actually made Larry Drake do the revolving door scene, both parts, in his audition. Oh, in the audition. I was going to say, okay, so he made him do both of them and you masked it. You mean like just from the get-go? In his audition, he brought him in to read and he's like, read this scene. And he starts looking at it and he's like, Sam, uh, do I? He's like, oh, just read both parts. Okay. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like he took him down to Trump Towers at the bottom floor no, and made him go no, through the no, door no, and everything. No, okay. No, they didn't have time for that. Lunch was coming. So anyways, they're fucking flying around this, this revolving door. And of course, yeah. one comes out and yells at the bad guy, shoot him. And then he comes out again. Shoot him. <laughs> it's not me. Shoot him. Yeah. And they spill outside and they keep telling the baddie to shoot the fake one. But then the mask begins to boil and melt. They're all like, what the fuck? Giving Darkman enough time to go ahead and start running. Yeah. Nobody wants to fuck with El Diablo Durant. Exactly. And uh, he makes it away, but he ends up leaving the mask behind. And Durant and his baddie see it fucking boiling and melting on the ground. We then cut to Peyton and Julie on a date at the carnival. Mm. This part is fucking grade A acting. And she's like, you're not going to run away from me today, Peyton. I want you all day and all night. That's sexy time. That means he should have printed two masks. <laughs> he could have used the nighttime mask all night and she would have never known. You know what? That's a real good fucking point. He could just have like a trench coat and like more masks. And as one runs, I'll be like, hang on, Julie. IBS. I got to take another shit. And then just right. change masks. <laughs> Nothing was stopping this man from getting laid that night other than his lack of a second mask. It doesn't take 24 days to fucking figure out a print it each time. Do you think his winkies burnt off and that's the real subplot here that we don't ever speak of that he can never bone again? That's kind of the joke that I think of when he's like, what if I was horribly disfigured? And she's like, but you're not. Or are you? Like, right? like what if he is under his clothes kind of thing? Yeah. The same goes for Deadpool on that one. Anyways, man, Deadpool's only scarred because of the cancer curing itself, though. <laughs> yeah, but he looked fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does like fucking Freddy Krueger's vagina. <laughs> he says something like that in the movie. You seen it, right? I need to watch it again. Uh, you know that whole scene's ad-libbed? Oh, really? Yeah, with the guy fucking talking shit. I can't think of his name right now because he's crazy because he threatened to pull up a train while he's on it and got arrested. But uh, That'll happen. Yeah, him and Ryan Reynolds going back and forth. And he's like, you look like Freddy Krueger's nutsack caught in a cheese shredder. Like, all that shit they ad-libbed it back and forth without fucking blinking. That's great. And it's actually, like, I, I've seen, like, a part of the clip. It's, like, several minutes long. Ah. And they just kept, like, the best jokes or whatever. But they just. I love that. Neither one of them fucking let loose. Like, there's the back and forth. But, yeah, Freddy Krueger's nutsack is my <laughs> favorite description of his face. Well, Peyton, with or without a dick, and definitely without extra masks in his pockets, mm. knows he can't stay. And he starts making excuses again about how he's going to have to bounce. But then he starts to tell her the truth. But then mm. he gets distracted by the freak show. And this starts to set him off. Then he tries to throw it yeah. on her, asking if she was riding another disco stick while he was away. And she mm. says, yes. She's like, there was a man that gave me comfort, but it meant nothing. Like, I love how that's written. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, I was fucking someone else, but it was just sex. Like, very. It was written like a 50s era film, which yes. Sam Raimi goes to that a lot. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, these are the little things that when people watch, from what I was reading, people watch the movie and they're like, this dialogue's stupid. Why is this in this? This doesn't fit this era. It's like you don't understand Sam right. Raimi at yep. all. This is so Sam Raimi. I watched the movie and I'm like, he took three Stooges, 50s, like cop noir yeah, films, cover. 
and uh, a little bit of horror and a little bit of Looney Tunes and fucking made a movie. Yep. So then he tries to winter this fucking elephant and he, he throws the baseball. He knocks down the, the milk jars and he's like, no, nah, you're over the line. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, you're over the line. And he's like, no, I wasn't. Give me the elephant. <laughs> and he's like, no, yeah. get the elephant. <laughs> and we get another fucking awesome optical as the rage kicks yeah. in we get all the dutch angles and everything and then then fucking he goes on the attack and he, he throws the fucking carney <laughs> into the wall gets the elephant and uh, he's like here as his face starts melting off <laughs> i thought he snapped all the bones in his hand i think he just picks no well, that's in brightburn for sure it is yeah but i, I thought he just picked him up and okay. threw him into the wall i gotta be wrong i've only seen the movie twice sir i've only seen both yeah, the movies twice it, it's like the most Sam Raimi scene in the movie because he grabs his <laughs> hand and he snaps his arm and the guy screams in pain while Liam Neeson goes screaming at him. Francis McDormand goes Aah! like like it's like a fucking it does like a, a single take on each of their sounds like Sam Raimi as they scream in stages higher up as he breaks the guy's hand. That's what makes it. It's like fucking ridiculous. It's very creep show ask also. Yeah, very much so. But uh, he gets the elephant. He 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 starts to melt, and yeah. and he bounces. This time, Julie tails him. Yep, and she sees the awful truth, the full on awful truth. Peyton has no dick. Um, <laughs> Freddy Krueger screwed him. <laughs> so Peyton hides in the shadows while Julie's saying, like, you should have come to me. I would have helped you. I right. can still help you. Because she da, sees da, da, da. the melting mask on the ground, right? So yeah. she's figured it out. We're, we're, we're once again back to v- feeling very phantom, feeling very hunchback along those lines in this scene. Like, it's real serious. And that's part, I think that's another thing people don't understand about the movie is it goes from so such a zany beat to such a serious beat. Once again, this is just Sam Raimi. This yeah. is just how the motherfucker's mind works. But at any rate, he won't come out of the shadows. And, the uh, shadow knows. <laughs> and we see Julie then go to Strack to break it off. And uh, she says that she can't see him anymore. So obviously that flirting with her at the uh, the event and dancing Ball with her. Or whatever, work, yeah. Yeah, that's the dick she was riding. But she does say, hey, the reason I can't see you anymore is because Peyton's alive. And uh, just then, Strack gets distracted by a phone call. And while he's on the phone, Julie starts poking around his desk. And she finds the memo. The original memo. Because it's got the fucking coffee stain. Strack must have been part of the lab explosion, right? Now she's in real danger, too. Strack just tells her, hey, just let it go. And uh, after all, they're building a city together. And uh, he opens up the mm-hmm. fucking thing, and you can see the poorly composited construction side. I'm sorry, you can see the the window frames through people's heads and shit. It's not. It's better than the original cut of Star Wars, and then you never notice it. Fucking rancor, aren't you? No, no, no. The the snow speeders and you, with the adats, and no one ever noticed it until they pointed it out and like, on the wrong side oh, of trees and you, shit. You really yeah. can't see through that. I never noticed, but now I see it everywhere. Oh, we better do a special edition. Anyways, making a joke there. I remember us watching. Like a PBS special, yeah, on the compositing being like invented for that movie and how bad it was, like before <laughs> it had been redone. Like that's weird because you don't get shit like that anymore. You don't get like a special on how bad something looked. Well, because well, because it was like you know fucking cutting edge. To the, that's what I was gonna say. To their credit, nobody had the balls to do it. A white background, gray right. models, and a powder blue sky, like the worst brightest oh, yeah. thing to do compositing on well, and that's there, there was a documentary because it was like it, it looks like shit and you didn't realize it because it was so good because it was so cutting mm-hmm. edge but at any rate as they look at the city they're building together julie delivers a straight up baller line of dialogue if you're not going to kill me i have things to do so she bounces and uh strack is a bit bitter and uh he goes back to his phone and says send durant in and durant just lives in this little apartment 
office, Strack's office for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes walking in and he's like, you fucked up. Peyton's still alive. And uh, it's like, I need you to take care of that. And there's your bait. Follow her. Yeah. Third act. So Julie is approaching the warehouse that Peyton has set up shop in and the baddies are right on her fucking heels. They pull up, they start blasting away at the warehouse, snatch her ass. Dark man heads up to the roof and runs right into a chopper with a grenade launcher wielding Durant on board. Yeah. And Durant starts blasting away as Darkman runs back to the lab, and it's a drawn-out thing. He's, like, jumping roof to roof and shit, blowing up everywhere. Darkman does, of course, make it back to his lab, and then we see these two baddies come in, Smiley and What's-His-Nuts. And uh, What's-His-Nuts discovers Darkman's collection of baddie masks in this cabinet. We then see Darkman pounce on him right after he's seen the mask, because this is going to get a little fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty fucked up if, like, your mom or dad discovered your Sears catalog, right? Like, opened the wrong page, and they found his Sears catalog. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Feels like real flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. They do say that, don't they? (laughs) So, uh, Darkman pounces on What's-His-Nuts. And then the other. We just just completely changed the perspective of everything you wrote now. Oh, man. Come on. This is going to be real hard for me to say. Oh, it's hard. All right. So we then see Smiley get rum butt. Nope. <laughs> see what I just did here? I worked real hard on this, goddammit. So we then see Smiley get bum rushed by a bound Smiley. Smiley then removes Smiley Smiley mask, and it's Peyton. But that's a mask too, and it's what's his nuts gagged in a Peyton mask. And when he tells Smiley, don't shoot, Smiley blasts him. So we had an inception before inception. <laughs> we did. So anyone who's confused, I'm a dude dressed <laughs> like another dude acting like another dude. Yes, thank you. And he's dead. <laughs> oh shit then another smiley walks up on smiley very army of darkness feeling moment you're good ash i'm bad ash same poor compositing (laughs) actually this is a really good shot because there's the steam in between them so there is no line down the middle that's that's the trick there is put some in the middle you know they talked about how they really did a great job on that optical and i need to google it because i bet they use twins Moving on. So this other smiley is Dark Man, of course. And it's like, well, how did he render that mask so fast? Well, what's his nuts saw a cabinet with all the baddest masks in it in the dark. So he would have already had it. So Dark Man kicks the shit out of smiley. Meanwhile, the chopper lands on the roof. Dark Man runs back up and he hops on it and he starts pounding on Durant. And they take off. We see it bounce back to Smiley waking up from where he just had his ass kicked. And he sees that Peyton has pulled a fucking Durant. He's turned all the gas on and set up the same damn drinking bird trigger. Smiley tries to slap it off the table, but fuck, it's a hologram. Then he turns around and sees the real drinking bird. Yeah. Click on the lighter. Big bada boom. As Darkman is getting knocked from the chopper. The DP said they had to go back and reshoot this and do a shot of the cat escaping. And he's like, I don't know where the fuck it is in the film, but I know Uni made us do a fucking pickup shot for us. Like, oh, no, we can't have people thinking the cat died. Well, it's not in the movie. So the fucking cat died in the explosion. Sorry, all cat lovers. Anyways. I mean, he thought Peyton was a fucking clown anyway. Yes. Maybe he left soon. Well, no, because he meows at what's his nuts. Well, hisses. Anyways, so Darkman's fallen off of the helicopter by this point, but mm. there's this cable with a hook hanging from ah, the fucking so I was helicopter. Of, okay. And he grabs onto that shit, so he's going to be able to hang on. Durant tells the, the fucking chopper pilot, shake him. <laughs> <laughs> and they fly around downtown LA, and uh, everybody said this was the hardest shit to shoot because you're closing down the streets, you're spending a lot of fucking money. And even though some of the shots are just poorly composited and, and, 
it's still fun. It's this fun. part actually looks pretty good. It's fucking hanging 19, on the chain. Yeah. Yes, it's fucking 1990. You got to remember that. And it's not ILM. And they only had like seven million bucks to make this movie. Oh, really? like, it was. I don't don't quote me on that, but it was a very low number um, for what they pulled off, in my yeah. opinion. But at any rate, <laughs> so they immediately start getting chased by a police fucking chopper because it's mm. downtown LA where there's a carjacking every. Well, there's one now. Um, so they always got <laughs> fucking cops flying around. And uh, they end up slamming Darkman into this office. And it's just long enough for everybody at the conference room table to be like, what the fuck? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then it fucking whips his ass right back yeah. out. <laughs> One of the, the least believable parts of this scene and the scene where Durant gets arrested like uh-huh. at his house when he's like, yes, I'm Durant. And they snap him. <laughs> you got to tell me that Durant and the fucking like district attorney or whatever that's going for mayor and like fuck all this real estate shit doesn't have any cops in their pocket. Exactly. And I'm not saying all cops are dirty. I'm just saying this is like uh, that kind of like mob era New York film kind of thing, right? Like the yes. chief's in on it or something. Exactly. You know? The palms are already greased. Durant wouldn't need his lawyer to go argue to get him right. out. I agree 100%. Like the police chopper should have been shooting at Dark Van. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But instead, the choppers start shooting at each other. <laughs> Durant tells the pilot to go ahead and dip him. Yeah. Meaning dip Dark Man into traffic. And... Dark Man does a dodge, duck, dip, dive, dodge. Huh. <laughs> Mixed in with Looney Tunes running on top of an 18-wheeler. Oh, yeah. Until he gets hit by the Delta, driven by the Coen brothers. Did not notice the Delta. Neither, Holy shit, I go back to watch did it. did I until the fucking commentary, and I went back, and I'm like, fuck, that's the Delta. <laughs> so, uh, at this point, Durant's had enough of the fucking police helicopter, so starts shooting it with fucking grenade launcher. It's no more. Then he starts volleying grenades at Darkman like fucking crazy. And Darkman actually manages to land on top of a truck and hook the cable onto the truck. And the truck drives into a tunnel and fucking dragging the helicopter with it. It crashes into the side of the tunnel on the way in. Durant is no more. It was actually a pretty clever way to get rid of it. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, that's the end of the movie. Um, wait, wait, what? Julie. So later at the city of the future construction site um durant is still alive and strack is there with julie for a proper damsel in distress ending okay i see what we're doing here and the three head up a construction elevator while strack brags about killing his wife in a plane crash but he landed on his feet and uh (laughs) strack says to durant that he's glad to see he survived you know for his kids and Durant says, well, they do look up to me. And uh, Strax says, uh, but you don't have any kids. Right. And he rips the fucking mask off to reveal Darkman. The uh, high steel dance ensues. <laughs> what the fuck? Because Strax is fucking boasting the whole time. I used to work high steel with my dad. Six, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six inches wide, 600 feet up, blah, blah, blah. The motherfucker won't shut up. He's very, very, very annoying. Kind of like Josh on this podcast. And uh, I didn't say that. Strax. Strack also boasts that, look at what I've done. I create, you destroy. He's telling Peyton that he's the real monster. He's yeah. like, but you know what? With what I've seen you done, I could give you a hell of a job. Why don't you come work for me? And Darkman slips away and then manages to pounce right back on Strack because you just, you know, you're going from one cell to the next. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking comic book. There's this baddie that has fucking... Julie there in the background because it's a fucking comic book and she's handcuffed and she's bound and she's gagged and uh, the baddie's like shit's going down and throws Julie off the edge <laughs> yeah and uh, but her handcuffs end up snagging on some rebar so she doesn't fall to her death yet 
Oh, one thing I want to point out, when they very first get to the construction site and start going up the elevator, there's this weird insert of a, a bed of concrete with all this rebar poking up out of it like, yeah. like a Mortal Kombat bed that we never see again. We'll get back to that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so Julie's hanging. Everything's cool. The fight's continuing between Darkman and Strack. And uh, Strack ends up picking up a fucking rivet gun and he's shooting at Darkman. And he ends up pinning his fucking hand to an I-beam with one of the rivets. And uh, he boasts some more. And uh, talking about how, you know, Julie's got varied tastes, you know, blah, 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 blah. But she doesn't date freaks. Rage animation ensues. And uh, <laughs> fucking Dark Man rips his hand free, grabs a cable. Spider-Man's to the now falling Julie. Yeah. Swings her to safety. Swings right back to Strack. Grabs him and dangles him over the edge by his foot. And Strack continues to run his fucking mouth. Yep. That he knows he won't drop him. It'd make him just as bad as him. Maybe even worse. That he won't do it because he'd never be able to live with it. And Darkman lets his ass fly. I'm learning to live with a lot of things. So, in my mind, we were probably supposed to see Strack fall onto the bed of rebar in a ho- oh, okay. horrific, gory going scene. Because okay. everybody in the production says, Uni made us cut most of the gore from the movie. Yeah. Da, 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 da. But it was at least implied. At yeah. least we got the shot that it was there. So, with Julie save, the sun rises. And Julie says, she can make it with Peyton. He'll perfect the skin. And they can have their lives back. But Darkman knows the monster he's become. And he says, there is no Peyton. And he slaps on a mask, obscured in shadow, and runs. Julie gives chase, but all she sees in the crowd ahead is Bruce Campbell. Oh, yeah. As the final shimp. Credits. That is one of the greatest Bruce Campbell cameos ever. Absolutely. Like I said, and I think I hit this a bunch throughout it, and that really is it. There's no post-credit, blah, blah, blah. I wish I'd seen this when I was younger. I wish I'd seen it around the time I saw fucking Army of Darkness. Yeah. It would have worked, too. I actually saw this before Army of Darkness. But I didn't know like who Sam Raimi was yet and stuff yeah. like that, right? Right. So, but they're very similar. Oh yeah, yeah. The thing is, is if you're just a casual movie watcher, it's fucking disjointed, all over the place. Doesn't make any sense. Haphazard, lazy writing. Like I can see people that don't know Sam Raimi saying all of these things, and I totally get where they're coming from. Knowing Sam Raimi and what he was trying to make and his approach, this is he overshot it. I think he tried to do too much as far as giving us a studio movie. Okay. I, th- I think he, in that vein. Can you imagine going from like what he's used to doing to studio money though? It's probably I know. fucking insane. Oh yeah. Now I think he swung for the fucking fences and he made. Crime life with money. To the best of his <laughs> ability, he made the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. This is one of those we talk about all the time that, oh, I'd like to see this get remade or that, that get remade. This getting remade and the studio taking it seriously but having sam raimi at the helm yeah is the only way you could remake yeah. this movie so it's never going to happen and bruce campbell's durant now <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah baby i'm okay with this but no it's you got to understand where sam was coming from you got to understand sam and it it's a it's just a fucking car wreck of a crime noir, fucking comic books, a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of horror, slapstickiness, yeah. fucking zaniness. It's 
and watch his old shorts. And I don't mean like Attack of the Helping Hand with Scott Spiegel and stuff like Cabin that. Cabin in the Woods, whatever the fuck it was called. Uh, within the Woods. Like, yeah, he, yeah. like even before that, like the shit they were shooting the, the brothers oh, like yeah. growing up. Like yeah. this is the kind of shit they had in their heads. Because he's probably like the OG punk rock DIY director to get mainstream money. Yes. Yeah. Because fucking Lloyd Kaufman never made it to mainstream money. And like, if you think about it, all of his movies are like huge cult following beloved, but like, it's actually surprising to me that like he got, let's say to Spider-Man yeah, to that point, like how did he get there? Like, yeah, yeah. I fucking cherish all of his work. Right. And it was huge, but like he didn't make any big money movies leading up to that. Did he? No. And I want to go back to my book because I believe in the book. Cause it's uh Sharon stone in the quick and the dead. Right. Yeah. If I remember correctly, they cited an interview in that book and guys, I'll have to either fact check this or this will all get cut because she's a producer on the movie. Yeah. And when they gave her the list of directors, um, she sent back, she just wrote Sam Raimi and sent it back. Interesting. And said, if it's not Sam Raimi, we're not making this movie. That now, makes me think that he pitched the original idea and they were uh, shopping around other directors. That's and what I'm she thinking. was like, I want Sam. Because I, I wouldn't immediately think, oh, he should make this Western movie. Right? Yeah, like, like, this yeah. is the last person I would think um, of. Because like I said, I don't even like Western movies and I fucking love that film. It's a great It's just great a good movie. fucking movie. It's a lot fun. of times when you see executive producer and it's somebody that famous, that just means they took the movie for a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah, right? So it's like I gave you money by not taking as much money as I normally take. Exactly. But allegedly that's what it is. And I think that's the movie that really you got to look at as been a long time since I've seen it. That was his first successful mainstream movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like the, oh, holy shit, this guy can make a real movie yeah. in, in the eyes of Hollywood. And I think that and then you go back and be like, oh, the guy actually understands what a comic book world right. is and he knows how to make a movie. And yes, he can have his car in it. Yeah. He gets remembered as the guy that fucked up Venom. But he, he knew, <laughs> that's the thing, he probably knew, not probably, he knew how Venom worked in his backstory better than anybody that was bitching about him. Yeah. He just didn't like Venom. And, and I know we're gushing about Sam because we both love him, but uh, he, you couldn't, nobody else could have made this movie. There's, yeah. This, this movie could not exist without Sam. There was an interview in the book where, or, or part of the book where they were talking about, oh fuck, I don't remember, some other movie maker that Sam was talking to when he was young. Yeah. And he was critiquing one of his home movies. And he's like, look at this. In this shot, the can the, the car comes in left a frame and leaves right a frame. Then you cut to another shot of the same car coming in right a frame and leaving left a frame. You can't break the rule. That makes no sense. Yeah. The, the audience has no idea what you're doing. This is that this is Sam's brain working through that in movie making in general. That's the 180 degree rule though. You can never yeah. break that rule. <laughs> but, it, but when he was a kid making films, he'd never heard of this oh, shit before. Oh, okay. So you're saying he was a kid when he was thinking yes, that, not yes, like yes. established Sam Raimi. Because I can't remember, did he go to film school? Briefly, I want to say. Have we done a Sam Raimi episode or have we just covered a lot of Sam Raimi films? We've just covered a lot of Sam Raimi God, films. God, have we not done a Sam Raimi episode? Well, we still have a couple of Sam Raimi films we haven't covered that we could do a still do an episode on him and talk about the other films. Um, <clears throat> foreshadowing. <laughs> But I think Darkman was him going, you know what? Fuck it. They're going to let me run with this idea. I can't have the shadow. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to try to start applying these things I think I've learned. And that's why it comes out weird is it was like, let me see how this works. Watch. And I didn't do this, but I've seen enough times. Fucking watch Darkman and then immediately watch Army of Darkness. The very fucking next film he made. And you're going to see so much 
polished shots yeah. and techniques from Darkman that are in fucking. I think I said that earlier too yeah. that they're very similar films, yep. like style wise. Anyway, there's so much of it you can see, and and I'm just saying I I understand the man enough to appreciate the movie, uh, the movie by itself, not knowing Sam, it's disjointed. Yeah, dumpster fire. Yeah, but it's it's a it's fucking baby steps onto X, and I don't know. I it, I I appreciate it. I it pains me that I didn't see it at the age of like twelve. Yeah, because I would adore it. Yeah, I very much enjoyed seeing them, and uh, while I liked horror films that I had been introduced to, I wasn't like the horror guy. Okay. The, that I am now. I didn't know who the fuck Sam Raimi was. You know? <laughs> so that was one of those things, like, after I got into Sam Raimi, I'm like, oh, it's the same guy, you know? And, uh, I mean, they were never, like, marvels of film to me. But they were yeah. fun. They are just fun. Yeah. And, and different. Honest, I watch movies to have fun. You know, I'm not trying to change my life, but I watch a film. Exactly. So. So, Brightburn, fucking awesome. Yeah. James Gunn. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. We we gush on the directors for this one. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you need to, we understand them. <laughs> I mean, we've been keeping up with where they live. Um, anyways. <laughs> we know where to find you. <laughs> awesome flick. If you haven't seen it, yeah. fucking see it. I'm glad you liked it. I was a little worried, like with the the dart throwing method we basically used to give you a film. <laughs> so I, I, I don't want you to not have fun. If right? I hadn't read that fucking book, yeah. I wouldn't have understood okay. where that movie came from, and it would have been a lot. It probably would have been completely different. I can't name off the top of my head, but we've had one or two episodes where like there's something you wanted to cover, and like it was hard to find like a, a matching a film. place to put it. Yeah, and uh, and I just did something <laughs> right, and like it's different covering a movie that you pick just to match something versus something you wanted to cover, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was a little bit worried about that for you, well, but uh, it, it was Sam Raimi though. So I had a feeling, you know, you'd get the vibe, you'd get into it. Well, that's the thing. Like it's Sam Raimi. I haven't seen it. So that's an easy win. And then I go on shout factory's website and they have a special edition. And I'm like, ah. okay, I'm fucking in. <laughs> so you didn't already have that. He's holding it in his hand right now, by the way, guys, did you order it just for I this? I ordered it just for this episode. That's awesome that you do that. So, and like I said, like we want to cover the crow. No, we we're cover going to cover the crow. Hellboy, probably, Sin City. Like, we talk about all these different, like, dark superhero movies. And that's why, like, I've joked about this is dark superheroes. This is, you know, hero villains. I kept trying to fucking make up names and uh, stuff and theme it. And that kind of, like, hindered us assigning films. Because there's something. Legion. You said Legion earlier. Ray and I was talking about a fucking vampire movie. That's a comic. You know? And, and, and there's, like, we just kept crossing back and forth and this is a uh, a bridge or, or line that I've been wanting to go across for a while and Brightburn made it easier because I saw Brightburn I'm like okay I've now knocked the crow out one of my favorite <laughs> films because I want to cover Brightburn because more horror yeah and uh, while Darkman was not as horror as Brightburn no. it's made by Sam fucking Raimi who's one of the masters of horror, right? So, like, it, it just kind of like we, we were able to put them together. Well, that and it's huge nods to old school Universal. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to not always do the directly on the nose <laughs> options for the films, right? It lets us see what we can get away with. <laughs> as long so, as we're having fun and you're having fun, it's good. Next episode, Little Mermaid. Under the sea. Wait a minute. The new one or the old one? The, the only one? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is Ursula is fucking terrifying, and my four year old went and cried and hid in her bed <laughs> under a blanket. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm they just, did a good job. It just makes me mad that just come up with an original idea, quit remaking shit, please. 
I'm not 100% against them remaking the animated films as live action because it is different than remaking a movie that already exists. They are making a live action version of a animated film. So Cop it's a little out. different. Yeah. <laughs> I've enjoyed most of them. But that's it for the Hero Horror episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in for the next episode where Josh finally convinced me to watch the fucking Terrifier films. Yeah. Please welcome Art the Clown. As usual, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. I just know I'm something else, something superior. <laughs>